Hey, Corey. It's Shane. Call on in, man. It's been a while since I called in. I wanted to commend you on episode 30 with, uh, I believe you interviewed Randall Plunkett. Man, I enjoyed that show. Um, right after I listened to that interview, I went to find that, to your website to find that trailer so I could watch that and see what, what it looked like. I got to say, dude, it looks awesome um enjoying the uh hp lovecraft keep that going i know you probably got like three maybe four more uh pieces to go on it but fantastic stuff dude i love you brother great job as always listen to every show you're amazing great interview really um keep up the good work would you and how do you get so good looking Bye. The electric chair. Don't go into the attic. Hello once again, everyone. Welcome to the electric chair. My name is Midnight Corey. I'm your host. Thank you for listening. Um, this week, we have a crazy, crazy, epic episode. Uh, very, very long. Lots of guests this week. And you're going to want to listen clear to the end. And if you don't listen, uh, you know, maybe just skip ahead to the end. Uh, huge announcement at the end of the show, as well as a huge giveaway. So this is, uh, this is really exciting. Um, of course, I'm on Stitcher Smart Radio, uh, also part of spookshow.tv. And uh, the Horror Podcasting Alliance at horrorpodcastingalliance.blogspot.com. Um, I'm going to try to keep this intro short, uh, as there's just a ton of stuff. Um, first of all, I was really, really happy. I, I kind of discovered this, uh, this death metal band on uh, Twitter and began talking to them. And uh, they actually have some music that you can download for free. And I was blown away. By what I heard, uh, this is a band out of New Jersey by the name of Strychnia, and it was really cool. I got to sit down with the lead singer, Kevin, and uh, got to talk about their music, about music in general, about horror, and, and things like that. So, had a lot of fun talking with Kevin, and uh, you'll be hearing that. Uh, it's a great band to check out, and we're going to be hearing one of their songs at some point during the show. So, listen for that. Um, also, I got to sit down once again with my friend Nadine Lesperance of Blue Girl Productions. Um, you know Nadine, a fantastic person. The last time she was on the show, she suggested a couple movies that I've never seen before. And I watch those. We talk about those movies and a lot more. So uh, I really appreciate Nadine coming back on the show and talking with me and, and uh, really suggesting some great movies. Uh, she has some great taste in film. And last but certainly not least, uh, another guest is joining me once again. Uh, you've heard him before, a very, very talented filmmaker, a great guy with a fantastic heart for the indie filmmaker and independent film in general, and that's Mr. Tony Wash, of course, of uh, Scotchworthy. And uh, Tony, we talked for a long time the other night, and he is truly a fantastic guy. Um, I just picked up his uh, DVD, A Chance in Hell, it's about a 35-minute-long short that uh, he's, uh, he, he made, I think, last year. And uh, so we get into all that, but I really, really enjoyed that, and I, I love the stuff that Tony's doing. 
And uh, his, his, like I said, his philosophy on independent film and, and film in general is just, just truly awesome. So thank you, Tony, for coming on the show. And uh, Tony's actually going to be part of this big, exciting giveaway at the end of the show. So listen till the end. Listen till the end. Um, now, on uh, the ultimate zombie feast here, um, you know, I'm going through all these films. I, I saw this movie called Fear of the Living Dead. This was the next one. Uh, it's about 16 minutes long, and uh, this is another one, like, the quality wasn't great. Uh, it was obviously like a shot on video kind of thing. Um, you know, kind of shaky, kind of weird. Um, it, you know, there are two main actors, uh, and, you know, they were okay. The big thing in this, again, and it's the same as the other entry in here a couple weeks ago that was a little bit weaker, is that it, it had some great-looking zombies and some great violence. The effects were fantastic. The zombies looked fantastic. The zombies acted fantastic. But uh, that was really all this had going for it. Because um, uh, really, uh, the kind of thing they were going for, I think you, you really had to bank on really caring about the characters and getting involved, invested in the characters. And I really didn't. And I didn't know, you know, I think some of that had to do with the, the acting, but as, as well as the writing. And so I just, I didn't really care. Um, but I will say that uh, they pulled something at the end that I just totally did not see coming. So got to give them props for that. They just pulled a crazy, crazy out of left field sort of ending, which, um, you know, I, I, I totally understood. And it's not so far out there that uh, it was just like, oh, that was, that was stupid. That was, you know... That was something that uh, couldn't have happened, you know, but um, I wasn't expecting it. So, yeah, but uh, so that was okay. But there are certainly other better ones on here. Um, and, you know, we'll see. But uh, all in all, this is a great collection. The Ultimate Zombie Feast. Yeah, so um, what else? What else? Uh, you're going to be hearing um, part four of uh, uh, um, what's it called? <laughs> I don't have my notes up here. I'm doing this all from memory. This week, so you should be impressed. Uh, I'm just too lazy to pull up my notes. Um, uh, part four of Herbert West Reanimator. That's what it is uh, by H.P. Lovecraft, of course. Uh, I've been going through that, and I'm really enjoying that, and I'm glad that you are enjoying that as well. So, let's get into it. I've actually kept this intro at a manageable sort of length here. So, uh, yeah, let's get right into. It. We're going to hear from uh, Kevin from Strychnia first, and then Nadine Lesperance, and then we're going to end things out with Tony Wash and then some H.P. Lovecraft, and we're just going to have a good old time here at the electric chair. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
you know, I love it when I listen to a band and I am so impressed with them that I'm convinced that they're veterans and that they've been in the music scene for decades. They've been around for a long time. So I found out about this band called Strychnia, and uh, they're one of these bands. They're a thrash kind of death metal band from New Jersey. Um, and I was convinced. I listened to this band. I'm like, man, these guys are good. They must have been around for a while. But the thing is, they're actually really young. And uh, they're one of the most exciting up-and-coming metal bands out there right now. And uh, I'm joined right now with the, uh, the vocalist from Strychnia, Kevin. Man. Thanks for hanging out tonight. No problem, dude. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure that uh, I get to talk with you and, and, and you know listen to your music because it's uh, really amazing. Uh, it's really thick. It's brutal. So aggressive, man. And I just love it. I love it. Um, I, I've listened to it ever since I found out about you here a few weeks ago, man. I've been listening to it over and over again. Um, I can't get enough. So uh, tell me about Strychnia. I mean, you've had... You've had kind of a crazy history here. You know, you kind of formed the band in 2009, and uh, things have been just sort of crazy as far as lineups go and, and where you're going. But uh, just tell me a little bit, you know, give everyone here kind of a flavor of Strychnia, kind of what you're all about and where you came from. Yeah, definitely. We um, we pretty much all started out, you know, uh, the band kind of formed after, I would say about three of us graduated from the same high school. And, you know, we picked up some other people that we were friends with actually from school and other things like that. And uh, we pretty much at the beginning were just setting out, you know, we were all, I mean, I was fucking 17 when I started playing with them. And everybody else was pretty much probably 17, 18. I think our guitarist was the oldest one. He was probably about 20 when we first started. And, you know, so we were a bunch of pretty much like we were pretty young and we were just looking to make crazy fucking music you know that was we didn't really think of the whole idea at first like oh we're gonna we're gonna go out there we're gonna get signed to a record label and we're gonna fucking you know become famous or anything like that we pretty much just wanted to set out to make the craziest music that we could and just crush people at shows um and that's basically really what drove us to be where we're at today pretty much with that album and everything uh, we just went on a fucking rampage for a year pretty much before we had that short hiatus. And that album is just everything. Like, we fucking are totally, totally proud of it. And, I mean, basically, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's anybody that listens to it, it just, it's definitely a good combination of death metal, thrash metal. And I honestly just think it's the best blend that you can get of the two without overwhelming one or the other. And that's why we really, we find a unique, I guess, I wouldn't, I'd say we give ourselves a unique style. So when we tell people to listen to us, it's really like you're getting something new and I almost wish we could call it a new wave of something, but it's kind of, good mix of death and thrash metal so yeah. it's not like you could say it's the new wave death metal or the new wave thrash metal but either way um yeah i mean the band started out you know we were just a bunch of fucking kids just you know music and then it turned out that we just started really killing a lot of the shows that we played we would go on before signed acts and we would end up having a better crowd response than uh, certain bands that we'd be playing with. I mean, and <laughs> That's awesome. We weren't, 
you know, I'm not talking like, oh, we fucking we blew out like Cannibal Corpse or anything crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I'm not. Like, you know, I'm not. But there were a couple of shows that we played where, you know, we would open for a more, I would say, a more regional kind of band. They were assigned. I don't want to go out and say which band or what bands, but yeah. was, you know, one of the bands was signed to Relapse, let's say, for example. Another band was signed to Metal Blade. And, you know, they are like they're smaller bands, Um, but still they are on that level and they ate it. And we had the uh, ability, I guess, to get the crowd moving in a sense that it seemed like when we watched the next band go on, you know, this band that's signed to that label, um, the the crowd wasn't moving as much, you know. (laughs) Well, yeah. I think maybe a lot of that, man, is, you know, you're talking about your kind of unique blend of death metal and thrash. Um, and I think maybe you have a tendency to do that. You know, a lot of bands go up there and they are sort of one or the other. You know, you got pure death metal or you got pure thrash. And there aren't a lot of bands that mix those together, at least in a good way. Um, and you do. And I think maybe you're you're kind of keeping the crowd on, on its feet a little bit, you know, and, and on its toes and just sort of... Uh, um, sort of getting them going because it's not just the same thing you know it's it's not uh the same you know style you're sort of interweaving styles there so do you think that has something to do with it yeah i definitely do um even you know like with you saying that it's it's making me even think like that's almost exactly kind of where we get the crowd when we end up playing uh you know you got your mix of like we were saying thrash metal and death metal and then there's even there's little bits and pieces of all kinds of shit you know i mean uh we all listen to other music besides those two genres and besides metal in general so when we come in you know it's what i'd notice a lot you know being the front man and everything i'm always watching the fucking crowd i'm feeding off their energy and stuff uh you know the thrash parts obviously we're getting people fucking moving fast it's fast it's aggressive and then, you know, you hit them with the, you know, the crushing fucking death, like the death metal grind, like just like that. I, I don't want to really, call, I don't want to call it a breakdown because that term is, you know, abused by, I would say, yeah, many different. It has connotations at this point that, yeah. Yeah. Because if I say it's a breakdown, that's almost like, you know, you could get a million different ideas of what a breakdown is, but it's just that, you know, that heavy crushing, right. those lower risks that are just really fucking heavy. And then, you know, we even, there's, there's basically something for everybody, you know, at, at the show. Is like, if you like black metal, you're going to, there will be parts that you're going to like, you know. If you like melodic shit, you know, there's parts that you're going to like, you know. Same thing, thrash, death metal, all those. There's really a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fucking different aspects to our style. And that even can go back to our lineup. Um, you know, uh, let's, if I can think of it just off the top of my head, I mean, I was originally influenced, um, I don't necessarily hate to say it, but you know, whatever I, when I first started listening to metal, the people who introduced it to me, I was in high school and they liked deathcore. Um, and my, my favorite band was fucking suicide silence, you know? So I learned how to scream basically to, you know, those songs. Mm. So it's, Eventually, when I went and transitioned to the, like, obviously, I, I pretty much, I only listen to really death metal, thrash metal, and probably black metal these days, mostly, mm-hmm. you know, a mix of everything else. But that just, that kind of progressed for me, 
you know, where it's like, okay, well now I have all these different styles of influences, so I can do this. And then with our guitarist, uh, we had a guitarist who primarily liked metalcore. You know what I mean? So right. it's like, okay, there's those influences. Then we had a guitarist who was just, you know, everything like death metal, thrash metal, melodic, fucking, you know, folk metal, every like everything. And then <laughs> it's just just like straight thrasher, some death metal drummers, like thrash. You know, it's, it's just. There's like, there was a whole different mix of stuff, and it's like all of us were not the same in a way. Like, oh, you like all that, I like all that too. Like, that we, you know, like I would like this, he wouldn't like it, but then he'd like this, and I wouldn't like it. So it's just like there's all kinds of different shit going on. That's so. huge. That's so important because you can't all just be, you know, say you all, you know, you mentioned Cannibal Corpse. Say that everybody in the band loved Cannibal Corpse and just would like nothing more than to be a sort of cannibal corpse band you know like how boring would that be you know how unoriginal and and blah would that be you know it's yeah uh, you just yeah everybody's got to sort of bring their own flavor and yeah i mean i don't i don't like the band that you you know my favorite band isn't your favorite band and that's not you know the bassist favorite band and the drummer he's listening to something completely different so i it's um it's just a lot of those blends that uh, is really important and I think has sort of uh, created something special, man, with, uh, with Strychnia. That's cool. Sorry about that. I, my fucking, uh, I think my computer just did, froze up a little bit for a second. <laughs> oh, no. I edit these things, so it's, uh, it's all good. It's all good. But, um, yeah, man. Um, you know, of course, the album we're talking about here that you guys have out right now is The Anatomy of Execution. Um, and I loved it that uh, you have it up for free download. Um, and of course, I'll have these links up in, uh, you know, on, on the website where you can download it and, and stream it. Of course, you can stream it on your Facebook page and there's a YouTube playlist where you can stream it. Um, so what was your thinking there, you know, as opposed to, you know, maybe, you know, um, making some CDs and trying to sell them on a website? Why'd you decide to put that up for free? There's a couple, uh, there's a couple different aspects to it. Um, originally we did sell the album for, I, I don't remember exactly how long it was. It might've been about a month or two probably. And it did sell a little bit, but at the time that we released the album, it was kind of fucked up because... You know, I told you we had some of the issues where we went into the studio and the recording process got delayed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one week turned into two, three, four. And the next thing you knew, you know, it was a couple months later and the album still wasn't done, uh, mostly because of, you know, like financial issues. Yeah. Either way, so that being, you know, like what happened in the situation, when we actually finished the album and released it, we kind of lost some of that hype that we had. And when we released it, we just really, we didn't get as much of a response as we had hoped. And then on top of those things, that was kind of just like, that was kind of like a minor thing in the decision. The real part was, okay, like, we're a local band. We want to break out of the local scene at this point. Like, you know, like I said in the beginning, we were all just like, you know, this is cool. Let's fucking write some crazy music and play some shows and party. This is awesome. But then we were going you know it's like oh shit like this is awesome people really like our stuff we're doing really good like we're having independent record labels come and contact us like people are taking interest in our music so at this point it was kind of like you know we kind of want to push it and see what we can do with it 
So, you know, we're a local band. We want to break out of the scene. And we figured we can't really rely on on people not hearing our music necessarily uh, just because they don't want to spend the money. Yeah. You know, and it's like we did, we released one song. We released Maniacal Repression. It's on YouTube still. It's got like 16,000 views. Pretty cool. Nice. And, yeah, and it actually had close to 10,000 within the first, like, you know, five, six months. But then after a while, I was saying after the band went on hiatus and stuff, we lost a lot of hype. Yeah. When we did release the album, yeah, I mean, we sold some copies. We did. We we sold it on uh, most of the uh, online, you know, digital distribution websites. And it just wasn't really going as good as we wanted it to. And at the same time, we really just wanted everybody to hear our music. So we figured, you know what, like, fuck this. This is stupid. We're not, we're not in this for the money, you know, at least not yet. This is not our job. Like, you know, we, we're not doing this for money. Yeah. You know, we're doing it because we love the music. And nothing really beat hearing people's opinions, you know what I mean? Like, we're still, like, we're still new to this, you know? Even, I mean, the band was formed three years ago, and we were on, like, a one-year hiatus. So it's like we really have not playing that long. So still to this day, every time people comment on our stuff and just say, oh, the, you know, the album was fucking awesome, that's, that's killer, that's great, you know, I like this song, I like that song, You're, you know, the guitars are crazy, whatever it is, whatever the compliments may be, they're all awesome. And we just loved getting so much feedback. And when we released it for free, we got exactly what we expected. You know, we got so many, everybody, everybody just downloads stuff for free these days, you know, right. like... You know, I go and post a status like, hey, you know, check out like, you know, check out our album, blah, 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 stream it, download it, you know, do whatever. And you get a ton of feedback. You know, if you send out one song and say, you know, like, oh, here, if you like this, buy our album, whatever. I mean, you know, it's sure some people are going to buy it, but some people say they're going to buy it and they don't end up buying it. Or some people, you know, just don't want to buy. Nobody really buys things these days as much when it comes to music. I mean, even with their favorite bands, you know, like people download stuff with torrents and shit like that. A lot of a lot of bands even leak their album through torrents, so you know, before it comes out and stuff. But. Oh yeah, yeah, dude. Even like a bunch of these huge names now are uh, releasing albums and just saying, "Hey, come and download my album for free." You know, like uh, you know, I'm thinking like Nine Inch Nails has done that. Um, and like Radiohead, you know, they've like, Hey, you know, we're going to release our album and just come download it. And if you feel like paying for it, then go ahead. But if not, just download it and listen to it. Um, and those are big names, but I think it is even more important. Like you said, for bands that are just starting out, they're trying to get going to put it out there and just let people listen to it. Because I think once you get a fan base, once you get people who are like, wow, that is a great band. They make great music they're going to gravitate towards you and they're going to want to come to your shows because that's what, I mean, you, you don't make, you don't make a ton of money off of album sales where you make money is at your shows and with merchandise and things like that. And uh, that's where you want people to, to gravitate towards. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's really smart, but dude, it's like nowadays you have the big kind of dinosaur record companies who are still trying to stick to the old, old paradigm and you know it's it's just been talked about so much you know how you know the evil record record companies you know want to um uh, they're, they're so against downloading music and piracy and things like that but 
the tide has just changed so much here within the past even you know decade that uh it's i think it is really smart for people to release their albums out there for people to download and just sort of um uh, you know really garner an interest in enough that they start following you and then it's just going to follow you know the i think the monetary thing is going to follow um so very smart very smart and thank you for that because again dude if i would have found out about you on twitter which i think i think we're on twitter yeah uh, and if uh if you would have approached me on twitter and said hey man you know here's like you said here's one song listen to it and if you like it you know here's uh here's my whole album for like five bucks or whatever i wouldn't have done it you know i just i would have said hey that's that's a great song you know okay i don't know what and i probably i i most likely would have sort of passed you by you know even though the song probably was really great you know it's it's like i wouldn't have have um, gotten into you as much as i could have um but being that you're like man you know that's uh as i was checking you out it's like download this whole album for free. Just listen to it and enjoy it, and um, you know that's that's what got me, and that's why we're here tonight, which is awesome. I'm so I'm so grateful for that, and uh, so great strategy there, man. But I mean, man, this has got to be the the way that uh, a lot of up and coming bands are going um, to just do that. So you you know you're recording an EP right now or a new album. Is it an is it like an EP or is it a full album or what are you doing right now? Yeah, it's uh it's it's actually it's a uh it's gonna probably be a five song EP. Cool. We were thinking of doing maybe a little bit more, but you know, with with the uh the writing process the way it's going, we're we're probably just gonna keep with a a five song EP. Cool. Cool. But um so what what are your plans for that? Are you um are you gonna go sort of the again, free download avenue or um, are you going to try something a little bit different this time around? Being that uh, a lot of people have heard your first EP and were just, you know, knocked on their asses by it, you know, um, what do you think you're going to do? Yeah, we're we're still thinking about it, actually. You know, it's definitely, it's come up within the conversations of, you know, like, what are we going to do when we release this next one now? Um and we were thinking, you know, like, well, maybe we would just do it for really cheap or maybe we would, you know, like, do we want to release it for free again? But I think we're going to definitely at first, we're definitely going to at least at first, you know, release it normally with like probably a price on it. And um, we'll see how it, you know, we'll see how it does pretty much. Uh, basically, I can, what I'm imagining is we did, like you were saying, when we released the album, you know, we let so many people download it pretty much and everything. And we really did. We expanded our fan base by a lot, you know, by doing that. We, we're still expanding, you know. Yeah. And, um, we're going to try and see now with that, you know, with our bigger fan base now, if, you know, we get a better response more so or, you know, whatever it is. Because um, even, even in a sense that, oh, it's, it's like even putting aside like, oh, let's make money it's still interesting to see how much you can sell. You know what I mean? Like, how, yeah. because compared to back then, it's like, okay, we had this much sell and now we have this much. So it's like, holy shit, we obviously made a big fucking difference. Right. So, you know, it's, it's good in that aspect. And then obviously the money does help, but it's more so towards 
the band kind of like oh if anything we're gonna get bun we're gonna make money towards you know hopefully a, a tour you know what I mean or you know let's say more t-shirts and stuff um but we're probably we're gonna have to see we're it's we're still talking about it you know deciding what we want to do and everything um we were actually even thinking of releasing the album or re-releasing our album that we already finished the anatomy of execution and releasing the ep together as a bundle um basically you would buy the ep for a normal ep price you know i'm, I'm saying if it's five songs i would assume it'd be like five bucks hopefully mm -hmm. like what i don't i forget how it even works on tune core or whatever it is that we run <laughs> I'm pretty sure they just use the standard $1 a song on iTunes and stuff like that. I'm not sure if we could set it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we were figuring, you know, you buy the EP for, you know, let's, say, let's just say five bucks, mm -hmm. and you get the entire album with it for free as well, um, kind of as like a bundled package, you know, and, and that may seem, that might not seem beneficial too much to people who already have the album or just go online and download it, but when we're playing shows, and we're getting new fans and stuff that's a good incentive you know for them to pick up the ep if anything you know like here's the ep and here's the album as well oh definitely definitely so i i think that's really smart um because for you know again you can you can you know for five bucks you get you know two eps not just one and uh yeah so yeah no very cool but you know for somebody like me even um somebody that has listened to your stuff and i've, I've downloaded your stuff I would be totally willing at this point to pay for your next work. Um, it's that good. I'm that impressed. Um, so, you know, your your strategy worked on me anyhow, and um, you know, so I'm, I'm I'm hoping, and I know that a lot of other people are are out there. Um, yeah, we're gonna be the same. Who um, who actually want T-shirts? And it really sucks because we had. We had a hundred T-shirts, and we really did. We actually, like you know, like you were saying, you make more of your money off selling merch and playing shows, anyways. Um, we really did. We sold a lot of our shirts, and you know, we gave a lot away too to friends and stuff. Just you know, like oh hey, you know, here rock this, you know, wear it, fucking promote us, whatever, you know, oh, show yeah. it off. And um, we only got. I mean, at least I know I've only got about maybe I've got probably less than ten, but close to ten sitting in my closet and they're all just medium so i feel so bad <laughs> these people so many people that ask me you know do you guys have shirts do you guys have shirts and we're going to be getting new shirts uh the only thing that's delaying that obviously it's that kind of goes along with the ep release uh we're going to get whatever artwork is done for the cover of the ep is we're going to we're basically going to come up with a t-shirt design related to that album art or ep art whatever you want to call it cool so, There'll be new shirts out, um, but yeah, I mean, so it's like I've definitely trust me. Yeah, <laughs> you were right. Notice there's a lot of people who do. You know, they want shirts, or you know, I'll even get people that that'll say, you know, like, oh, when you guys come out with the EP, I'm definitely buying it and stuff. So, you know, we're definitely really stoked to get it out there. We can't wait to show some people new stuff. You know. Oh, that's awesome, and I'll I'll be the first in line, man, for a, for a shirt. For sure, um, I would love it. You know, based on, you know, I've seen uh, your previous shirt, uh, the zombie, um, yep. that thing, which I love. It is so awesome, and I love that you have that up. You know, it's on your uh, Facebook, I think, and some other places, man. But uh, I love that, and it's like I was bummed. I'm like, oh, dude, I ought to, I ought to try to get one of those shirts, but you know, it's it's sort of 
out of print right now. Unless is this one of the mediums you're talking about that are just kind of yeah, yeah. I think, oh. yeah, exactly. There's, there's only. Uh, I know if you go to the online store, it should be pretty damn close to exactly updated. There might be an exact number of mediums on there. How many we have left? I do have maybe one or two smalls. I think something like that. But you know, it's just not even worth at that point almost. But even if yeah. you went to the store, the the XLs, the larges, you know, they're all sold out. There's nothing left of them. And uh, there's just, yeah, there's not much. I mean, usually if people ask me these days anyways for a shirt, I just tell them, like, hey, if you really want one, you know, like, you can, if anything, cover the shipping charge and I'll just, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, like, I don't even try really to sell them anymore because I only yeah. have. And, um, well, that's some great artwork. I love that. Um, you know, not you know not only the zombie thing going on, but even your logo, the Strychnia logo. Um, so where did all this artwork come from? Yeah, we actually, um, I forget how I came across him, and I don't think he does artwork anymore, which is disappointing. Um, we went through the same guy that did, his name was Tom, and he ran, or, oh, his name was Cruz. Oh my God, Tom Cruz, that's funny. <laughs> but his name was, his name was Cruz. And he had his own little, you know, I, I don't know what you would call it really. I wouldn't call it like a company. It was just like his own little design kind of thing. And uh, it was called Arterial Designs. And, you know, he did artwork for uh, some bigger, they're mostly like deathcore bands. Uh, I think it was like As Blood Runs Black, uh, Born of Osiris, uh, Abba Cab or something like that. Uh, Chelsea Grin, Suicide Silence. Um, so he did some t-shirt designs for most of them. I'm not sure if he did any logo work for them. I think he might have done one. I think he might have done a logo. Uh, I don't even remember. I know he also did Veil of Maya, too, a t-shirt for them. But so we came across him on MySpace back when MySpace was actually popular more so. Yeah. And, you know, we hit him up. He wasn't too bad. We paid about, I think we paid $100 for the logo. Uh, wow. Another 100 or 150 for the t-shirt design. And then 50 bucks or something for like a MySpace layout. So we just did like a kind of like a package deal with him. And yeah, we really, we definitely like the logo. Um, kind of, actually, no, that's a funny story. Um, like the t shirt, the logo, um, I don't really feel bad saying this because I doubt he's ever going to come across it. And I don't think he even does artwork anymore. But either way, I don't give a shit, whatever. <laughs> he actually, he stenciled out a logo. And it was almost like stencil, like literally stencil letters with like these little like wavy lines coming off of them. And it was just, it looked really half-assed and you know, like we've seen his artwork and it's like, all right, dude, come on. Like really? Like you, you could be better than that. I don't know if he just like figured cause we were just like, you know, some young local band, like, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. But we ended up, I actually, I, I actually whipped out my drawing pad and I actually kind of drew, you know, like my idea of a Strychnia logo. And he basically took what I had. And, you know, I scanned it and sent it to him. He took what I had and he did. He made, he made it look a lot better than what I had pretty much. But if I showed you the picture of what I drew, you'd be like, holy shit, that, that's pretty damn close to the Strychnia logo. Really? So, wow. Cool. And then, you know, I mean, so he did, he did make it look a lot better though. But, uh, it's kind of cool because I kind of had a decent amount of input on the final logo. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, so he was he was definitely a good artist. I wish we could 
possibly go through him again. But I think we're looking to go through um, the guy who did the art for Suffocation. And oh, nice. Yeah, yeah I, forget, I forget his name, actually. But uh, whoever did the artwork for that album. Shit. I don't know. Yeah, he did a Suffocation album. He did a, I think he did one of the new Warbringer albums. Uh, he did a bunch of other really cool stuff, too. Uh, a bunch of good bands. So I think we're going to go through him most likely. Uh, we didn't decide on artwork yet because we didn't finish all of the lyrics. Mm. Um, wait until we're done with all of the lyrics until we decide you know, what, what song or what general idea we want to do some kind of artwork for. Because we don't really want to just uh, pick out a random design or just have him do whatever. We kind of like to base it off something. Uh, the Strychnified Zombie shirt was based off the song Apocalyptic Visions, um, which was basically about the world being fucking raped by a nuclear assault and, you know, fucking radiation just taking out everybody. So <laughs> I love it. There was an idea kind of behind that artwork. So we're still, we're still uh, working on that pretty much. That's cool. But everything, you know, it's very cool that it is so, like, top-notch. Like, it's really professional. Um, yeah. It looks great. It's legit, man. So people even look at you with not, you know, without even hearing you. You know, you look at this artwork, you look at your logo and stuff, you're like, wow. Man, they, they, man. at least they're good enough. They've put, you know, some time and cash into some great artwork. So I'm going to give these guys a listen. So that's really important. So, Well, on, on even like, uh, I think for us right now, Twitter seems to be the most popular. Um, Facebook's pretty good too, but we <laughs> probably like three or four months ago, we had about like 50 followers on Twitter. And then we kind of, we did a lot of background promoting for the Twitter, hmm. but we're, Almost at fourteen thousand now. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, within a couple months. Uh, I mean, like I said, we we were doing promoting. There's no way that we just fell upon thousands of followers. Yeah. Uh, usually do at least an hour or two of promoting a day uh, for the band online. But you no. Know, so my point really is, uh, I'll get a lot of people who uh, will be on Twitter more so, and they'll you know they'll tweet to me or the band. Uh, it's usually me, but, the, you know, the band, whatever. And they'll say, you know, I'll oh, kick-ass fucking logo. You know, we're gonna, I'll check out your album later, you know, because they can see I, I make a million statuses a day saying, you know, <laughs> nice. download the album, this, on that. So, like you're saying, yeah, it's, sometimes the artwork really does draw people in. And, you know, we definitely appreciate it, too. It definitely, you know, we want to be professional in every manner that we possibly can be. So we're pretty proud of that artwork it is it is good awesome awesome yeah and uh hopefully someday i mean do you have um as far as this uh, you know the access to uh the t-shirt design you know that zombie t-shirt is there um any sort of possibility of maybe doing a reissue of that or even um you know some kind of artwork even a poster uh, of that kind of thing what sort of access do you have to the original artwork or is that something kind of tied up with that guy and um no we do we actually we do we uh we went and we did copyright the artwork um and you know along with like the uh obviously our our music but oh, um yeah. Yeah. We, do, we do have the artwork you know once you paid for it it's it's yours um nice. use it for whatever you want to do 
And uh, we do, I am almost positive. Uh, I did have my laptop stolen uh, two years ago, and I did lose a lot of Strychnia stuff, uh, like basement record, you know, a lot of cool shit. Oh, like, man, that sucks. I do still have a lot of stuff, because um, I do have stuff on my desktop. But my laptop got stolen. I did get it back, but it was wiped. So. Oh, jeez. Uh, did lose a lot of crap on there. Um, so I know, I'm pretty sure I do still have the design where I could send it out to a t-shirt company and they could still print those shirts again. Um, which is definitely, you know, that's a good possibility. Uh, once we, you know, have the full solid lineup going and we're ready to play live shows again, uh, we're, you know, we're definitely going to be hitting full force. You know, we'll have everything, you know, fucking oh, yeah. stickers. I mean, I'm, exactly. I'm thinking like stickers and things like that because, uh, you know, going to a show, I go to the merch table. That would make a great sticker. Um, I have I, I would love to have that zombie thing, you know, stuck. I'm a musician myself and I have a ton of guitars and basses and stuff. And I'd just love to have that zombie strychnia thing, you know, on on one of my guitar cases, you know, because it's it's so awesome. It looks great. Yeah. And uh, I would totally, you know, pay a few bucks for for having that. It would it would be really cool. So it's uh, you know, it, it's really good to hear that you do have that possibility at least, and that isn't just kind of lost in history now. That uh, you know, you'll be able to utilize that perhaps again in the future. I hope. But yeah, uh, yeah. Well, dude, I'm I'm uh, you know, as far as death metal singers go, I I'm so intrigued. With uh, you know the the death metal voice, uh, which you have, you man, you have an incredibly strong death metal voice, and I'm listening to you, and uh, it is so powerful. Um, I almost, you know, you're sort of uh, you know a corpse grinder kind of uh, voice because there's a lot of strength behind it. You know how corpse grinder, you know, Cannibal Corpse, you know, he's got a lot of strength, a lot of power behind it. Yes, um, he. It does. <laughs> yeah. And you have that too. You have that sort of it's not a it's not a weak death metal voice. It's not a gravelly yeah. um something. I mean, you definitely have something behind it. So, how long did it take to develop that? Because I'm thinking, man, I I've, I've tried to do the death metal voice before and I it's just like I end up coughing and just, you know, I, I just feel really <laughs> terrible. So, how hard is that to sort of pick up and and develop? Um you know, it really is. It's. I want to say it's. It's pretty hard to do it the right way. Um, I. I don't want to say it's hard to do it and just leave it at that because then I'm, you know you could have a million people who say it's not hard to do, but then they end up like. And I'm not saying I'm amazing, but there are a lot of people that you'll run into that are not that good at it, and they'll think they've mastered it. So my point is, when, when, to do it correctly and you know not hurt yourself and to do it like you were saying to have. Uh, a strong voice more so, not like a wavering kind of scream where it does sound quiet or, or weak or something. It does take a long time. It really it really does. Um, when I first started, I was probably practicing, I can't remember, I, th I know I did at least three to four days uh, a week, uh, probably two to three hours a night. And I honestly, I don't know how the fuck I didn't wake up my parents uh, <laughs> in high school. And... I would just come down in my basement and I would turn the stereo on and just blast whatever, uh, whatever you know I wanted to learn. I, I basically just started out covering my favorite bands, um, which were mainly I mostly just started out covering Suicide Silence, mm. and 
basically at first you you end up losing your voice. There, I don't think anybody could try to scream and not lose their voice. And if they say they're, that they didn't lose it, I think they're lying, honestly, because <laughs> after, it's almost one of those things where you have to learn by mistake. I, I can't tell you how many times I've discovered like a new method of scream or a different sound. Uh, you know, like you have your low scream, your mid scream, your high scream, your guttural scream, your thrash kind of voice, mm. stuff like that, like, there's just a million different things you could do, and you really don't discover a lot of them until you fuck something up. I mean, <laughs> for me, it was, I started out just learning how to do some low screams, um, and, you know, and I look back at it now, and I, I have tracks, I have, I have tracks of me covering things that I would never show anybody, because <laughs> <laughs> it's like I hear it, and I'm just like, oh my fucking God, like, I... So it really does when you first start. Yeah, I mean, I lost my voice probably three to four times within a month easily. And that I was just doing low screams, like I said. And then eventually you can kind of try and I start to like morph it a little bit uh, into some more like mid kind of screams, I guess you could say. Mm. Uh, and I kind of developed somewhat of a high scream. And about like two, three months in, I was able to do... Uh, you know, like some low screams, mid screams, and high screams, but they were, they still weren't strong as they, they still weren't as strong as they are uh, on the album, per se. To get those kind of vocals that I got on the album, it, it took me easily, um, let's see, if it came out in 2000, well, actually, if we recorded in 2010, more so. It took me a good, easily, probably about two years, a little over two years to get to where I was on the album. So I would say it took me a year and a half or so. I mean, even because we wrote that album, and when, at the time that we recorded, probably about a couple months before that, I want to say maybe eight, nine months, something like that, just a rough estimate, like a random guess, I probably wasn't as good as I, I was on that album, you know, that whole that period, even it, it may seem short, I know for sure that I got so much better. I could, you know, I could show you a basement recording of us playing a song that we ditched, and it was one of the first songs we wrote in August 2009. I could show you that, and I have those screams. I do. I have the same same high screams, same like low. Like if you heard it, you'd be like, oh yeah, that that's you know that's him. That you know it's me. Hmm. Uh, but it's definitely it's weaker. It's not. It's not as good. It's, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's definitely not as good. And a huge, a big part of it too even comes down to, I think you need to, no matter what, no matter how good you are and what you're doing, you need to practice whatever your song, whatever the song is, a lot for it to really, really be good. Because your, your throat is not like a, a guitar. You can't just play your guitar and it's like, uh, or oh, you can't, <laughs> you can't just scream and have it be fucking perfect. I mean, you can, like, yeah, I can do, a high scream or a low scream or whatever and make it sound just like all my other screams. But my point is, when I'm, you know, for like a new song that we're writing right now, the first couple of times that I do it, it's going to sound not weaker, but it might not sound as good. Like the flows might not be as as perfect or whatever it is. What well, I don't know how to describe it. But let's just say like for an example, if you took me doing vocals on a song now, like a new song, and then you hear me do it 10 months later. Obviously, I've really mastered that song, and it makes it 
difference on vocals. You will hear a big difference. And I don't know what it is. It's just kind of like a development, like a, you know, like a process. You kind of just get better and better and better at whatever you're doing. So it's just, you know, it, it just gradually builds, even without you kind of trying. You know, at band practice, you know, you may switch up a low scream to a mid scream and it sounds that much better. Or a low, I'll do a low scream, but then a couple months later I'll do that same low scream with a little bit more emotion or effort behind the lyrics or something. You know, I don't know what it comes down to, but there really are. There's, it takes a long time, I think, to, to really uh, get the stuff down. If you're first starting, I mean, there's no way anybody's going to get really powerful, good screams down for at least a year. You could, like I said, you could scream probably within a month, you know, whatever, maybe even shorter, who the fuck knows. But really, really get it, like, like you were saying, very powerful and like fucking awesome screams. It's going to take a while. And, you know, I tell that to all the people, I have a lot of people on YouTube who will ask me, you know, like when they see my vocal covers, you know, like, oh, well, how, do, how, how do you scream? How do you do this? Like, how long does it take? It, it really is, it's not something where, I mean, no instrument is really just you pick it up and do it. But uh, a lot of people think screaming is kind of like, oh, you just fucking do it. And then, you know, two, three months down the line, you're at that point. There's no way. Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah, I'm that was a great point. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the, your vocals, whether it's a scream or something even more melodic, um, it's an instrument, nonetheless, that you have to practice, that you have to develop, that you got to do over and over and over again, um, like anything else. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, that's that's really important. And people, I think, um, undervalue and underestimate screams, you know, when it comes to, like, death metal and all, all kinds of different metal. Um, but screams are an art all to themselves that are just as legitimate as, like you said, playing guitar, playing drums, bass, any sort of other style of singing using your voice. But screaming, man... It is not easy, and it is it is reserved for those who are talented in it, which you are one of those. And uh, it is not easy to really master. So it's totally legit, man. Yeah, I, I, I love it, man. I really do. Yeah. Uh, awesome. I mean, I, I, def, I enjoy the hell out of it. I mean, you know, I was just screaming earlier today. And nice. Yeah, nice. Already. How hard? I mean, you, you know, you do it... Um, and practice it a lot to get it right in the studio and to record it just right, which you did on the anatomy of execution. It, it was uh, amazing. Um, but how hard is that to replicate live? You know, um, gig after gig, and maybe some lulls in between gigs where you have time periods where maybe you don't play for a while, and then all of a sudden you have a gig and you have to do it again. How hard is it to sustain? that that strength in your vocals and sort of the consistency in that that's actually it's it's a really good question um because yeah behind the scenes uh screaming you know and stuff these kind of vocals i don't want to say it damages your throat i've never lost my voice besides the first week or two that i tried to learn how to scream uh you know and i i've never hurt my throat from screaming i've never you know like none of that but you do notice, uh, you know, I'll start out with the, the one thing you were saying. You do notice after playing some shows, uh, your throat will be a little bit, I, I want to say like hoarse, maybe, you know, just, just a little bit. Like after the show, you know, maybe I'd sound like I just smoked a whole pack of cigarettes or something. Mm -hmm. And it goes away. 
it's like I said, I've never lost my voice. I don't hurt myself. My throat never hurts. Like I could do a million screams and it would never hurt me. There's no way. I mean, once you do it right, you do it right. It's muscle memory. Mm. Uh, but yeah, after doing shows, it, it does, you will notice like, oh shit, like, you know, I, yeah, I went pretty hard that show. And then if you don't scream for a while, that's where you see it the most. If you go, uh, you know, let's say a month or two without doing it, you're going to notice it. it your, your throat is different than a guitar. You pick up a guitar, you play the guitar, and it's, it's going to withstand whatever kind of beating you, you put on it. It might break, you fucking fix it. Your throat, if you, you don't scream for a, a month or two, which I've done, I, I've taken a break like that, you know, and it's not fun because you come back, and you can still scream. You don't lose the, you know, like I said, it's muscle memory. I, you know, it just happens. I just do it. Right. it you know, it works. But uh, you'll, I'll notice. I can only do probably about like, let's say, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. If I, come, if I have a huge break like that, like a month break, two-month break, I can only do 20 to 30 minutes before I start getting angry with myself and saying, oh, those screams aren't good enough anymore. Because after a while, like if you... A 45-minute set or so, or an hour set, you will notice by the end of the set, like some of the screams that you're doing are not as powerful as the rest of them. And maybe that's just me. Maybe I just push really fucking hard at shows. But I would imagine, because I mean, people that I've talked to, and even people as good as, let's say, Frank Mullen of Suffocation, you know, he says his throat takes a beating from it. You know, um, so it does. You. It really does, you know. Um, if you take a long break, it's kind of hard to come off of that. You, I, I make sure that I, I never, I don't take breaks anymore. I never do. I, I refuse to do it because I don't want to lose it. I actually, I'm very like paranoid with keeping my vocals as perfect as they can be. So I got to make sure I'm always, you know, I'm always practicing. I always practice at least now, at least tw two to three times a week uh, at this point. Mm. And, you know, if we have a show, I might practice you know, only once or twice and then do the show because it still makes up for it then. Um, but yeah, I mean, screaming, it never, like I said, it never really, it never hurts, uh, you know, as long as you're still doing it the right way. Um, you don't lose your voice. You don't, like, damage your throat or anything. You know, like I said, maybe your voice may get a little bit hard or uh, hoarse or whatever. It might sound harsh kind of, but that's only for like an hour or two after the show, you know, and then go, you know, back to normal. That's it. That's uh, awesome. That's awesome. So. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, uh, wow. It, it just, uh, again, I, I've, I've, I've tried it and apparently I'm doing it wrong because I just, uh, man, and maybe it's because I'm an ex smoker. You know, I, I smoked for a lot of years in my life and I've probably done some damage to my lungs and vocal cords and stuff. So maybe, maybe I've done, yeah. you know, when I first when I first started screaming and stuff, I didn't you know I didn't smoke cigarettes or anything. I might have smoked some weed and stuff because you know I was like in high school and just having fun. Haven't but, we all? Yeah, that's yeah. But uh, and then eventually though, I did start smoking cigarettes, and I want to say for a time I actually thought it might have improved <laughs> some of the screaming. Really? Because, I swear to I swear I don't want to swear to God because I don't believe in God. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I do think it, it might have made a difference. Um, I'm just, I, and I'm, I might just be crazy, honestly. No, that's uh, that's uh, that's an interesting point because to me, 
it, uh, it and and again, I, I it just almost kind of sort of made me cough. More, yeah, you know. Thing actually, I can see I can see that aspect of it. And you know what's very we know it's not good though if you are somebody who smokes and you're trying to scream. Uh, you'll you you just won't be able to the fitness is just not there. You run right. out of breath. Because really, like you were saying, with with the power, uh, behind the power, it's really you need to push. You know what I mean? You need to push out. You know, you need to push out the air correctly, and you need to do it pretty hard. Mm. You know, that's really all it comes down to when it comes to the power is to pushing it the right way. You really got to push from your stomach more so and stuff. But um, yeah, for a while, I, I honestly thought that uh, you know, like when I was smoking, that it sounded better, kind of. But I really think I might have just been, you know, a little crazy. I don't know. What I thought, oh, well, it makes your throat a little gritty. And, you know, sometimes it gives you a little bit more mucus in your throat when you smoke. I, you know, I could go into all these weird little crazy things. That oh, yeah. Are like, oh, yeah. You know, and then after, at that point, I stopped smoking after that. And I didn't notice any huge difference or anything. But um, That's better overall just to go that route and just not smoke at all and try to go from there. Um, but what amazes me, you know, before we started recording, we were talking a lot about Pantera and, uh, you're a big Pantera fan. I'm a big Pantera fan. And, uh, you know, especially Phil, you know, uh, he, he's, he's an amazing, uh, guy, an amazing performer, Phil Anselmo. And, um, what is, uh, I think one of the, one of the intriguing things about him among many other things, but, uh, he is a heavy smoker. He smokes a lot. And uh, he still has that guttural scream that uh, he manages to belt out, um, and uh, just year- and you know he's been smoking for decades and decades and decades. I mean, you're still young, and uh, you know I'm I'm in my mid thirties, so I'm you know still sort of sort of young. But Phil is you know beyond both of us right now, and uh, he's been he's been doing it, man, for a long time. But he can still belt out some uh, some great vocals and. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe that has something to it. And you know, he's smoking a lot of other things. You know, not <laughs> just not just those cigarettes. But uh, you know, that's uh, that's cool. How much have have you taken sort of any uh, influence off of off of Phil um, as far as uh, the way he's sung? Because he he's very distinct. Um, I wouldn't call him a, a death metal singer. I wouldn't call him a, a th- you know he's almost a thrash singer with some some more almost traditional metal sort of roots in him he, he's really hard to classify but uh how influenced are you by by phil's vocals yeah you know he he definitely has like i would say not a very distant style of vocals compared to mine but they are you know they're they're pretty different and the only thing i can really think mostly that you know obviously you know like you know i love pantera i love his vocals they're awesome but what i work with if anything, is I, I kind of like like some of those high kind of screams that he does, you know, like those crazy, really high sounding like demonic kind of almost like screams. Oh, yeah. He did that. Um, you know, he did a lot of that on like Cowboys from Hell, but he sort of abandoned a lot of those really high screams, you know, especially in, you know, like we were talking about Far Beyond Driven. He didn't do any of that. And uh, since then, and I don't know if it's because he just sort of aged and maybe he just, couldn't, you know, couldn't hit those really highs anymore. But yeah. uh yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and his his energy too though definitely influences me too. He he was fucking insane on stage. I mean, maybe not he's younger. Oh my god, fucking guy's a fuck. I mean, 
let alone the fact he might have been high on who many, how many know, you know, how many fucking drugs. Yeah. But still, that's fucking awesome. He goes fucking nuts, man. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Pantera or even you know Phil and any of his other bands? Have you seen them actually live? Nope. Oh <laughs> man, that's I've seen. I I saw Pantera three times, um, which I, I'm so fortunate you know i consider myself just so blessed and fortunate to be able to have witnessed pantera live I, um too young at that point i mean i was probably in fucking seventh grade when you know when done when that happened so oh dude yeah i forget that man because uh you know like i said i'm like i'm, I'm 35 right now and i'm i just uh I just assume you're you're my age for some reason, even though I know you're not. But I just assume you know you've been through everything I have and and stuff. But uh, no, actually, and you're gonna love this, or maybe you'll hate me because of it. But the first time I saw Pantera was when they opened for White Zombie wow. uh, in the '90s, which was uh, unreal. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's something there's something special there. But you know, I talked about tangents, and of course, we've you know gone off on the whole Pantera tangent here tonight. And um, but I, I really wanted to talk about you and uh, Strychnia, of course. Um, but uh, you know, death metal—it's like uh, it, it sort of goes hand in hand with the whole horror thing, and the whole reason you know I'm I'm interested in bringing you on the show, uh, on the podcast. I'm a horror podcast, you know, for all intents and purposes. And a lot of music sort of is in that same vein, man. It's it's the horror things. You know, I, I talk about, you know, you had the zombie shirts and a lot of your lyrics are horror-driven. You know, they have that imagery there. So are you influenced um, when you write your lyrics by horror movies at all? Maybe things that you've, you've seen? Yeah, we do have... I didn't write... Um... A lot of the lyrics, actually, surprisingly, uh, as much. I mean, I guess some people, you know, whatever they have their preferences. I actually only wrote the lyrics to uh, "Vile Creation," "The Anatomy of Execution," and "Envenomation." Uh, everything else, you know, which was fine with me. You know, I had no problem with that. I kind of like it like that too because it gives it again with that unique kind of sound. You know, I would I would write lyrics and vocal flows. For these songs, my guitarist would do these and my drummer would do these. Uh, and it'd all be different, kind of, you know, and it was cool. It worked out. But, uh, but yeah, dude, definitely for all of us. I mean, I can tell you right off the top of my head, even not necessarily even movies, but even like kind of uh, stories, actually. Actually, that's probably not too much related to horror. <laughs> but <laughs> I actually wrote about some famous murders, you know, like Jack the Ripper and stuff, kind of. That that's stuff. Cool into uh the anatomy of execution the song and i know for a fact man our, our drummer uh for sure he watches a ton of old horror movies and stuff you know we go over his house you know back you know whenever we'd be chilling and stuff you know and we we would drink we'd smoke or whatever and we'd watch old fucking horror movies and stuff all the time so no doubt even if we're not writing oh you know like this song is dedicated to this movie mm -hmm. they're definitely they're definitely influencing some of the crazy shit that we come up with, you know? Nice, nice. What I mean, personally, what are some of your favorites? I mean, you've seen a lot of horror movies, I'm sure, over the years, and uh, some have affected you more than others. Uh, what What's the first horror movie that comes to mind that's maybe, you know, messed with you the most? What would you say? Night on Elm Street. I, I love Freddy, man. Freddy's the first one? It, it, like the original with Johnny Depp? and Freddy, Freddy is fucking awesome. Beautiful, beautiful. 
Yeah. Um, I can even think like, I don't really, I mean, I'm trying to think even more so like certain villains kind of that I like, certain fucking crazy people. I like Chucky actually too. Chucky's pretty fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, I do like the first uh, Child's Play. That's uh Yeah. That's I mean, it's, you know, progressively, I don't think they were as good, the, the recent ones they were coming out with or whatever. But uh, either, yeah, the first couple, Chucky's definitely really fucking cool. And then, um, you know what I really don't like, though? I don't know why I thought of this before anything I did like. I fucking hate uh, Paranormal Activity. I think it's the stupidest fucking movie in the world. Really? Are, are you a fan of, like, you know, there's this whole found footage thing, you know, Paranormal Activity, of course, is you know, just regular people with video cameras or else you're looking in security cameras or something to found footage, you know? Yeah. Are you just not a fan of that, that whole genre, subgenre, whatever? I guess you, you could maybe say that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but it, it's more of, I can't stand that they just show like all these different scenes throughout the movie. And it's kind of like, like I kind of, I, I like that eerie kind of, I like the, the paranormal activity part of it kind of that stuff, you know, they'll even scare the shit out of me sometimes. But um, I guess I'm just part not a firm believer of the whole ghost kind of thing. So it's a little bit too much of like, oh, well, that's just stupid. Like the door, they're just showing a shot and the door just closed. There's, you know what I mean? Or like, yeah. And it just, those movies, it just takes them the whole fucking movie just to lead up to one fucking, you know, to one yeah. point. That's, that's my biggest, like, you know, like pet peeve kind of with that series. I still watch them all, especially too, because my girlfriend likes them and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a that's a big uh, sort of important <laughs> thing you know, when it comes to movie watching. That's uh, what the yeah. significant other enjoys. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, what scares you about Freddy? I mean, why does Freddy scare you? And then maybe not some of this, uh, you know, paranormal sort of uh, uh, found footage stuff as much. I mean, why why Freddy above oh, all man, else? Well, I- I saw them when I was like, you know, the Freddy stuff when I was younger and stuff. So, it, you know, that was more like, oh, I'd have fucking like nightmares. Mm. <laughs> You're fucking, you know, like in your fucking nightmares and shit. So it's just, he, <laughs> I don't know, man. So I yeah. think it's because I was younger more so. But, uh, and not even too that I'm more scared of it, but like, I think he's more badass. I don't know. He is, I mean, they're, yes and no. Um, because, uh, I've seen some Freddy where he was really badass and he was really like, holy shit, I'm scared of this guy. But yeah. I've seen some Freddy where he is so goofy yeah, and so yeah, you're just like, man, you're stupid. Like, you know, they, uh, he, so he has those sort of moments. Um, it, it's tough with Freddy. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I don't know for me, man. I love zombies. I love zombies. Um, are, have you seen a lot of zombie movies? Um, I don't know about like. I mean, I've seen like probably just more recent ones, honestly, probably that I could think of off the top of my head. I mean, first of all, the first thing I'm thinking of is I fucking love The Walking Dead. Oh yeah, uh, good and, man. Good man. And I mean, I you know, like quarantine shit like that. Twenty eight days later, fucking whatever it was, something like that. You know, stuff like that. I've always liked the zombie stuff, but I never really, I don't think I followed it as much as, you know what I mean? As much as I, I end up liking it. Um, I'll tell you what else I like too, fucking playing the zombie mode in Call of Duty. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, who doesn't, man? It's awesome. It's great. <laughs> I just did that over Thanksgiving with my nephew, man. 
we, yeah, we we're just killing zombies and it was great. And, uh, but no, there are some really, really great ones. That, have you seen any of like the original, like Romero, like the Night of Living Dead from '68, or Dawn, or Day of the Dead? Any of those? Yeah, the original one, not the newer one. Um, I I've never heard of Romero. Um, no, there's probably there's probably a lot of still like like I was saying more so like with our drummer was more the one out of any of us probably, and yeah. maybe the. Maybe our guitar that we were gonna get in here too. He uh, he's probably also into the older, more you know, the older horror movies. I only came across older horror movies, you know, through them. If anything, you know, through hanging out with like my drummer, or you know, I've seen some too when I was a kid and stuff. But oh, yeah, yeah. Least since I am like younger, a lot of the recent stuff, which is not even that good. Sometimes I feel like there's a lot of shitty horror movies out these days, but. But yeah, I mean, anything, I, I should probably look into it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear what you have to say about some of these, because, man, going back, uh, there's some there's some great movies out there, but uh, I'm interested, being that you haven't seen them before and, and not even heard of um, a lot of uh, the movies I'm talking about, man, I, I would love to hear sort of your first impression of them, <laughs> and do they hold up to, uh, you know, guys like you, you know? And so... <laughs> That's very cool. But uh, maybe I'll send you a list, man. I'll send you... Get ready. I'll send you, like, this huge list, and you'll never be able to watch them all, I'm sure. But uh, I have this amazing list you could probably watch. But, uh, no, that's cool. That's cool, though, that, um, you know, at least... I don't know. It uh, It's so much, of course, when you watch them, how old you were, where you were, you know, um, when you saw these movies and how they affect you. It's uh it's really interesting, but uh man, man, it's uh it's uh definitely just a a crazy thing, but uh you've talked about a lot of your influences uh death metal wise, you know, we talked about suffocation and cannibal corpse has worked its way into our conversation a lot and you know, a lot of other really heavy bands, but I'm I'm interested to hear um maybe what you listen to or what you're um, influenced by outside of the metal genre. Um, maybe other things you listen to, and I don't know if you're going to want to admit a lot of this, but um, you know, what are some other bands that you listen to that you draw from that are oh. beneficial to you? Hmm. You know, that's see, if anything, that's a really good... I've never actually sat down and thought of what bands outside of metal could actually influence my vocals um but obviously i can tell you whether i know it or not i know for a fact all the music i listen to influences me to do what i do right uh, some bands that i listen to outside of metal though some of my more favorite ones i don't know if you're gonna know any of these bands but i will name <laughs> a lot of the bands that i actually listened to before i started listening to metal um before I get into them, yeah, probably before I started listening to metal is when I really listened to a majority of non-metal. And now, at this point in my life, pretty much, I listen to, you know, mostly metal and everything. And mostly the new stuff that I listen to is, is pretty much metal. Mm -hmm. But I stick to a lot of the older stuff that I listened to before I listened to metal, which was, um, I saw this band on Sunday night, um, Taking Back Sunday. Uh, yeah. You know, I 
do uh, let's see this band uh motion city soundtrack mm-hmm. uh, franz ferdinand uh holy shit man even when i was in fucking like fifth grade <laughs> uh, romance like i mean i probably get called an emo faggot for that now <laughs> well i i can't see you wearing skinny jeans or I, uh, I, yeah. skinny jeans in school for a long time uh it was yeah. i had like i guess you would call it, like skater look i i don't want to call People, I, or it's funny. My girlfriend actually said she, she's like, "Oh, you look like a scene kid back back in high school." And it's like, my God, I'm like, <laughs> I did not, I, like I was not aiming for that. Yeah. <laughs> I did not look like that. Trust me. I, I honestly, I can't say that I hate them because a lot of, I guess you could say, scene kids like our music. And hey, that's cool. You know, like whatever. You know, yeah. if you like, music, I don't care. That's awesome. You li- and everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Right. But. I would never want to be considered that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did wear tight jeans for a while. I actually do wear still like relatively tight jeans, but more so my style is more. I like to wear like kind of baggier shorts and wear some boots and shit like to fucking shows and have my fucking tattoos out and everything. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, I, I've seen uh, actually you know videos and pictures of you you know just recently here you know the past couple years and you've totally got the look, man. So. You are far from emo at, yeah. at this point, so that's that's cool. Yeah, but what were we what were we saying? Oh, yeah. So, so some bands outside of metal. Um, so there are some of those that I told you, and then I'm trying to think. Uh, I like the brand, the band. Holy shit! I mixed that up. The band Brand New. Um, I've never heard some, of them. I like dubstep. Honestly, I like a lot of dubstep, and oh, I like dubstep's cool. Yeah. Music. I love dancing with my girlfriend, so anything that'll get us dancing hey, and stuff, like exactly. you know, that's good. You know, techno, trance, whatever the fuck it is, I'll, I'll you know listen to some of that. Um, a lot, of it, but I, I like that dude Skrillex um, for dubstep. I like him. Uh, everybody, he was in like a scene emo band in the past, so everybody talks shit about him for being a fag. But uh, I mean, I don't give a fuck. I just like his music. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, when I go yeah. when I go uh, more on on the sort of techno end of things, um, I go really um, sort of German, um, you know, back to the, like a lot of the, because a lot of the techno sort of industrial things they come out of Germany, you know, a lot of German Austrian sort of influences are why you know we have a lot of what we have today as far as that goes. And uh, have you ever heard of Atari Teenage Riot? No, dude, check out check out Atari Teenage Riot. Um, the uh, the front man of that is a guy named Alec Empire, and uh, he's an amazing, amazing guy. But I, I I know you would totally dig Atari Teenage Riot. Um, they are just so anti, you know. They they're called uh, digital hardcore. Um, <laughs> very crazy, very crazy, and and uh, r- really cool. So I'd I'd love to hear what you have to say about Atari Teenage Riot. Um, but, uh, have a lot of, uh, of great songs, but, uh, it, it's cool that you're so influenced by, you know, you're not just, um, you know, you're like, ah, oh, I like Cannibal Corpse and Deicide and Suffocation and, you know, Obituary, Morbid Angel. And, you know, you're not just it's sort of tied to a lot of those bands. You, you know, you step outside of that a lot and you, uh. You listen to other things, are influenced by other things, which is important as an artist. Um, yeah, I 
actually, I, I don't know why I didn't mention. I listen to a, I like, I like a lot of fucking like classical rock and stuff. Just like even like fucking, I, I listen to a lot of like Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, you know, yeah. Bach, whatever, like all that shit. You know, like a lot of old stuff. Um, cause that's what my parents used to play a lot. You know what I mean? If they were playing music in the house or if we were going on car rides, I used to travel a lot when I was a kid. So, you know, whatever they played, I, I ended up liking kind of, yeah. and I like a lot of that stuff, you know, like it comes down to that. And then I'll listen to shit. I even like some rap, you know, I, I love Eminem. I love Notorious B.I.G. I love fucking Bob Marley, you know, like yeah. a lot of different stuff. I've had a lot of with music that I could go through. Honestly, I liked primarily certain genres for a while it kind of just went along you know i mean now i stick with metal pretty much but it's like i said i i still listen to a lot of stuff besides metal yeah uh, and then you know i actually i've done a lot of stuff too outside of just screaming um i've taken regular normal clean vocal lessons uh for six months i took normal vocal lessons uh, and I was covering shit like the like the Beatles and like fucking uh, John Lennon stuff, and you know nice. she would play the piano and I'd be singing to it. You know, you'd never think like a fucking death metal vocalist goes in and does normal singing lessons, but I kind of wanted to do it to uh, get the proper breathing uh, mm. pattern. And at the same time, I kind of I, I liked singing at the time too. I don't know, fuck it. I mean, you know, like it was still enjoyment to me. I actually used to play with one of my friends from high school, one of my best friends. He used to play acoustic guitar, and I would I would sing with him, and we would just you know, uh, you know, we'd sing to a big crowd of people around a fire or something at a you know, like we would just you know, we'd That's be awesome. the enter- like we would do that. So I can actually sing too on top of screaming. I don't like singing in my music because it's not really what I want to do in my music. Obviously, mm-hmm. it wouldn't fit our style at all. But if I wanted mm-hmm. to take I could go join a band and sing, but I don't want to. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff outside of metal that I listen to every day. I'm listening to all kinds of different stuff, but never just just. Metal. I mean, it's like I said, I'm most of the new stuff that I get into these days. It's it's really pretty much mostly metal. Hmm. Um, but if my girlfriend or somebody comes across some new song or something, or if I come across a new song, I'll listen to it. You know, but I mostly listen to uh, bands that I like from the past before I liked metal. That's most of the non-metal that I listen to. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, uh, that's really really cool though. I, I love that uh, you know you're willing to uh, go outside metal. You're not just uh, one of those guys that's just like if it's not metal, then it's not good music. You know, if it's not metal, it's not worth listening to. You know, you're uh, you're very cool about that. And, uh, yeah. I don't like it, honestly, when a lot of people are like that. I, I yeah. don't know. I just, I some, I just think they're close, you know, close-minded or whatever right. the word for it. Just because, you know, I mean, everybody listens to what they listen to. But I've had a lot of people, a lot of me- like, you listen to that or something, or you listen to that. Like, what the fuck? Like that shit's, you know, that shit's so gay or like it's fucking, <laughs> oh whatever. Like you know, and it's just stupid because it's. I don't understand how anybody could listen. How could you be a real musician or really be into music if you can only listen to one fucking style of music i just don't see how metal can always satisfy what you're trying to listen to right. it's like i told you, if we're at a party or something and 
throws on some Biggie or Eminem or something, sure, what the fuck? Like, that fits the vibe of the party. That's cool. I mean, I'll be a fucking too, but I'm just saying certain kinds of music that go with certain kinds of things. You know, if I'm smoking a blunt with my band in my van, we're going to maybe throw on some fucking, like, Pink Floyd. Who the fuck knows? Exactly. Exactly. You know, you just use different genres of music for different feelings and stuff sometimes. So that's why a lot of I really don't like that. I hate when people like are stupid and they're just, you know, oh what that that shit's stupid, you know, or whatever. You just listen to and they just listen to metal and I don't know. I mean, you know, that's cool if you do just listen to metal. I don't think there's that many people out there who admittedly or, or not no, who who are willing I can't explain. Yeah, it's more so just I don't think there's that many people out there that just listen to metal. I think a lot of people do listen to other stuff and sometimes yeah. it's just you know what I mean? Because everybody who listens to metal thinks they have to be some like tough macho, like, you know, like, oh, I only listen to fucking metal. I'm badass. Like, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, right on, man. That's, uh, no, very cool. Very cool. But, uh, dude, it has been great, man, talking tonight. And I'm, I'm sure we could just keep going on and on and on. Um, yeah. But, uh, man, nonetheless, dude. I love Strychnia, and everybody uh, out there right now listening needs to go check you out. Um, Of course, I'm going to have a lot of links up to uh, where they can uh, go and find your music and find out more about you, of course, on my website. Um, But, uh, man, it has been really, really cool hanging out tonight, man, and I I, I really hope we can do this again because I know, um, you know, hopefully... uh, some other members from the band can uh, maybe join us at some point and uh, we can uh, go over some more things about your music and what you do and man, what you got coming up because it's really exciting and I love, I love your sound and thank you so much. I'm going to play a song of yours on this show and uh, I really, uh, I I appreciate that uh, you've let me do that um, because I I think people are going to enjoy it and they're going to hear it and say, Hey, damn, we got to check them out because that's a that's a great band. So, thank you. Absolutely, man. It, it's a pleasure. Like I was saying from the beginning, it's a pleasure. Uh, you know, being on the show with you. That's that's just awesome. You know, we love doing this kind of stuff. I'm sure once you know once other people are available, we're definitely going to have to bring you know more some more band members in here and do it. You know, with a couple of us, and you know, you can shoot some questions at them and see what, what kind of things they got. You could probably get us all into a little disagreement too about some of the music stuff because I, I would bet love it. I would love it. I guarantee you. I guarantee <laughs> some of them would shit to say about the music I listen to. They used to have a they used to love looking through my iPod, trust me. Nice. I would love <laughs> it. Dude, that would be so much fun. I hope we can yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely get people in here. Yeah. Well everybody out there right now, check out Strychnia, of course, Facebook.com slash Strychnia. Um and uh Twitter.com slash Strychnia. And there are a lot of links in and so on. Uh, you'll be able to uh, check them out. But uh, Kevin, man, it has been a blast tonight, and uh, hopefully we can do this again. But uh, thank you once more for uh, really just chasing your passion and uh, doing what uh, I think you were called to do in this earth, and that's to make some great music, man, because I'm enjoying it. I know a lot of other people are enjoying it, and uh, I can't wait to hear what you got next, man. So let's do this again, brother. All right, man. Yeah, cool. Like I said, no problem. Thank you. And it was it was fun. All right. Good night, man. Good night.
Don't kid yourself. We don't use you for intelligent things around here. We have zombies that can do the things I ask of you in half the time. Now please leave. You're making me nauseous. Hi, welcome back to the show. Uh, very talented filmmaker and somebody I consider a friend. And that's Nadine L'Esperance. Nadine, welcome back to the show. Awesome. I totally love being here. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's great. And I totally love talking with you. As you know, it's uh, it's really, really cool um, that you're taking time and uh, just sitting down and chatting because we're going to have fun tonight. Um, I, I just I, I can't wait. This has been in the making um, yes. <laughs> for so long. And it's like every we were planning on like a Sunday to do this. And it's like every Sunday something seemed to have happened, you know, and yeah. uh Finally. And even tonight was actually in question because it's almost like, you know, I had some complications with my son and everything and and his yeah. craziness. And so I was running real late and I'm like, I got to make this happen. So I'm, I'm so excited. So uh, what's yeah. been going on? Um, Did you see my new little demo reel I made? I did not. Oh, man. And for the actress Lucy or actress, uh, aspiring actress, I guess you could say. Anyway, she uh, contacted me, I guess it was in September, because she wanted to get into acting. And she said, could you make a little film of me acting? So I was like, sure, why not? And then I totally forgot about it. And I think it was like a week before she was coming into town. She was all like, okay, so here's the story and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? Oh, my God, I totally forgot. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, uh, I was like starting to freak out. But she sent me a story and... Everything was sort of like on the fly and it was just, we got together for, for one night and we discussed what we were going to do. We didn't even have a location set then. And then the next morning I called a friend and she said we could use her house, but then that fell through. And then we found this, uh, her brother-in-law's uh, winemaking business and he's got a warehouse in the back. Nice. So she called him and he said, sure, come on over. And we shot this really short demo reel at his warehouse. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so that was pretty cool, but it's getting like this huge response that I actually really wasn't expecting. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to dig that up then. Is that did you post it on Facebook? Uh yeah, it should be on my wall and um awesome. it already got picked up for a festival next year. No way. <laughs> I know. All right. I wasn't even planning on doing anything with it. That's oh, kind man. of <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh, well, congratulations on that. That is so cool. I'll definitely watch that. And people listening right now, I'll put the, the link up whenever I uh, whenever I find it. And so that they can enjoy it as well. Because, man, man. <laughs> yeah, it's just a three-minute demo reel. So, but it's it's spooky. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, I'd expect no less. Yeah. Uh, so. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah. So, and like I said, I'm, you know, we're friends on Facebook. And it seems like you're yeah. just doing all kinds of stuff. You know, you're... You're always posting something cool about some, you know, somewhere you are or um, something you're involved in. So you're, you seem to really be keeping busy. <laughs> yeah, and then add the full time job on that. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. yeah. Sleep is optional, you know. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not enough time in the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh, awesome, awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And um, now, the last time we talked, uh, which wasn't long ago, actually. Well. No, actually, ago, it just seemed that we just seemed to be bouncing back and forth a little bit. There, yeah, but. yeah. And the last time we talked, you mentioned two movies, and you're like, "Well, you've seen these movies, right?" And I'm like, "No, no, I haven't." And you were just, uh, I think, very surprised. I was like, yeah. "Oh, really?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, literally, the, I think it was—I don't, I don't know if it was the night right after 
um, I got off the Skype call with you. I like got on Amazon and I'm like, I'm ordering both of these right now. And, yeah, you uh, did. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I got a great deal on them, uh, luckily. But uh, let, let's just uh, go into it. Um, the first one, we'll start with the older one. Um, this is from 1980, The Changeling, um, which I've heard about a lot just being in the horror community because people always talk about this and how scary it is and great yeah. movie to see. So um, uh, I'll just give kind of a, a brief overview. Uh, it's actually it, it's fairly simple. Um, without giving too much away, I mean, do you want to spoil this thing, or because there are some, there are some surprises. <laughs> yeah, well, considering the age of it, yeah, I'm true. Sure, you know, I'm pretty much the only one that hadn't seen it, you know, up until <laughs> recently, I think. So uh, I don't think we can really spoil it. Um, <laughs> but no, there's this guy who, um, his wife and and uh, what was it, a son or a daughter? I can't remember if he had a son or a daughter, but his wife and child got killed in this really freaky weird accident they're up in the mountains they're at this snowy place and all of a sudden this this van or whatever just comes barreling out of nowhere and yeah. runs over his wife and kid um so he's a he's a he's a writer i guess and so he just kind of moves away and he, he uh, starts renting this really old house somewhere and uh some weird things start to happen some spooky things a lot of sounds and and, uh, you know, your whole, uh, the, the regular supernatural kind of stuff, you know, that you would expect. And uh, it ends up that uh, he, he goes digging into this and he finds out that the family that lived there previously, uh, the father had a son who was, um, he was an invalid. He was like crippled or something like that. And uh, the father was ashamed of this because um, he was afraid that uh, that the son um, wasn't going to live long enough to uh, get the inheritance because they were fa a fairly well-off family. And so he actually drowned his son in the bathtub in the attic. And then he took off for Europe for a while. He didn't tell anybody about his son uh, dying or anything, of course. Took off for Europe, came back with another boy from Europe and said, oh, this is my son. You know, I did some weird European, uh, you know, medicine on him. While I was over there, and he is better, and he's a perfectly normal, uh, well-adjusted young lad. And so it is this boy that then inherits uh, the estate. And uh, it's that boy that uh, grows up to be the senator in this town, where wherever this big old spooky house is. And, and so it's basically the spirit of the boy who was drowned in the bathtub uh, up in the, the attic who is sort of haunting the place and he needs the story to be told. And that's why he's coming back and he's causing all these spooky things to happen. Um, but I just love the way this develops, the way things are unfolded and you discover things. Um, yeah. This was so great. So great. So, um, you know, this is, this is a movie that uh, I, I take it as one of your favorites. And, uh, well, it's and a definite favorite of mine. I mean, I saw it in uh, high school, I guess it was this, uh, friend of mine, Darren, is actually pretty funny. He's like, oh, have you ever seen this movie? Like, he introduced me to a lot of, like, you know, weird movies all the time. But uh, and I was like, no. So we watched it. And it was, like, so funny. I was just like, oh, wow. Because ghost, ghost movies, like, you know, they're kind of freaky because, you know, are ghosts real? You know, it's kind of like the whole, yeah, it could be true. Yeah, this could always happen. You know, like, it's just spooky in general because i believe in ghosts oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so in, in general and then after we watched it he used to like you know be at school and he'd be like joseph you know like <laughs> oh, man. it was really like totally bizarre but just the way that this is filmed and done i mean there really isn't a lot of dialogue and it's just so 
impacting like the feeling that he's getting from like this little dead boy kind of thing and he didn't seem really that scared he he just wanted to find out what was going on yeah yeah i like that <laughs> oh yeah yeah and this is uh, george c scott uh, yeah. who's, who's the lead, which, you know, he's, he's a legend and does the role fantastic. I guess his wife at the time uh, played opposite him. Um, I can't remember her name in the movie, but she was the, uh, what, the, the real estate agent um, yeah. who was leasing out the house to him. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, man. But uh, yeah, everything about this movie I, I thought was done really well, um, just the way it was shot. And I just loved all the music and just yeah. this big old spooky mansion. And the camera, you know, the cinematography was fantastic. I loved the the way they used the different angles and the camera movement. Um, I was almost getting sort of an Argento kind of feel in that oh, regard. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hanging of the tub, like, was freaky all the time, too. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that's, a, you know, the whole movie is just about atmosphere and just being freaked out. Um, because yeah. it's not necessarily gory or... Um, you know, it doesn't have, you don't see spooky ghosts and things like that. Um, it's just more about what is going on here. I'm, it's creeping me out and you got to figure it out, you know? So it's, it's like part horror movie. It's sort of part like suspense thriller kind of thing where, exactly. yeah, you just want to find out what's going on. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the atmosphere, you know, the, the sound effects throughout, you know, we have the storm and. And, uh, and just seeing all the, the trees, the dead trees, just waving in the wind and the blowing leaves. You know, I, I actually watched this on Halloween, and I made a note of that, which, again, reminds me how, how long ago, you know, I was watching these. But yeah. um, this was a great Halloween movie. It was perfect. Oh, it was like my official Halloween movie this year. And the creepy little uh, wheelchair. Yes. Oh, man. Because that's on the cover of the movie, of course. And, yeah. of course, that part isn't revealed. For a while, you know, you, you see a lot of this movie before you're like, oh, well, what, what does a wheelchair have to do with any of this? And then as you find out more about the boy, um, then it totally makes sense. And especially at the end, you know, the, the yeah. wheelchair scene. And the seance, that was a freaky scene, too. I but... loved the seance scene. <laughs> I know. That was awesome. That was awesome. The lady with the writing, you know, the classic. Oh, yeah. On the paper, blah, 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 blah. That was awesome. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Yeah, but I think one of my favorite seance scenes um, in general. Um, so, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, like I said, the the performances, even the senator. I love the senator in this. Oh, I know. Uh, he was weird, eh? <laughs> he was so weird, and you knew something was up with this guy. You I know. <laughs> the whole time, and you're like, man. This whole and everything, you know. Where'd you get this? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh. Uh, yeah. Just just a brilliant film. So I recommend everybody out there right now, if you haven't seen it, which you probably, everybody probably has. And like I said, I just, yeah. man, man, you know, finally 32 <laughs> years after the making, I finally see it. <laughs> but even if you have seen it, you should watch it again. Because like, oh, yeah. I didn't see it for a long time. I mean, I have it and stuff. And then I rewatched it just, you know, so that I can get back up to speed and remember details about it. But yeah, it, totally enjoyed it watching it like again i mean i've probably seen it like five times but i mean that's been throughout the years and everything but yeah. it's definitely watchable more than once <laughs> i could see that because i'm actually really excited to go back and and look at it too just uh as far as the whole um filling in some more of the blanks of the story because of course yeah. you know you're you're piecing stuff together and i think the second time through and just you know being that i know now what's going on 
uh, it's going to be really cool. But uh, just to experience that again, even though I do know what's going to happen, it's yeah, like exactly. I just like being creeped out like that. You turn out <laughs> all the lights, man, you know, and put this on. And it's it's brilliant. It really is. And um, yeah. And then you pay more attention to what's going on in the background too, more like, uh, you know, watching stuff or seeing how different reactions between two characters rather than focusing on the story and what's going on. You could just watch kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because I know that this film is made so well that I know that there are those nuances there that I'm sure I missed a ton of just on the first viewing. Um, and so to go back and that's what I love doing with a lot of movies that I really enjoy is going back through them again and again and again, and, uh, just trying to pick up on something, you know, instead of looking at the lead guy who's, you know, doing most of the dialogue in this scene, maybe I'm going to look at the other guy that's kind of behind him and sort of yeah, how his okay. face is, you know, how his, uh, reactions are and, and what he's doing. And, and, uh, because everything is, you know, generally in, in most of these really good movies, everything is there and done for a reason. And yeah. uh, it's really cool to pick up on that and try to figure it out, you know. Putting together all the subtleties and then you're like, oh, now it all makes sense. You know, like you can catch all these clues that you didn't catch before. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Brilliant film. Um, and of course, you know, we mentioned the ending, but it, this has such a big, fiery, crazy ending. I <laughs> loved it. You know, it's it's just like the whole place just goes up in flames. It's spooky. It's it's insane. And, um, you know, somehow he survives through all of this, even though he's almost pummeled over by the uh, the chandelier. Like, <laughs> I knew that chandelier was going to come down at some point because oh, that yeah. thing was swinging. Yeah, and totally. yeah, but uh, it's <laughs> but this just poor guy in general, though. I mean, oh, yeah, his family. And then he's got this big house and then he's got this child ghost. I mean, it's just poor guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, just things aren't going his way. <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah i mean just i guess putting that you know putting myself into his shoes if you know all of a sudden god forbid you know my family died and i'm like i just got to move away you know that's a traumatic enough experience to to lose somebody you know especially in a you know a random you know van <laughs> plowing over incident you know exactly and he saw the whole thing too so that's you know it was right in front of him yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah but, saw it too <laughs> He did. Uh, yeah, it's uh but an interesting thing about this is you you see it happen theoretically. I mean, you you actually see this happen that I think they cut to like an aerial more of an aerial view yeah. of of uh the whole scene as that happens. And uh the way they do it, you don't see any blood, you know, you don't see them getting squashed under the tires or anything like that. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, it's they, just yeah, <laughs> it's almost like this could have been, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't catch what the rating was on this, but this could have been like a TV movie almost um, just because it really doesn't like there's no sex. There's no gore um, no. language. I, mean, I I don't even remember if there's much language in it. Um, yeah, I wonder what it was rated. It must be PG. <laughs> it had to have been because it's, uh, you know, it's one of those one of those movies that, uh, you know, had so much more going for it. It didn't have to do that. You know, which is really cool. I, I totally love and respect movies like that. that yeah. They don't have to. I don't, I don't even know if we see any blood. We see some bones and stuff because he digs up some bones, which is a really cool uh, yeah. kind of scene that goes on there where he digs down into that well. Um, yeah. No way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that was kind of random. And again, I, I would love to go back and, and just sort of follow things a little bit better. Um, yeah. Because him going to that house and digging in the, in, you know, down into the well and finding the bones like yeah. that, that was like 
kind of random to me. Like, how did he know to do that? And again, yeah. I, I might have missed something, but... Um, and then know, with was, the metal coming up through the dirt like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that, actually. <laughs> that was cool. Because, you know, they, they shot it, and it's a total, you know, old school film trick where you shoot something in reverse. You yeah. Know, and then you, you reverse it back. So the thing coming up, and you could, you could tell it was done that way, but it was still cool. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> you know, and I, I love that effect. And if you do it right, you know, you, of course, I'm a film geek, and I, I do, you know, some some you know video and film stuff myself so yeah, I, exactly. I know the tricks you know a lot of them and i they stick out to me but uh i don't think a lot of people would catch that but that is very spooky um and, and yeah. among a million other spooky things in this film um i'm so glad i'm so glad i saw this man yeah me too <laughs> yeah yeah so thank you the the changeling it's uh you know a definite definite recommend go out and see it or re-see it like we said, or because, see it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. So, um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about, about, uh, this film that, uh, I think we've covered quite a bit on this film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, this was a fun one. Very thorough job. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's move on, uh, to, uh, the next movie that you recommended. And I had not heard of this at all. Um, and you brought it up and I just, I had to look it up and, it was getting some great reviews. It uh, won some awards at festivals and stuff. It's uh, it, it is an independent film, but this is from 2008, and yeah. this is Otis. <laughs> wow, wow! This is it, it's so different than the Changeling, <laughs> like in pretty much every way imaginable, other than you know there's horror involved, you know to some extent. But um, do you want to give a, a kind of just a a rundown? Of what this movie's about because it's insane. Um, <laughs> it is insane. It's like, um, I guess this guy he basically kidnaps girls and blonde girls, and he locks them up and makes them call themselves Kim, makes them ready for the prom, makes it up for this big evening that's gonna happen, and blah blah blah, and. So basically what happens is this uh, one girl, she escapes, her family finds her, they find the address, and then they head to the kidnapper's house. <laughs> <laughs> what happens from there is just like... <laughs> oh my, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I don't know, should I spoil it? <laughs> I don't know, this one, it's it's a little bit... Uh, more of a question, I think, because it's newer and, yeah. you know, probably a lot of people out there haven't seen this. Um, right. But let me say, I was, I had no idea this was going to take that turn um, <laughs> once they get to the house, because I'm watching this and I, I'm i like, okay, this is cool. I was enjoying it. And I, I pretty much thought I had it pegged. And then I, you know, I felt like I knew where the movie was going and I'm like, okay, you know, but... I was not prepared for this this thing that happens, and it, it just comes totally out of left field, and is so brilliant. Um, I was I was horrified, yet I was laughing. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's really weird is like I think I I like this film because I could see myself as that mother. 
<laughs> yes, yes. Like, totally. <laughs> like, if that was my kid, yes, I, I could see that in me. And, like, I was watching this and I'd be like, wow, this is kind of freaky. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah. with my my two daughters, of course, I would probably do the same thing. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I understood it and I saw the, the humor behind it, too. Like, I mean, it was great. And they, they all did such great acting jobs. Like, the parents were hilarious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh my god. And and the cool thing is uh the comedy was put in there. It made it really really fun, but it was never to the point where it's just like a groaner where you're just like that was yeah. that was just so stupid. Why did they have to put that in in an otherwise horror movie? Um like they they wove it in so well. And yeah, it wasn't it was um First it went, and some parts they were just, like, horrifying. Like, you know, when she gets kidnapped and, like, stuffed in the trunk, you're just like, that That was kind of this creepy element, the way they filmed that, too. And then the parents come out and, like, everything, and everything's all fine. Like, they, they went up and down with different feelings in, in this movie, I found. Yeah, because it started off, you know, Otis, of course, is he's keeping these girls in this crazy, um, just... grungy, weird room that he's kind of rigged up where there's a bed... And uh, they're kind of chained to the floor. And whenever they misbehave, you know, he's, he's watching them on video camera. He has all these video cameras mounted in the room. And uh, he's watching them from his, you know, secret lair, you know, wherever he is elsewhere in the house. And every time they, you know, do something, if they're defiant or anything while he's trying to talk with them over this microphone, um, he has this enormous bank of, like, light bulbs that uh, is above the bed, and he turns it on, and it produces so much heat just from, I mean, there's got to be hundreds of light bulbs up there. Yeah, exactly. And he's he's basically, like, cooking them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And it gets, like, you know, like, that whole, like, sick point of him. Like, he's sick. <laughs> like, he's sick, but he's, you know, he's kind of, he's sort of goofy, you know? It's, yeah, at the same time. Like, the way his brother treats him, too. Oh, yeah. That's just like from one extreme, like, like I'm taking it out on the victim, but my brother's like, you know, treating me like shit. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And it's just so like another opposite personality kind of thing. And, and it, oh, I don't know. I'll say this spoiler. Isn't that sick? I think his brother's wife is Kim. Yeah. I was, (laughs) I, I couldn't believe that when I heard it. Um, About, was it she, he caught caught sniffing her underwear? Or <laughs> Just I mean, as the movie goes on, things get weirder and weirder and weirder, like that. Like they use uh, sex not in the subtle way; they actually come out and say it. Oh yeah, as to some movies that you watch where you're like, oh yeah, you're gonna get it, but this one goes right out and says it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's uh, just. Uh, <laughs> Man, an amazing, an amazing film, and and the way that uh, you know you're talking about the different um, sort of aspects of his different relationships, you know, where his brother treats him one way, and then he goes and he acts things out, you know, with these girls and and the family and everything. I just love the uh, the depth of character, especially in Otis, that we see yeah. because you know, you know, there's um, there's been something in the past, you know, having to do, of course, with Kim, and then this whole obsession he has with you know, taking this girl to the prom. And yeah. so, you know, there's some sort of weird, you know, uh, high school 
sort of uh, trauma going on there. You know, he was probably, you know, one of the kids picked on in high school. You know, the jocks and the football players all probably, you know, picked on him, yeah. beat him up, bullied, bullied him. And he probably <laughs> yeah. never got to, he, well, I would say definitely never got to go to the prom because, of course, he's this big, ugly, you know. <laughs> Sweaty mess. Yeah. And so he, he acts all this out. Uh, on the girls, um, of course, he's. <laughs> I just love the scenarios he sets up in his basement. You know, <laughs> like know. makes him dress up like a cheerleader, and then he comes up in all his football pads, and he kind of puts his leg up on the bench, and he's like, "Hey, How's babe, yeah, did you see that catch I made? <laughs> Over the shoulder, I didn't even look. Yeah." <laughs> and then in the car scene too, with That's... like the film in the back going. <laughs> just. You know what, though? What she did was a brilliant idea. Yes, yes. Before anything nasty could happen, that was brilliant. I was like, wow, you're smart. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, she's one of these, um, you know, in a lot of horror movies, we see either, you know, things that these uh, victims do that's either really stupid or else just really unbelievable. Um, But I think what she did was so smart and it was so cool. Um, I, again, I didn't question anything that she did or why this was written into here or or any of her motivations or anything like that. Like this was, she, she, she brought his guard down basically. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, performances, um, I really like this guy that the guy that played Otis, um, he hasn't done a whole lot. uh, Intro film. Yeah. And this is his first one. He was awesome. Yeah, no way. Yeah. I wonder if he's in anything else. I don't know. I looked him up, and I think there might be one or two other things, but nothing, uh, you know, nothing much at all, which is surprising because he's, I think, a really, really good actor. Um, and it's kind of, actually, it's kind of surreal whenever you look him up on IMDb because he has a, actually a, a really nice shot of himself yeah. uh, on IMDb, and he looks nothing like the sweaty, <laughs> like disgusting, nasty character. In yeah. This room. And yeah. what 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 did you think of the cop? Oh man. <laughs> there was I, there was another I, sort of a comedic attitude towards him too. And that guy was just that. hilarious. But he was also the biggest douche ever. <laughs> he was the most incompetent um, investigator I think that I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> but he thought so much of himself. Uh, like he, he was, he was the man in charge, man. He was, he was there to get it done. And he took credit for so many things, which is hilarious. Like as things happen and things develop, like he was actually more of a hindrance to the whole investigation than he was an actual help. Um, (laughs) but, uh, just things that happened along the way and he would just sort of, you know, act as though he was the reason that this was figured out or this was revealed or something like that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, but I loved him. I like it. You know, on a level, I, I, I hated him. Yeah. But at the same time, I loved him as a yeah. character. <laughs> Brilliant. Exactly. Another one of these things, this movie is so good in that, I mean, it's making me feel sort of like these opposite sort of uh, emotions and reactions all at the same time. Yeah. You know, like I'm horrified, but I'm laughing, you know, and man, I hate this guy, but man, but I, I, love love, guy. I love watching this guy. You know? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, it takes you up and down like all the time through this film and you get a good laugh and next thing you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's just awesome. Oh, Definitely yeah. Awesome movie. And it, that whole twist with like the family and stuff. That's just... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> you got to watch this movie the whole way through. And, you know, if you start watching this, um, it almost comes across as it might be, you know, going towards a torture porn kind of thing where it's just yeah. like this, this kid who's just taking out, of course, all these, all these traumatic experiences in his past. He's just taking these things out on innocent girls, which is sure that's part of it, but it's by no means torture porn at all. Um, no. There's, there's a lot of violence that we see in it, especially <laughs> in the scene with the family going to the house. You know, yeah. I, I can't say much more about that because it's a, it's an awesome twist. An awesome <laughs> <laughs> I like oh my God. Put it back together. <laughs> <laughs> But you have super glue. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's yeah. just brilliant yeah. the whole way around, and uh, and then at the end, remember near where they found the Kate. end, <laughs> the end, both with um, how the investigator, <laughs> yes. um, it, it, it you know speaks with the family about this whole incident, um, yeah. that whole reaction, and then <laughs> the very last thing that you see before you roll credits, yeah, which. It totally leaves you guessing. You're like, oh my God, you're ending the movie like this. It's great. It's actually a fantastic ending. It's like a genius idea. Like yes. <laughs> I don't have enough good things to say about this. Um, Without spoiling it too, eh? Yeah. Like, you, you could like talk about this forever. <laughs> I could. I could. And this is, I, I so want to want to spoil it, but maybe... Maybe we'll wait for a while here and then uh, maybe revisit this. And, and once maybe a few more people out there have, have had a chance to see it. Yeah, uh, exactly. But I, I like how all the pizzas were 1984. Yes. You know, now that you say that, you're right. And I didn't pick up on that. And did he, why would he, why was he stealing gnomes? Was that like his audience for when he was, you know, making his little scenarios like the football game and the car and the, the dance floor? And he always had all those gnomes everywhere. You're right. Oh my god! Like again, I have to go back and watch this, and I gotta, I gotta pick up on these things. Well, I've seen this one quite a few times, so <laughs> I noticed all the little stuff at the end, like a bunch of times. And you know how I came across this movie? It's really funny because um, <laughs> both my kids, whenever we go looking for DVDs, it's they like to go look for stuff for me, mm. and it's kind of like a competition. <laughs> Cool. Who can find mom the coolest movie? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Which is really funny because like my older daughter came up and she's like, oh, check this out. You totally like it. And I just bought it just because looking at the DVD cover. Mm. And I was like, oh, this looks cool. Okay, sure. Why not? You know, <laughs> and it turned out really awesome. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But that's what my kids do. They'll like look for stuff for me, which is totally hilarious. <laughs> you have the coolest kids in the world. Wow. so yeah it's pretty funny <laughs> wow oh that's great yeah but uh, uh one other thing um actually you know I, I could keep going on this but i was really happy to see um what's his name he was in have you seen uh dance of the dead dance of the dead it was no. actually it was put out the same year as this it is an awesome awesome zombie movie um really? yeah cool. it's it's like a zombie comedy but it's it's totally awesome um, it's not your normal, you know, a lot of zombie comedies turn out to be just cheesy and weird. Um, yeah. but this one does it right. Um, but, uh, the brother in here who played Reed, who was this yeah. total, like the, like the stoner kid. <laughs> and he was, I loved his character yeah. too, because he just didn't, he didn't care. He just did he not care. He a mom so much. It was totally awesome. Yeah. 
but he plays the lead in Dance of the oh. Dead. Oh, and, cool. And I, I, I No, absolutely. And actually, that's my challenge for you. The next time we talk, I would love to talk with you about Dance of the Dead. Sure. So, uh, yeah, pick yeah. it up. I, I, I'm not sure if it's on Netflix streaming. No, I might... I don't know what I'm talking about, actually. I'm not sure. But uh, it's it's definitely available. And uh, yeah, I, I would love to hear what you have to say about Dance of the Dead. I think you will enjoy it. Oh, totally. I totally want to see that. Yeah. Totally but it, it's interesting. Like I said, it was a 2008 film, uh, which is the same year as Otis. And this guy was in both. This uh, Jared Kusnitz. Or Kusnitz, whatever. Oh, is that his name? Let's yeah. See. Yeah. I got the DVD right here. Yeah. Kusnitz? Yeah, yeah, something like that. But uh, I, he's a great actor. I love his character, of course, in uh, in this. Oh, and, so funny and, too. Oh yeah, oh, th- <laughs> this whole family is just so screwed up on so many levels. And um, the dad is the the scared freak, which is totally yes. like weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, it's your instinct. This is your daughter. <laughs> <sighs> just. Uh, so brilliant. And again, I, I can't wait to go back and rewatch this um, because I was so pleasantly surprised, so shocked so many times. Um, just brilliant. <laughs> and something that we haven't touched on is the awesome soundtrack. Oh, right. Oh, my oh, God. The- I actually went so far um, and I, I'll uh, try to post this. I mm-hmm. made a YouTube playlist. I actually looked up each of these songs on YouTube. And uh, I made a playlist that follows the the soundtrack. And uh, we have, uh, you know, Venus, you know, the original uh, uh, um, recording of Venus by uh, uh, Shocking Blue, actually. Oh, really? Did this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The the real old one. Oh, yeah, yeah. The original. Um, The Talking Heads is on there. Um, Blue Oyster Cult and the (laughs) B-52s and Devo and all these great bands are in it. And I'm just like, man, this is a great, great soundtrack. So I made a playlist, like I said, on uh, on YouTube because I just enjoyed it so much. Um, (laughs) You know, for an indie film, that's impressive. I mean, these are big time songs. Yeah, exactly. They, uh, I'm sure they paid a pretty penny just for just for that. And uh, and also one thing we didn't touch down was that uh, Otis is a pizza guy. Oh yeah, yeah, we we <laughs> left that out. Um yeah. He's just a regular old pizza delivery guy. Yeah. And you know, just the fact that he's living such an alternate life and his brother knows nothing of all this and what he's doing in that house, it's just like wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he delivers pizzas and then he has that awesome sort of phone <laughs> thing rigged up um that he wears yeah. on his head. <laughs> in the car too. Yes. I love it. <laughs> And he, he's just, again, such an interesting character. Um, and they don't fill in the entire backstory. Like I was saying, I mean, there's obviously things that I gathered and assumed. Between him and his brother, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they they don't, like, there are no flashbacks in this. They don't just try to feed you the entire backstory's entire past. Uh, it's just sort of revealed through these weird conversations and and the things that he does and you just sort of assume and you you piece together in your mind what yeah. Otis has been through it, <laughs> before this and in his childhood. And uh, yeah, it's <laughs> and it's kind of funny how like just like from what the cop said, how the story unfolded. If he didn't come out of the hospital room and said, yeah, she was raped. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah, there's just so much, uh, so much awesomeness here. I know. This is worth and, a buy. Yeah, and that's where it all came from, basically, kind of thing. Was just the whole, and they weren't even sharing info with the cops too, which was totally cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they they had their own thing going. They they wanted their own sort of revenge too, you know, which which of course. <laughs> We get more into, but uh, it's, yeah, yeah, oh. we can't spoil that because that's just way too awesome. <laughs> right, right. Oh man! So, thank you, thank you so much, um, man. Like I said, I I trust your judgment on film so much that I went out and bought these right away, having no idea really what they were about, and it totally paid off. Totally paid off. Well, for the changeling, I guess you uh, trusted my uh, high school friend's judgment, and for Otis, you trusted my daughter's judgment. <laughs> hey, that just goes to say that you surround yourself with awesome people, and your kids are awesome as well, and so that just makes you automatically awesome, and, and your uh, your taste in, in films is just fantastic. And I hope I don't disappoint you with with Dance of the Dead, although I, I don't think oh, I will. Oh, sure it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, being right. that... Uh, you know, we've we've talked about a lot of movies now, and uh, so I think I think I know what uh, what you enjoy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, man, man. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Um, you know, now uh, you're you're now Blue Girl Productions. Yeah. Um, and uh, you were were uh, Blue Girl Films, and it's now Productions. And is that because you're sort of? I mean, you're you're it's... doing stuff. You're not just doing doing feature films and short films. You're sort of doing other. Yeah. Productions. It's a little more broad. Yeah. Like, I mean, I also do, like, uh, I've done photo shoots now, too. Oh, cool. And uh, I'll have an upcoming photo shoot with a local punk band. And just, like, you know, I did the shoot with Lucy and this um, friend of mine. She uh, she does counseling. I did some headshots for her, too. So, I mean, it, it extends itself. But also, too, there was... Um, <laughs> A lot of people from India were contacting me thinking I was a porno company. <laughs> oh, man. Because <laughs> Blue Films was the, 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 the what they called old porno. Oh. <laughs> my, my friend, actually, Jonesy, he, he, he worked in a porno shop. And he, said, he, and he mentioned that before. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, whatever kind of thing. But, you know, <laughs> when you get contacted by <laughs> worldwide perverts that's a little weird so. wow yeah so i changed it up <laughs> that's smart yes so yeah. now that's actually uh stopped so that's good man that's yeah. uh... <laughs> it, it's so weird you know? <laughs> yeah oh my yes. gosh yeah. but uh no but like I said, I'm gonna have links up for uh, for everything you do as usual. I know I know a lot of people that listen are you know of course uh, keeping up with you as well and are friending you on Facebook and just seeing what you're doing. It's uh, really really cool. But uh, man, man, let's do this again. Let me know uh, whenever you watch. Yeah, uh, we have to do Dance of the Dead. For yeah, sure. yeah, that uh, that'd be great. But uh, Nadine, as always, this has been great. What's your website for uh, for uh, Blue Girl? Um, that's the still same, uh, it's still, let me see, actually, <laughs> it's still bluegirlfilms.blogspot.ca. I still have to fix all my website up a little bit, but awesome. still the same. Yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'm bad at making websites and all this like blog stuff. I'm horrible at it. 
Oh. <laughs> I'm sitting there trying to do stuff, and I'm like, um, what did I just do? How do I undo that? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's cool. I mean, there there's stuff up there to find out more about you and what you're doing. And, uh, of course, I'll put up your Facebook links and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. sounds good. And my, my new link's on uh, YouTube. For, oh, yeah, uh, awesome. Demo Reel. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so awesome. Yeah. It's been another fun night, and I wish we could do this, like, all the time. <laughs> no kidding. You know, we still yeah. do. Oh, dude, we still have to do that beer thing, too. I forgot about that, and I'm so bummed you you uh, you sent me over a beer. You're like, oh, man, do you, can you get this? And yeah. um, I had seen it in the store um, several times. I, I'm not sure whether I ever picked it up or not. But uh, right after that, um, I went out to the store to actually go and look and pick it up. And it was it was more of a seasonal beer. It was like a pumpkin beer at yeah, the time, a- yeah. And right then you're just kind of at the tail end of that season, um, yeah. Because it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly the pumpkin beers just like fall off the face of the earth after Halloween. Um, I only got two tries of uh, pumpkin ales this year, though my absolute favorite every time was sold out, sold out, sold out everywhere. And it sucked because I didn't even get one t- this year. Oh, man. But I did try some new ones, which are pretty good. Awesome. But it's generally bummed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of pumpkin beers. I uh, I really love them. And my favorite of all time, and I'm not sure if you can get them out there, it's from a New York brewery, Southern Tier, um, called the Pumpkin. Oh, no, you told me about that. Oh. That sounds good. It is the king <laughs> of pumpkin beers. It's... Uh, is it? We'd have to put a challenge on that because you know you have to taste my favorite one. I will. Oh, <laughs> we'll take the pumpkin beer challenge here. We'll, uh, take the pumpkin beer challenge. But I think it's like we got to wait another year now for I know. those to all come out again. And I know. We'll have to get on and jump on that earlier in the year next year, though. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll have to like hunt every liquor store in Vancouver. Oh yes, yes, and. Uh, Oh, but uh, no, definitely because you know we talked about this before, just how how much of a, a beer connoisseur you are, and you can probably just, <laughs> like totally you know talk me under the table, you know, so to speak, <laughs> as far as beers go, because I enjoy beers. But when it comes down to really being um, knowledgeable about, oh, when I taste this, I. I, um, you know, I'm getting sort of a chocolatey flavor with maybe some coffee and, you know, it leaves nice lacing on the glass. You know, I just, um, you know, that's. When I do drink good beer, I, I can totally do that. When it's just like, you know, regular canned lager or whatever, it's just like, yeah, it's just lager. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. G- give me a really good one. I can almost pick out every little thing in it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm almost intimidated to review a beer with you because you're so good at it. <laughs> No, I don't be intimidated. <laughs> oh, I won't. I'll take any excuse I can to to drink a beer. To drink a, beer. a good beer. Yes. A good one, though. Like, it's really funny. Whenever I see Budweiser commercials or stuff like that, I'm like, do these people have taste buds? Oh, it's <laughs> It drives me nuts because they... Uh, don't get me started on these beer ads and just how... They make it out to be like this, like they are representing beer in general. It's like, um, this is so awesome. This is what your life is going to look like if you drink this disgusting beer. Yeah. And no, you're going to you're gonna actually wake up with like a headache from hell. Um, oh, yeah. And sure. it's, it's just going to be not, you know, I don't know. The taste is not good. To me, it's just like sort of, it's like a watery, disgusting uh, mess 
that uh, I just don't enjoy. Me neither. <laughs> At all. <laughs> yeah, I want some flavor. I want something there that I can actually enjoy and sort of think about. You know, I'm like, hmm, man. That's good. <laughs> yeah, this is different than the other beers that I've tasted before. And Hmm, man, I kind of like that. And, uh, you know, not, not to mention that uh, you know, a lot of the uh, microbrews and craft beers that I'm really getting into anymore mm-hmm. are uh, sporting some nice uh, alcohol percentages. Uh, oh, yeah? <laughs> you know, especially the IPAs and the stouts and everything like that, man. Wow. Mm, IPAs are so yummy. Yes. I think they're they're pretty much my favorite um, beer. Um, what would you call that? An IPA would be like a beer, as opposed to like a stout or a lager. That would be a that's more hoppy taste. Oh yeah, yeah. But as far as like a category of beer or a style of beer, what do you call it? Like as far as that, like a you know what I mean? Like you know, a wit beer or an IPA, a stout, a lager. Um, well, uh, an IPA is an ale. Oh. See, I need to. I, I totally need to learn the the lingo here and uh, really brush up on. <laughs> there's this. I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but um, there's a beer called Lambic. Have you ever tried that? I it's haven't. a style of beer. Oh well, maybe I have at some point, but I'm not. Um, I what might I, not have been what aware I, of it. What it tastes like? It's 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 kind of like whiskey. It's really bizarre. Like like I personally don't like it, but it's probably the oddest beer I've ever tried. When you drink it, it's like, wow, this could pass off as whiskey, but the percentage is much lower. Like, it's a really strong flavor going on to it, and it doesn't even really taste like beer. You know, it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I remember at some point uh, in the past few years, there was a beer that I tasted that reminded me of whiskey. It had that. <laughs> it must have been a Lambic then. <laughs> it must have been, and I just had, again, I, I just have no idea. Uh, I'm just not very good at, at knowing exactly what I'm drinking and how you classify uh, yeah. uh, the beers. But uh, yeah, I'm I am not a whiskey guy in college. Oh, <laughs> I had some bad bad experiences with whiskey to the point where I just can't even go near the stuff anymore. Um, yeah, that just hard happens. alcohol. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm more when it comes to the hard alcohol. Uh, I'm more of a rum guy. Um, I like the sweetness. You know, and it's not so, so offensive going down, you know, like, like whiskey, whiskey is not, not easy yeah. to, to take down. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. But rum, you know, it's, it's, you know, made from sugar cane. So, you know, of course it's going to have a much sweeter sort of thing. So I'm, I, I like rum. You know. And pirates drink it. So, I mean, that makes it extra cool. Exactly. Exactly. And of course I drink, you know, Captain Morgan. When I drink rum, so I feel t- totally like I'm a pirate when I'm doing it. And uh, as a matter of fact, I do, you know, what am I drinking tonight here? Um, you know, I've got a little bit of Captain in my Coke, so. <laughs> a little bit of Captain in there. Mm. I have a lager here called 420. Oh, well. Are, are you feeling a little, uh, are, you know, are you feeling a little something extra, you know, other than the normal alcohol? Is there a little bit of, is that like brewed with hemp or something? Or? <laughs> I know, actually, it's not. It's yeah. just oh. just a microbrew beer that they call it that. Probably just to market it. <laughs> oh, hey, that's cool. That's uh, that's yeah. all right. <laughs> but no, we totally got to geek out on beers here. Uh, you know, at some point. Oh, and, uh, we totally have to geek out on beers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we gotta we gotta coordinate something because, of course, you know, we're in vastly different uh, areas of the country here, and and just uh, I, 
go perusing the liquor store and be like, okay, I have this, 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 and this. And then you can be like, okay, I have this and this and this. So Yeah. And I am in a terrible state for uh, beer choice. I'm in Pennsylvania, which is pretty much the worst spot in the entire nation to have a, a, a fair, wide beer choice. And, uh, it's, really? Oh, yeah. dude. We have we still have state stores, so all the the hard liquor, wine, and everything uh, has to be bought through the state-run stores um, that are actually owned by the government. So there's no privatized yeah, yeah. wine or, or anything. Yeah, and, we, have, uh, we have government uh, liquor stores, and then we also have the private ones. Yeah, see, we don't have anything private. Um, you know, even beer is really weird too because beer, if you buy. Anything more than like 192 ounces at a time, it has to be done through a distributor, which is like a special kind of license um, that oh, you really? have to get. So, and then anything 192 ounces or less, there's another license for, and you sort of operate under a like a like a bar or a cafe kind of thing. And really, it's it's really weird. It's wow. Yeah, it's terrible. Actually, yeah. Well, well, here in uh, Canada, it's like what BC. It's BC liquor stores, and that's run government. It's union, whatever. And then on Sundays, all the privates because the BC liquor stores are closed on Sundays, but then all the private ones are open on Sundays. Wow. <laughs> and it's like you know maybe two three dollars more for a six pack. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just like we're just in. Uh, well, I'm in one of the most just repressive, as far as alcohol goes, you know, regions at all. Because everybody else, you know, you can you can stroll into Walmart and buy, you know, buy a case of beer or something like that. And I I can't do that. Like they have <laughs> to so be, bizarre. yeah, they have to be these really specialized, specially licensed places. Um, wow. To buy, yeah, it's it's terrible. But like I said, I'm, I'm I'm sure we can hook up on something because I know that that pumpkin beer you sent, it definitely was here. At uh, at one point, so um, there is. Hope. You should send me a list of what you have there. Ooh, I think and I and then see what I, I can get here because there is this uh, specialty specialty liquor store that's here that imports stuff that customers talk about. Oh, nice! I haven't been there yet, but I've I've heard um, them talking on the radio about it. Cool, cool. Yeah. All right, I'll do that. I'm gonna get on that right now, and we'll. Uh... We'll see what we can do, but uh, <laughs> from uh, horror to talking about beer, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I like nothing I like more nothing than to more you know sit down to a good horror movie with a good beer. Oh, uh, I know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Nadine, it's been so much fun as always. And uh, oh, I know. I love coming on here. Oh, uh, and your, the movies that uh, you recommended today were so good. I'm so glad that I saw them. And again, everyone listening. Got to go out and see the Changeling and Otis. Fantastic films. So, Otis. Yeah. Well, we're gonna do this again, I'm sure. But uh, thanks again for uh, talking with me tonight, and uh, I will talk and with you again soon. And thank you for having me on here again. Anytime. Awesome. Good night. Awesome. Thanks. The city of the dead, the living dead, a cursed city where the gates of hell have been opened. Well, I welcome back to the show this week a very talented filmmaker, a guy that we heard, oh, how many episodes ago? It seems like it's been so long, and I'm so happy to uh, be talking with him again tonight. 
Mr. Tony Wash of Scotchworthy Productions. Tony, welcome back to the show. Thanks a lot, Corey. It's uh, good to be back on the show. It's been about a half a year since we talked, I'd say. So uh, it's nice to be able to, to get back on and, and you know be able to provide you with some updates and, and talk some more about about what we're doing. So thanks. Wow. Well, well, the pleasure is all mine. And uh, man, Scotchworthy, you know, it, it it's a, just a great philosophy that you have, and, and people, of course, saw that. Uh, the first time we spoke, um, I was really looking forward to talking with you again because I just love your heart for uh, the indie filmmaker. Uh, being one yourself, you know what it's like to be there and just go through everything that uh, that people have to go through when they're just trying to make their vision and uh, trying to bring that uh, to a lot of people. And uh, Scotchworthy Man is doing some great things right now. Um, so uh, give me an update. What uh, what's the What's the newest and sort of most uh, breaking news you have going on over there? Hmm. Well, I mean, when you and I talked last, um, we were really focusing mostly on The Storm, uh, which is the roller derby movie that we're trying to put together. And, uh, you know, as I had said in the last interview, The Storm really turned into uh, a much bigger beast than we had originally thought in terms of what it's going to take financially to put it together. And, And so we kind of said, well, let's put it on the hold a little bit and let's work on some other stuff in the meantime. And that's where, uh, you know, we had just finished shooting my short film uh, for the anthology movie Chop Shop um, that myself and three other uh, independent horror directors from the Chicagoland area are, are all producing. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of where I was at that point um, back in the summer. And since then, um, the other three directors from Shop Shop have all shot their short films. Um, about a week ago, we got together and had a screening of each of our rough drafts, so to speak, um, for each other's uh, viewing pleasure. And I could not possibly be happier to be um, just involved with such a talented group of people. I mean, um, you've got Jose Gomez, who I'd said had done Blood White and, and Plastic, and his film is called The Disappeared. Um, his short for Chop Shop is The Disappeared, and it's just, it's so cool and, and so surreal. Um, and has, has some really uh, gen- genuinely um, dramatic parts to it, and the characters are, are all really great. And then you've got um, the guy, Ben Lewandowski, who's putting the movie together, uh, who kind of organized it all. He's doing uh, this segment that takes place in this junkyard, that kind of the focal point of the entire movie is is around, um, and it's just fast paced and in your face and and visceral and and you know and his some of his imagery is so cool, and then you've got John Wesley Norton who I I stood up and like applauded this guy's movie after he showed it last week. I mean it is it's very Alfred Hitchcock, but it was, I almost cried at one point in the movie. I thought it was so good. Wow. And it's just shot beautifully. Our, our director of photography, Rob Stern, and uh, his team of, of uh, lighting and camera guys just continue to impress me every single time that I'm on a set with them. And, and I've worked on, I'd say, six or seven projects now this year with these guys. And, um, God, they just bring so much to the table. Um, and everybody really enjoyed my short too, the, the grandma and Allie's pantry. Um, and it's great because they're just all such different stories. 
but yet they they all since they were shot by the same guy um you know they've they've all got a certain look to them similar uh but still contrasted enough to where you can tell that there's a different person at the helm for each one and uh and then since then we basically started developing the wraparound story and we've all you know really agreed that it's it's best to get a named actor on board and um i had the privilege to uh, work on a movie called High on the Hog uh, in August and September. Uh, it's a feature-length film, and it stars um, Sid Haig from Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses. And, I mean, the guy's been in everything from Spider Baby the original. Yes, yeah. yeah, Spider Baby. Beautiful. But even, like, he, he was on a couple episodes of, like, Star Trek, the original show. And he was on the original Batman with Adam West. He's and, done everything uh, throughout the decades yeah. here. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had a he had a bit part in Diamonds Are Forever, I think, was the Bond movie he was in. So he's worked with Sean Connery, and wow. the guy's just the guy just knows he was in all the black exploitation films from the '70s with Pam Greer, like Coffee, and and you know all the women's prison movies and stuff. And so, you know, it was really great to work with him. And I'll, I'll touch on High in the Hog in a minute, but uh, basically becoming friends with him on High in the Hog has enabled. Um, enabled me to to have that personal relationship with him which has gotten him to be interested in the other projects I'm putting together and and so we're we're working on getting him involved in Chop Shop to kind of be the proprietor of this junkyard um that'll be in the wraparound story and oh, uh wow. you know yeah and so we're we're really excited to at this point we we've got to finish up the script and you know work on our development and get it out to him. Um, we're looking to shoot the wraparound story in April, um, and then we would we would hopefully get Chop Chop out for a Halloween premiere um, next year. But uh, it's just it's really exciting that he's interested uh, about yeah. the, in the project. Um, he really likes kind of the the way we're taking the story, um, where this this junkyard is is more so a. Uh, well, I'm not going to get into it. I don't want to spoil it, but. Uh, he just really likes it, and nice. and he likes working with us. So, um, you know, he had the opportunity to work with myself and uh, my effects guy, Jason, and then um, the camera department, again, Rob and his camera guys, and then our sound guys, too, um, all worked on this High in the Hulk feature together. And um, so he knows a, a good deal of our crew and uh, his is very excited about the potential of coming out and working on something else with us. So I couldn't be happier. Um, and, and it was all high in the hog. And, uh, mm-hmm. basically I, I knew some, some people who were working on that movie and it's, you know, it's a pretty low budget feature. It's a crime drama. Um, so it's totally out of the realm of what I've been accustomed to shooting. Um, and they called me up to, have Jason and I do the special effects for the movie. And, you know, there's, there's some gunshots and, and, and somebody gets their head chopped off with an axe and, you know, a couple things like that. And uh, so we, we signed on to do all the practical effects work. And then uh, after a few weeks of talking with the producers, they were interested in bringing me on board to replace their director that I guess wasn't working out. And, oh, wow. and so I... I got the opportunity to, to come on board as the director. And, um, you know, it, it was a crazy process. It was, 
Um, some of the most stressful times I've ever had in my life <laughs> being on that set. Um, but, you know, we, we just developed an incredible camaraderie uh, between the crew, and the cast did a phenomenal job. Um, we, we got to work with Sid Haig. We got to work with Joe Estevez, who is uh, a staple in independent, you know, cinema. Um, and, uh, you know, is Martin Sheen's little brother. Hmm. Um, so the face is very familiar when you're talking to him, he looks and sounds <laughs> like his brother. So it's like, you know, and, and not that, not, not to compare him to Martin Sheen because right. Martin, Martin Sheen's obviously got his career, but Joe has a, a really vast, uh, diversified career as well. And, you know, is, is incredibly talented as well. And, hmm. um, you know, and, and so it was really cool to work with him. And then Robert Sadar was also in the movie. Oh, wow. And so we spent, a couple of days hanging out with Maniac Cop, you know, Man. himself. And, um, he's a great guy. And so, you yeah. know, yeah. yes, he is one of the nicest people that I've worked on a film with. He, um, he just is such a genuinely kind person to the people around him. And, uh, is, I think he's just very thankful for everything that he's been given. I think that, you know, you go through life and you have good times and bad times. And he's one of those people who, has gotten to a point in his life where he legitimately appreciates that he is alive and that he is successful and that people care about him. And, and because of that, he bestows that kindness upon the people around him. And, um, and all of the guys for that matter. I mean, you know, everybody on the movie was, was really cool, but, uh, you know, the, the quote unquote named actors especially were, um, just such a treat to work with. And, especially somebody like me coming from the horror background, hmm. you know, Jason and I were, were giddy as schoolgirls the second we found out <laughs> we were going to be, you know, on a set with Sid Haig and, hmm. and Robert Zadar and, and even Joe, who's been in a couple of horror films that I've seen over the years. Hmm. But um, then for them to be as cool as they were to work with and to respect my opinion and take direction from me as well as they did um, was just so freaking cool. And then to top it all off, like we had some, there was some organizational issues on the production um, early on, and uh, we ended up bringing in uh, a new first assistant director halfway through the shoot. And um, throughout the, the first week of the movie, I really spent a lot of time not just directing, but I was also essentially producing and, and ADing as well. Wow! And um, because the you know the other um, person didn't necessarily, I'm not cutting them down, but they just didn't have enough experience to handle it well enough. Yeah. And so everybody was coming to me asking me the questions and, you know, Sid was so fucking cool that when he was done shooting for the 10 days he was on set, he basically called up his wife and said, you know, I'm going to stay out here for an extra couple of days and I'm going to help Tony line produce so that he can focus on shooting the movie creatively and I'm going to do some of the organizational work and make sure everybody knows what they're doing. And he stayed an extra four days. Sid Haig, wow, man. Yes. What a yes. guy. He, he, he's, you know, he went from being uh, an actor in the movie, you know, just another movie that he worked on. He's been in 73 now, I think. Yeah, and, that's a lot. Um, to, to basically being a producer, to wanting to have his name uh, top billing, you know, saying Sid Haig starring in High on the Hog. And... Um, just like I said, a, a legitimate friend, and uh, I, I think of him as, a, as an uncle now. I mean, he's, he, you know, we hung out a couple of weeks ago uh, at the Days of the Dead convention in Chicago, and nice. just had a blast spending the weekend bullshitting with him, listening to his stories, 
watching how fans freak out over the guy. <laughs> oh yeah. And um yeah, and you know, and just talking about future projects and and the the potential connections that he has to help, you know, me pursue my dreams and just his his constant motivation of never quit telling, you know, just, right. just keep doing it because you're a hard worker and and all the guys for that matter. I mean, after working on the movie Joe Estevez has since called me, and Robert Zadar has since called me, and they're just like, you know, you work your butt off, and they're like, you are, you just have that passion, Tony, and you have that talent, and it's, you know, me being an artist, I'm very, you know, they always say artists are very touchy people, oh, you know, yeah. very sensitive, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? And uh, I think it's just part of the game, and yeah, and so there's a lot of times where I am down on myself, and. You know, because I'm not at the level of success that somebody like Ty West or Adam Green or or even bigger like Wes Craven, you know, that they're right. at. And um, but to have people who have been doing this as long as those guys have been doing it, and to to have their respect, um, you know, just it felt so good. And to have met so many new talented crew and cast members that I look to bring on to my future projects. Um, you know, essentially when we shoot this wraparound for Chop Shop it's going to essentially be a reunion of, of a lot of the crew members from my other Scottsworthy movies as well as High on the Hog. And, Beautiful. You know, it's just the pieces of the puzzle are slowly coming together, and I couldn't be happier to be um, in the position that I'm currently in and just hope that everything is, is up from here, you know? I am so glad to hear that. I mean, that's, uh, that, that is so wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that um, uh, from you. Just uh, because yeah, I, I totally think you deserve it. I mean, you're such a hardworking guy, and you're so passionate about it, like you said. And I'm sure everybody can tell you just you're just loving this, and you just you want your vision to just be out there. And you're extremely talented. Um, so I think people need to be watching the things that you're doing. Um, but it's really cool that I'm hearing that. Uh, you know, you worked on this kind of crime drama thing. You were you were sort of thrust into this, you know, directorial role um, in this crime drama that you really had no intention of of, of originally doing, um, because I'm sure that uh, you know, going outside your comfort zone, you know, going outside of horror, has really grown you in a lot of respects. It, it stretched you. You know, you you had to do things that you, you haven't done before. You had to think about things maybe a way that you haven't thought about them before, and um, so I'm sure that there was just so much there that just grew you as an artist overall, um, just by sort of taking you out of out of your comfort zone. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was really stressful as is because you know <clears throat> whenever you're working on a low budget movie, you're you're automatically working against time and against budget constraints, mm. and so you know we were already forced to work with what we had at our fingertips to make the movie as good as we could, um, which is a conflict in and of itself that any independent filmmaker will, will tell you is, is the, the, the number one rooted problem, you know, yeah. um, or hindrance, rather. And But all that does, like you said, is it strengthens you as a person and as a filmmaker. And, um, and you know, ultimately, like, and, and I wasn't, I, I'm being honest, I, I wasn't overly enthusiastic about about my position in this film. I was excited to have an opportunity to direct another feature. I was excited to have an opportunity to actually be a part of a movie that I did not create from inception. I didn't write the script. I didn't produce it. I didn't do anything. I didn't cast it. All I did was the was was get hired to direct it and do the makeup effects with, with Jason as my supervisor. 
And so, you know, I was really excited about that. But and to be a part of another project and meet new people was great. Oh yeah. But um, but getting on set and and seeing a lot of the you know, um, just seeing a lot of a lot of the difficulties and the conflicts and the organizational issues and you know there were positions that that had not been filled um, that are essential crew positions you know that that had not been filled and and some people were put into a position you know a week or two before we started shooting and so seeing all these these issues. Wow. Um, definitely made my enthusiasm, it made it difficult to say enthusiastic, but I can definitely say that my, that the positivity of working with a good group of people and just being a, a genuinely good person to those around you is, is what really made us all stick together and become the family that the cast and crew became by, you know, after the first week of, of shooting into the second and the third week that we were all living out there together. You just you develop that camaraderie, and <clears throat> and that's what really you know propels it. It propels everybody to want to work harder because they want to hold up their end of the bargain, and, and that way everybody's proud of it. And um, and I think that that's what you know people like Sid Haig saw in all of us that we were all busting our ass, like working against time and working against money. And he just really got behind that support system and said, you know. I have the ability to help you guys because I've been making movies for over 50 years. So let me stay and help you for a few days behind camera because people respect me. And, and we do. We, we were all, we, Sid Egg didn't say a single thing that we didn't listen to with every, you know, with a, every beck and call. The guy needed something. We were like, okay, let me help you, right. you know? And, and so for him to jump on and support it like that, it, it was just really great. And the experience was great. And, and it did. You know, we, for, you know, there was going into it, there was kind of some confusion in the sense of it, it's, it's very much a grindhouse film, but the, but the story itself lends itself to being more of a drama. So after I read the script, I sat down and talked to the producers and said, you know, um, this movie reads like a drama, but the characters you know, you, you told me it's a Grindhouse movie. So are you going for Grindhouse like Planetaire, uh, Hobo with a Shotgun? Or are you going more for a drama like a Goodfellas, Casino type of movie, Heat, you know? Right. And the producer said, we want to go more serious. So we started shooting the movie, and as we were shooting the movie for the first week, we really, there was so much stuff that, um, I felt just didn't really work with the script if you took it the serious route. There was a lot of scenes that were just very, they were more comical, and they didn't really give you the character development that I had felt the characters needed. Mm -hmm. So we, I, I basically like, there was one point where maybe like the ninth or tenth day we were shooting where I kind of almost had a little bit of a breakdown, and Sid and I went out to, uh, a small town bar and just had a couple of beers together and bullshitted about things and just vented. And, um, not only was that a great experience for me, wow. uh, you know, but just the advice that he gave me and everything. And then sitting and talking to some of the crew members later that night, the next day I woke up and I basically went back and rewrote half the script in an afternoon. And, mm. um, went to the actors that night and said, look, guys, if you don't want to do this, we won't do it, but I need your help to flesh out your characters more. We're going to make this movie serious, and we all believe, based on what we've already shot, that this movie has a legitimate chance 
of being a movie that people are going to watch and say, man, you know, those characters were great. I really cared about them. And that was, that was a good movie all around. And so I sat down and talked to him and we all agreed. Let's, let's make, let's take this the serious route a hundred percent. Let's get rid of the hokey stuff and let's just make this as good of a movie as we can. And we rewrote half the script and, you know, starting that next day, we started shooting new scenes and, um, and so, if anything, it helped me grow in my ability to think on the spot and and just really work well with other people in developing um, aspects of the film and the story. And, uh, and yeah, definitely being out of my comfort zone of horror. I mean, I had to rely on characters and dialogue as a, and, and beautiful vision, uh, visual, you know, aspects as opposed to blood and guts and terror and, you know, so it, it was really cool. You know, yeah, but you're, a great you are no stranger, though, to uh, ascertaining, I think, some great visuals and, uh, you know, great cinematography and just a nice thing to look at. Um, and I got to see that firsthand with uh, A Chance in Hell. Um, yeah. I, I picked this up recently um, because the DVD is available. You can go to scotchworthy.com and order it right now. And uh it's like it's a it's a steal. It's like ten bucks, and then you pay a few bucks more for shipping, and and uh, it's it's really nothing because this is a great film. Um, now we touched on this last time because the the first time we talked, we were you know mostly talking about Storm and 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 then sort of you know you have your philosophy on filmmaking and stuff, and um, we didn't really get into it. But uh, now that I've seen a chance in hell, man, this thing is I, I was I was really impressed buy it um thank you and i'm so glad that i spent this money it was totally worth it um so um a chance and can you get, just give everybody a, a sort of uh an overview a synopsis or whatever of uh what we're seeing here and, uh, sure um well a chance and Al is a world war ii nazi zombie movie um it takes place in the winter of 1944 at that point um if anybody knows their history uh, the Americans were beginning to invade. Uh, they had made it over the German front line, and they were beginning to invade Germany and the German-occupied territories. And so, but, you know, there was a lot of really hard battles like Bastogne, and um, it was just uh, so many men were, were getting frostbite and freezing to death. And, um, and so we, uh, <clears throat> my director of photography, who, honestly, that's how all my movies look as good as they do. It's the people I surround myself with. I have an incredible crew um, of visionary people that, that just bring their A-game every second of every day. Um, and they work well with the vision that I have. And, and uh, so my director of photography for A Chance in Hell, Mitch Martinez, is out of Philadelphia. And he called me up and said, you know, this is back in 2009, and basically said, Tony, you know, I've got the red, and at the time there was just the red one. They hadn't come out with the Epic or the Scarlet yet. Right. And he's like, you know, I've got this great camera, but all I've been doing is shooting, you know, commercials and industrial videos and a music video here and there. He's like, I want to do something creative. Let's let's shoot a trailer to to one of your movies, or you know, let's um, let's do something. I'll come out to Illinois and I'll work with you. Let's just make a movie. And so I I kind of sat back and had to come up with an idea. And uh, a friend of mine who's a writer uh, does mostly like novel work. Um, and I, we, we were saving money instead of going out to the bars, we were playing Call of Duty. 
uh, you know, the Nazi zombie levels uh, online with each other. And, um, you know, we were both just like, why don't we make a Nazi zombie movie? And so Johnny started working on the script, which became the uh, American soldier aspect of it. And I started working on a script, which was the initial part with the doctor and the concentration camp victim and everything. And we sat down one night and basically cut, read through each other's scripts. And we were like, wow, these totally fit together. You know, you, you start with the one and then it moves into the other one. And, um, and Johnny came up with the name, which A Chance in Hell is probably one of the coolest movie titles I think I've ever heard. Yes. Um, and, and so we just, we, we moved into pre-production in basically December of 2009 and, uh, we found a great old factory in Elgin, Illinois to shoot in and got access to it for about two months and, um, you know, just really started developing it and casting the movie and getting the crew together. And we made a World War II period piece um, with Nazi zombies. And, you know, we were fortunate enough, I'm a bartender, and uh, one of my guests at my bar uh, has been collecting World War II stuff since the 60s, so he has equipment and weapons and, you know, uniforms and um, let us borrow all of it to, to use in the movie for free. Oh, and wow. the, and you know, the, we got a second red camera part of the way through shooting. So we were shooting on two red cameras and, wow. and people just got excited about it because they're like, man, they're shooting on reds and it's got the equipment and everything and it looks great. And so people just began supporting it. And, um, we ended up gathering a really great, again, cast and crew to, to make the movie and were able to produce it for relatively no money um, for, you know, what ended up being such a good quality product. And, you know, it was definitely stressful. I mean, it's, it's, it was eight days straight shooting, 20 hours a day. Um, oh, I got man. an hour to two hours of sleep a night for the entire eight days that we were shooting. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, again, it's one of those experiences where, I think that something suffered because we were busting our butt with time and with no money. But when you look at it, it's like what we did with what we had access to, you really couldn't ask for a better product. And, um, you know, my ultimate goal was to make a movie about Nazi zombies that takes place during World War II because I hate how Nazi zombie movies take place in, in current time. Like these zombies have been hiding. I think it's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can um, see that. I can see that. You know, like like Dead Snow. Like the, mm-hmm. Dead Snow's a funny movie, but all of a sudden these zombies appear from underneath the snow like they're hiding in a cave, and it's like, really? Yeah. Are you expect me to look at this and say it's serious? I mean, <laughs> it's funny, but it's not, it, it's not a horror film. They me, were defending you know? their Nazi gold, you know? They, you know, don't take yeah. my Nazi gold from me, or else we're going to all come up and... You know, inviscerate you or something. You know, it's it's sure. yeah, yeah. And 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 again, and that makes sense. But I I do my best to not rely on um, on comedy yeah. when I make a horror film. I That's what I love about the stuff you're doing. Thing. You're very serious about your horror. It, it's awesome. Thank you. I love that. And well, because that's what a horror film is. A horror film is meant to scare you. If you want to, if you want to laugh, you should go see a comedy. And yeah. and so. As a horror fan myself, and I am a hardcore horror fan. I mean, I've I've loved horror, the genre as a whole, from reading books and comics to watching movies. You know, as I grew up, and it, it disappoints me that so many people, especially in the independent level, they try and rely on comedy 
to save a movie from its budget constraints, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, because maybe. it's hard to scare an audience now. Yeah, and maybe appeal to a wider audience and maybe, you know, sort of, uh, I don't know, pull in, pull it a little bit broader fan base there. I don't know. Well, uh, you, you have a point. I mean, you know, movies like Tucker and Dale versus The Evil, I mean, that's not really a scary movie, but it's billed as a horror film. It's more yeah. of a comedy, though. Yeah. And, and that movie's wildly successful. And even Hatchet, Hatchet, as successful as it is, at the core, it's a slasher film, but it's, got, it's so over the top that it's comedic. It's not scary. Yeah. And so to me, I watch movies like that, and yeah, they're entertaining and I enjoy them. But in the end, I want to watch a scary movie because it's scary, not because it's funny. And right. there are just as many successful horror films out there that people find scary, like Sinister and Insidious have been popular lately, and The yes. Paranormal Activities. People go to see those not to laugh. They go to those movies because they want to get scared. And so that's where, that's where my, um, uh, my loyalty has always lied in, in tr- creating a, a genuinely frightening atmosphere for the audience members so that they're not going into it and they walk out and say, man, that movie was funny as hell. It was a lot of fun and it was hokey and cheesy. I want people to walk out of the theater and say, well, it's funny parts, but damn, that was terrifying. It had, you know, really good special effects. The characters were cool. I was, I was entertained overall by it. It wasn't just funny, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and you did that with a chance in hell. Um, I totally thanks. loved it. Um, just right now, can I give my review of this? Um, just uh, what I saw. You know, I bought the movie and really I didn't know much about it. You know, other than the trailer that I saw on the website and I was, you know, of course, talking to you. I'm like, I'm really curious to to see what you have for me here. And um, mm-hmm. so I just first of all, I was just uh, really impressed by the production value and everything. I, I think it was shot very, very well. Uh, cinematography. I'd loved the uh, the camera um, sort of angles and the movement, uh, the POV shots. I, I'm, you know, you had a great POV shot of uh, somebody who is basically being transformed from yeah. the living to one of these zombie things. And that is such a brilliant sequence, and I love that. Um, you had some dolly shots in there that were absolutely brilliant. Um, the one that comes to mind, you know, time and time again, and we saw it in the, uh, the behind-the-scenes extra on the DVD uh, uh, for a brief moment, anyhow, was the one where they're just sort of going down that corridor, and they're just sort of, you know, they're they're just sort of you know, fighting off these these zombies, and you're kind of dollying back and forth, and you're sort of following them, but then you kind of track backwards, and then you go forwards again. Um, and I don't know if you, you you know what the scene is that I'm talking about, but it's it's this great dolly scene, just uh, sort of uh, tracking what they're doing as they're sort of trying to escape the whole uh, zombie threat. That's going on. Yeah. I just loved it from a film fan, and just uh, you know, of course, I, I'm a I'm, I'm a geek, and I look for these things as far as camera movement and angles and and lighting and things like that. Like th- those things really stick out to me. Um, and, uh, well, and that was, I really appreciated that. Was my that. director of photography. I mean, he he basically said, you know, have you seen Old Boy? And I said, of course, I've seen Old Boy. And he said, you know, I I really like that. <clears throat> The shot in Old Boy, and it's my favorite shot in Old Boy too, where he's a, he like goes back to that place where they've kept him for all those years, and he 
like starts fighting all these guys with a hammer. And it just, it, you, it's basically like a side-scrolling uh, game like Kung Fu, yeah. the old Nintendo game. Where exactly. It's just dollying back and forth with him as he fights all these guys. And, um, and when my director of photography said, you know, I'd really like to try and do something like that, it worked out perfectly. And so I, I had the, 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 the set designers, you know, construct what looked like you're on inside the wall. So there's pipes and, yes. and there's, you know, shelving units and stuff in front of the camera. And then there's the walkway where the, the actors are fighting these creatures as they're running across the hall. And yeah, I mean, it just, it, it came together really well. And, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to see a lot more blood in it and, and we couldn't, it was really difficult to, to get it together. We ended up doing some, uh, our visual effects artists, um, did a really great job of, you know, making that scene a lot more um, uh, fast-paced and entertaining than it was initially when we used to screen in the theaters for festivals. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it, it is really cool. And, and, you know, again, like the, the, the darkness of the whole movie and everything. Yes. And, and, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah very contrasty, um, very, um, very atmospheric. Uh, you know, you really, you give me the sense of dread the whole time, you know, there's something bad that's going to happen. Of course, you you know, you start that off with this whole, uh, you know, story with the Nazis and they, you know, they uh, inject this stuff. I love that injection scene. And especially, you know, you go into that in the, um, and of course, that uh, behind the scenes segment. But uh, I just loved how that scene was pulled off, both how it was shot, just, uh, you know, of course, the uh, the dollying shots and the lighting that you had there, and the way that, holy shit, this is the, I think one of the, I think most compelling and just terrifying injection shots into a, a person's nostril, and, you know, not only is it that, but it's into this young girl's nostril, and you pulled that off so well, that was brilliant, and it was so painful, I'm, I'm, Every time I watch that, and I've I've watched this several times, um, hmm. it is so painful for me to watch it, but I love it at the same time. You did that. How did you pull that scene off? I mean, they, you, you're not using cutaways here. I mean, this is no. this is a you know one continuous shot. He brings this syringe, this really big syringe, into this girl's nostril, and she screams, and you see him injecting this. How did you pull this off? It's great. Oh, it's all the movie magic, Corey. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. No, 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 no. It's, uh, we, one of our effects artists, um, constructed a, uh, a syringe with like a flavor injector. Um, and he decorated it to make it look all, you know, fancy. And then there was a, uh, a tube that ran off of it that went up the actor's arm where the liquid could basically get expunged through the tube. So it looks like the, the plunger is actually pushing in and, sh- and pushing the liquid out, which it's pushing it out the tube on the side that you don't see. Um, and then the needle itself is able to slide into the middle of the area where the liquid is. Cause I made the, the liquid that brownish bronze color so that, um, you couldn't see through it, and then that way the needle is able to push up into the uh, into the the body of the syringe, basically. And so, if he pushes the needle into the syringe body, 
what it looks like it's going into her nose. She's screaming and freaking out, and then he starts in pushing the plunger down, and as the liquid disappears, it's getting pumped out the side tube that runs up his arm and yeah. down his back. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, it's it was, you know, at first we thought, well, maybe we'll have him put it in her eye, you know, like a lobotomy. And then I was like, no, nah, it's got to be different. It's got to be something unique. And, and the nose just struck me wow. as, as just, uh, you know, a great spot. And, and again, it, it's, it's all about the girl. I mean, Kendall did such a great job. And one of the other actors, the guy who gets torn apart on the stairs, mm-hmm. um, is a Meisner-trained actor, Brad Fowler. And he, he just sat down with Kendall on a daily basis and just taught her how to be a better actor. He, he gave her classically trained, you know, crit, uh, demonstrations and critiques and had her delve into the character and, and get motivation behind, you know, why, um, why she feels the way she feels. And, you know, this doctor's killed your family. And, and you know, I, I just, I really like it because, like, you know, that's another thing. Nazi zombie movies, they don't, and I understand why. It's a touchy subject, but it's the truth. The Nazis yeah. tormented a, a entire, a n- numerous races of people, and it happened, and, and there's nothing that we can do to take that back. It's a part of, of, of the world's history. And, um, you know, sometimes scary things and stories are drawn from reality. And I think that if you really, you know, I just felt like when, when they were doing their tests, cause the, the Nazis did try and create an Uber soldier or whatever they called it. Um, and you know, maybe you think that they were testing it on their own soldiers, which I'm sure they did. Uh, and a movie like Outpost is an example of how that could have happened. Right. But but then it's like, what about all these concentration camp victims that they were torturing and and just doing whatever they wanted to because they could, because these people could do nothing about it, you know? And so to me, and, and that's where the only thing that we didn't do that I wish we would have at the beginning of the movie is show them pull her out of her cage. Mm. Like, I wanted to actually, there was a really cool room that we didn't showcase that had all these, like, um, shelves, um, kind of like the room where the guys get holed up and there's all the, the, the creatures on the other side of the, the chicken wire. Right. Um, before the guy gets ripped apart in the stairwell. And there was another room that looked just like that with these big wooden, you know, plywood-sized shelves, and it looked like a bunk room. And so I really was like, you know, it'd be cool if this girl's just in this room and it's dark and shadowy, and you just see her breath, like she's freezing her ass off. And all of a sudden, the door opens, and a flashlight shines in, and and you and you, you get pulled out of there from her point of view, you know, and and dragged down this hallway. And and you know, the other people in this cage are just like you know trying to help you, but they know they can do nothing about it, you know. And and then she gets taken to meet the doctor and, and everything. And I just um, we didn't get around to doing that, but I really wish that we would have because it would have. I think really helped. Um, just again, you already feel bad for this child, but uh, you know, just yeah. elaborate on it a little bit more. And, and so, you know, I've received criticism from people and watching the trailer. You know, oh, you know, you shouldn't be, you know, showcasing concentration camp victims, and don't you know hmm. how terrible that is? And it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, there's movies made about rape. There's movies made about child abuse. There's movies made about you know, torture. There's, there's movies made oh, about yeah. everything in the world. I mean, you know, you want somebody to watch a shitty movie that's fucking crazy, tell them to go watch Serbian film. Yes. I have heard yes. 
God, I haven't seen it, but Jason saw it, and he's just like, Tony's, and he told me about it, and it just sounds like it's one of those movies for depraved people, like someone who just needs to see how far somebody's willing to go to make a movie. I refuse and, to see that. I, you know, I've yeah. heard so much about it. I'm just like, I don't need to see that. It's a, there's no reason yeah. for me to see that. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. And, and I have it and, and I'm just like, I, it's one of those things where I'm like, do I want to watch it? I'm curious, but you know, after really hearing what he said about it, and then I saw some screenshots in, uh, I think a girl in corpses magazine. Mm. And I was just, uh, I was totally like, dissuaded by the content of the film and i've seen some pretty raw movies like yeah. if you've ever seen i think it's american portraits or something like that um oh uh, no is, but i i've 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 heard of it yeah 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 i mean and that movie deals with sexual abuse and yeah. and child abuse and, and shit like that so i've seen some pretty crazy movies with some pretty hardcore themes but you know i just I, I don't know. I just feel like there's the people out there who are going to criticize your stuff no matter what. They're yeah. going to criticize it for being bad, or they're going to criticize it for being, you know, racy or edgy. And to me, I want to get a reaction from my audience. So, yes. you know, and and again, it's the truth. It happened 80 years ago, and there's nothing that we now can do about it. And so, to me, it, it makes the victim all the more easy to sympathize for, right. and it makes the Nazis all the more evil and malevolent. And, and so to me, fuck, man, you, you watch a chance in hell and you're just like, man, I am so glad these assholes get what's coming to them. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And that's what you do. And thank you for doing that. That's uh, mm -hmm. I think that's a great path to take. And uh, you've, you've done that. Um, as far as working with children, we see a lot of kids in a chance from hell. Um, you know, it, or a chance in hell, I'm sorry, a uh, chance in hell. It's, uh, you know, just, uh, it, what was the challenge in working with, uh, kids, you know, a lot of minors, you know, was there any sort of issues with parents or showing a certain level of violence with these kids? Was there anything crazy going on with that? No, I mean, the, the kids were actually great. I mean, between Dakota and Autumn and Jen or, or not Jen, but Ellie and Hank and, and uh, you know, all these kids, they, they just, um, they were so much fun to, to work with and their enthusiasm. I mean, you know, kids, kids think the world of movies. And so yeah. to put a kid on the set of a movie and for a kid to be able to see how a movie is made, they eat it up. And, nice. you know, in Grandma Mally's Pantry, I had Leah, who's, you know, the 10-year-old the girl in it. And, you know, her, too, it's like there's so much enthusiasm. And they do, they get tired. And they can, you know, especially the younger ones can, can get um, difficult when they're tired because they're tired. You know, kids aren't used to working long hours. And yeah. um, so sometimes it can be kind of tough. But a chance in hell specifically, I, I did not have a single conflict with a single parent. Every parent was the most enthusiastic guest on our set. Um, nice. Some of the parents even ended up, you know, becoming financiers of my future projects and, oh, wow. um, and, you know, just really believe in what we're doing. And, uh, and I mean, you know, they just had fun. Like you watch, there was so much time where I was shooting a scene, but there was somebody with one of the behind the scenes camera in the, the production office, just videotaping. And it looks like all these kids did was play around and watch and their parents would let them watch scary movies, like watching my first movie. It's my party. And I'll die if I want to. And, you know, it's just, 
eight and ten year old watching this movie, and <laughs> you know I'm just laughing at all this. But the yeah. kids ate it up, and the parents loved it, and um, it it all again comes back to telling people how much you appreciate them, being a gratifying person, you know, showing people how much you appreciate the help they're giving you, and just being a nice person. You know, there's so many assholes in the film industry that think that you don't have to be nice to get ahead and that sometimes it actually helps to be mean to get ahead and not care about anybody and my philosophy has always been to you know and, and it's not like i don't lose my cool it's not like i don't get frustrated you ask anybody on high in the hog i threw my shoe a couple of times because i was so frustrated that's awesome um, yeah i mean anybody yeah, they, they, they yeah, think it's funny. yeah that's anyone you know yeah, yeah. And, and so i mean there's there's definitely plenty of times where I've lost my cool too. And, uh, and I'm sure that there's people that I've worked with who don't like me much, but you know, in general, I believe that the reason Scotch Rory Productions has a good reputation with the people that know about us, you know, we're not Warner brothers. We don't have the ability to market ourselves with a million bucks across the country, but the people who do know about Scotch Rory like us not just because of the quality of our work but in the integrity of the team that is behind the work that we put out you know you talk yeah. to any of my cast and crew and they are enthusiastic and they are kind and they are they're just excited to be the part of of the filmmaking process and they appreciate the people who support us yeah. like you you know i yeah. mean oh so, dude i mean you i guys think are the ones that make it for us. well i think as an artist you're going to have the people that uh, either love you or hate you. You know, you, mm -hmm. you, you sort of have these polar extremes. And uh, I think that's how you tell that you are an effective artist overall. And mm -hmm. I think that's what you're seeing. You know, you have the people that really, really get what you're doing. They get it. And then there's those people out there that totally don't get it. And so they're going to hate on it. And I think that is the mark of a of a great artist, somebody that has a really good vision that is doing what they love to do. And, uh, so that's, uh, that's what I, I'm getting from you, man, because uh, I love what you're doing. But, uh, of course there, you know, again, you're going to have those people that, uh, don't quite get it. They don't know why you're doing what you're doing and, and stuff. But, uh, I don't know, man, it's, uh, it's totally cool. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate to uh to know you and to talk with you and just to hear what you're uh doing right now with horror because it's it's fantastic and uh, a chance in hell man um you know you have this great uh, just this you know as i said before this great atmosphere but um i'd love you know to talk with you about the zombies um and you know these uh these were more sort of um demonic sort of beings um, and it, it almost, I think, reminds me more of, uh, like Dario Argento's Demons, which uh, mm -hmm. I love that movie and I'm sure you know about it too, but, uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so, you know, I as actually, far as being a zombie movie, you know, what has been the reaction to you? You know, have you said this is a zombie movie and have people reacted to that as far as these aren't zombies, they're not slow, they're not shambling or, you know. No, I mean, well, first off, I, I, I do, I do call it a Nazi zombie movie because there is a subgenre about Nazi zombies, so it's easier to classify it that way. Yeah. Um, and for all intents and purposes, it is still a zombie movie because, like, at the end of the film, 
you see the body pit and the pit is empty right. at the end. Yes. All the bodies are gone and, and the, the white sheets are strewn about and the blood is, you know, all gone and or, or is all over the place. Like these things have gotten up and left and you hear the creatures yelling in the woods, you know, and um, in the distance. And so they are still zombies. And, and like when the one guy gets killed, he comes back to life, you know, and, and right. they have to shoot him. And so there is still an element of re, uh, reanimation um but my philosophy was that you know, a super soldier would be would be their desire would be someone who's stronger who's faster who's more agile who maybe has claws or teeth and and just in general is more um uh more energetic you know more more has more of a potential to berserk i guess for lack of a better term right and, um, you know, like those things in Nightbreed that they had in the basements that were locked up, you know, those berserkers. Yes. It's like, that's what I really see these features being is, is him taking animal DNA and mixing it with human DNA to see if he can create, you know, a animal-human hybrid. And, um, I mean, because, you know, if you've got a person who can run as fast as a cheetah in battle... You're not going to be able to shoot something moving 200 miles an hour, you know, or or something that can climb a tree in five seconds, like a you know, like a, a cat can, and right, right. Um, have the agility to jump from one tree to another. And so, to me, that that was my mentality, my desire was let's not make a movie where we're just reanimating dead bodies, like every other Nazi zombie movie. Let's create this creature that yeah. that way, you know, we can have the claws and we can have the sharp teeth and. And every one of the creatures that is showcased in the movie has different teeth. One girl, the little girl's got two rows of teeth, and one of them, you know, one row is kind of like snake fangs, and um, but then she also has the rows kind of like shark teeth. And another actor's got you know, teeth more so like a bear or a wolf, and and you know, um, another one's got teeth kind of like a woodchuck, where they're flat but really long, like a blade. And so we just really wanted to. Um, to, to make everything a little more unique. And yeah. my uh, my friend Chris's um, idea behind the creature's facial look and body look was that imagine if, you know, you're trying to make somebody's muscles bigger. So when the muscles expand, imagine if your skin can't stretch fast enough to deal with the muscles expanding, so it tears. So the hmm. skin is all torn apart because it didn't have time to react and stretch when the muscles grow. So... Um, that's basically why the skin looks the way it does. And then, um, as far as the movement of the creatures, you know, we had, as you saw in the behind the scenes video, we had a, a rehearsal where we had about 50 people show up that wanted to play extras. And, um, the thing that stressed to these people was, I don't want everybody to be moving the same. I don't want everybody to be acting the same. I want everybody to have a unique approach. And that's where you'll see, you know, there's there's one guy who's running like a duck in one of the scenes. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's like the kids were all really lanky and, and, you know, like would swing their arms. There's one guy who's like scooting across the ground as he's chasing the American soldiers like he has no leg. And right, right. so, you know, that's where we've got some people moving slower, some people who look like they're injured. Um, and then there's the other ones who are moving really fast and uh, a little more aggressive. So I just didn't want it to be too typical. You know, I don't, I don't, 
I don't want to follow in everybody else's footsteps because people are getting sick of zombie movies and people are getting sick of of that type of stuff. And so, you know, you can't beat an idea into the ground. Yeah. And I'm so happy that uh, you took that time and effort to put into those nuances. You know, just, uh, you know, of course, we see in the extras, you know, you're, you're, you're coaching them. You're just like, you know, do something different. Just whoever you are, you are. You know, if you're going to limp, then you limp. If you've got a broken leg, then act like you have a broken leg. If you're fast, sure, be fast. But not everybody can be the same. You just have to sort of develop your own character. And, um, you know, as far as these zombies that you have in your universe here... Because, of course, you know, we have a lot of zombie philosophies and, and how zombies should be. These, these aren't Romero zombies, of course. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's open for interpretation. And uh, I think you did really well in directing your vision for the sort of zombie that uh, you wanted in this film. And um, leaving people to uh, kind of develop these unique zombies where you had a nice sort of um um i don't know variety right uh, of zombies yeah, exactly. and it was it was very effective and very real i think which was what you were going for very real um as far as leaving it up to to people and you weren't micromanaging and stuff and say hey you you got a limp you you be fast you you got to be slow but sort of fucked up and you know you you know you didn't do that. You just you left it to the actors to sort of develop that, which was awesome. Well, and, and in that regard, if you ask majority of the actors in the world, their their testimonials of working with different directors through their career, most actors are going to tell you that their favorite directors are the one who gave the ones who gave them the freedom to act. You know, they're. Yeah. And that's and I think that that's part of it. I've I've been on plenty of sets where someone else has directed too, and I watch people. And though I believe it is important for a director to be able to communicate his vision to his actors and you know everyone else, I think that you know making a movie is a collective process. It's it's all about the camaraderie of how well the people on the movie work together and. So even though you're the executive decision maker, you know, you're the one who says, well, in the end, I'm the director or I'm the executive producer, so it's my way or the highway. I agree that, that you need to have that level of hierarchy, that authority. But, you know, you have to put faith in the people around you and that they're good at what they do. And that's why you hired them to be in that position. And, and that's what I that's what I did. Um and that's what I've tried to do with, with pretty much all of my movies, because I'm not an actor, so I'm not going to to try and tell somebody how to perform, because I yeah. couldn't do it myself. And and any actor will, will tell you, if you, and I'd almost love to hear you interview somebody else from Scotchworthy to just see how they answer questions. But That'd be um, awesome. I'd love to. Oh, I'm, yeah, I would, I would love to do something like that sometime. It's just like, it's funny, because... They'd probably give me shit about the fact that sometimes the way, like, I'll tell them, oh, do this, and I'll act for them, but I'm such a terrible actor that it just ends up being funny, you know? Um, But, uh, you know, touching on what you were saying, though, with the zombies, it's like, you know, we had to put time into that stuff because, as I said, we're, we're restricted with our money. And we were restricted with time, too. We really didn't have that much time to put the movie together. We were building you know, 
Amy, who was a production designer, was was building sets while we were shooting in a different part of the building. And wow. you know, not like everything was done before we started shooting, and then we were just able to move from one room to the next. It it was a, a, a process, and um, you're always fighting against that clock. And uh, so, you know, we also looked at that and said, we've got such a, a great potential with this project, and everybody felt that way, that we had to take time to make sure that the details were covered, because... When you don't focus on the details is when the project starts to suffer. And, and you know, it's my party and I'll die if I want to. I'm very proud of that movie because I think it did a hell of a lot more than anybody ever thought it would do. Um, and it was my first movie. I never even shot a short film before that. That was the first thing I'd ever done. Wow. And You did a feature I, before you did anything else. That's yeah, yeah, impressive. Yeah, I, I did. Damn. Like I started, I started doing like a haunted places documentary in college, and I I did shoot a I did shoot a short film in college. I take that back. I shot like a the opening scene to a short film, so it's like five minutes long. Hmm. And um, but those were the only things I ever did, and that was in college. It wasn't in film school, and I still had no experience then. So it's my party was the first thing I ever did, and I look back on it. And not having a director of photography, not having a lighting guy, and not having real lights. You know, I was using 500-watt work lights that I bought at Home Depot. And not having a crew that knew how to actually make a movie, a sound guy, all that. The movie suffers, technically, in a lot of ways. And a lot of the reviews, you go to Netflix and type in, it's my party, I'll die if I want to. And you read the reviews. You the people who say, you know what, this movie's amazing. You've got the people who say three stars. It was a lot better than I thought and a lot better than these other people say it is. It's cool. You just got to give it a chance. And then there's the mm. people who say this movie's a bag of shit. <laughs> I, had, yeah. I had one reviewer on Amazon say that I should be drawn and quartered because it's that bad of a movie. Holy That's what he shit. said. Wow. Yeah. And, and so, you know, basically what I'm getting at is that Every project I've ever shot, I feel like it suffers slightly because because we didn't have enough money or we didn't have enough time or we didn't have enough resources. And despite whether I'm my own critic or not, I always look at myself and say it could be better if we had more of this, this, and this. Yeah. And so, and and that's especially true with it's my party. So everything since it's my party, I have worked to fill in the gaps that, you know, if I don't know what to do, I hire someone who does. Um, you know, we need more time, so let's spend more time. And, and that's where a chance and hell came together in that sense. We still didn't have the time. We still didn't have the money. But God damn it, if I wasn't going to sit there while we were on set, while we were in that factory, and think about everything as much as possible because I wanted to get it right. And, you know, I think overall we did that. There's still stuff that I'm not happy with, but again, I'm my own worst critic. No, oh, exactly, exactly. But uh, you know, watching it for me, man, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I uh, just dug the whole, uh, you know, this creepy atmosphere. Like I said, that you uh, created, um, and uh, the the audio that uh, was utilized through here was actually brilliant. I just loved it. You know, starting, you know. Um, Again, I bring up the whole injection scene, but you're seeing the whole, you know, he's laying her down on this, this, uh, what, gurney thing, whatever, this whole, you know, examination table. And there's this opera music going on, and, and 
probably German or whatever the hell. I don't know. But mm-hmm. uh, it's this beautiful music juxtaposed with this really, really you know, brutal, gruesome thing that's happening on this table. Uh, I thought was really, really great. And uh, just uh, throughout the film, I think you, you used audio uh, very, very well. Um, very great sound beds and sound effects. Um, to uh, really achieve what uh, what you're going for, man. So that uh, well, yeah, I, I think we had a good sound team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Shay Vilwak, who did all the sound mixing. Um, we most of the audio is ADR work, which um, when we got into post production, we were really regretting not having recorded audio on set. Mm-hmm. But it was hard because we were in a factory, so there was a machine shop working throughout the night, and. Yeah. You know, the furnace was always kicking on, and there were noises, and so it was hard. Um, but, you know, it, it worked out well, and, and I love the music that my friend Colin did. He also did the music for, um, he's doing the music for The Storm, if we can get that produced. And, nice. Um, he's just a really talented kid, too. And uh, so, you know, and, and I agree, yeah, like, you know, to me, the the lab scene is just so great because, not only does it set up the story, but I think that just the character development in that stuff is really good. You know, the mm. this doctor is, you know, this is his 32nd patient that he's tried this experiment on, and he's, you know, he knows that they're losing the war, and he knows that Hitler is disappointed in his performance, and, um, you know, so that's where he's, like, just, like, trying to figure out how can I make this happen, and and to me, that whole scene is, like, she worked. She she was a success. So to him, this girl's like an angel. She's like his gift from God. So it's a very a serial scene, and the music to me is very inspiring. And and that was my my point to, to putting that music in there. Is I see him being a sophisticated individual who respects and appreciates the finer things in life. You know, he's drinking a fine scotch when he's yeah. in his office, and and uh, he's so, like you philosophizing. Know, me, you know, he's like half empty or half full, you know, what, what do yeah, I see here? Yeah. You know, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and the body pit being filled up with another dead yeah. body of a kid. And, right. and, and it's just like, you know, he's, he's just like, you know, is the progress or is this failure? You know, I'm, I'm on my 32nd kid person right now. Am I, yeah. am I doing the right thing or, or, you know, is this all a bust? And, and so, you know, there's that shot, one of my favorite shots in the movie, um, is when she's standing at the end of the gurney after he puts the record on and the music starts and she's standing in front of the, the gurney and I didn't get a shot of him looking at her because I didn't want it to seem too creepy like he's just staring at her, you know, right. longingly. But but we put that light behind her. So it's almost like she's got this halo around her. I love like that. Is, I is love angel. that. Yeah, that stuck you know. out to me. Yeah, I, I loved how you lit that. You know, backlighting is, I think, something very important and, uh, you know, something that communicates so much. Um, you know, Art. even you know, even if you don't, you know, of course, I looked for that lighting. I'm like, that has some great backlighting right there. Is that something, is that just there for the effect of the lighting or is that something actually behind her? Is that there? And as, as uh, you look... Um, you know, you, you switch to other shots on that table. And of course that, that bright light isn't there. 
um, yeah. realistically, but you're you're sort of figuratively uh, putting that behind her, which was a great shot. Um, and of course, you know, nerds like me are gonna are gonna you know sort of you know pick that up and uh, you know say. You know, there was that there was that really bright light there that was really effective, and and uh, you know, people watching this just won't know why that great light was there. And uh, so, no, that was that was awesome. I loved it. So, oh, and, and that's why I kind of explained that because yeah. that was my my thought when I did that shot was, you know, I want him to look at her as as an angel, as yeah. as you know, uh, his his gift from God. Like, I'm going to help you succeed in your experiment. So here you go. Here's this girl that's going to work. You know, it's going to happen. But he can't control it, and neither can his soldiers, and that's why these creatures overrun the facility. But even, like, you'll notice, too, and I still teeter on whether or not I like it, but the entire laboratory scene, when he plays the music, there is no sound effects. You don't hear his footsteps on the concrete. You don't hear her shuffling as she lays down on the the bed, um, the gurney. You don't really hear any noises uh, throughout that scene because I, you know, we intentionally wanted it to be more focused on, on just the isolation and and her being locked in this room with him and, and not be distracted by the the big emptiness of the room and, and, you know, all these smaller sounds and everything. So, you know, there's, you know, now I've, you know, I have, I've seen this three or four times now. And now that you've said that, you're probably right, but I never noticed that. I think I was just so drawn in by the fact that I'm seeing this this crazy scene visually with this opera music um, that I just really didn't notice. You know, it was it was okay. Um, it was very effective without all those effects and every step, every nuance of everything being um represented in audio it it just uh it didn't i mean that that scene again i think of all the scenes in this whole short that i've um you know really stand out to me that was probably the one that uh Mm -hmm. was most effective and was like most holy shit but not to say i mean there was so much more in this film as far as uh you know, goriness and blood. You were talking. You know, you talked about you were uh, wishing that there was more blood in this film, and I'm thinking, wow. I mean, really? I mean, there was a lot of blood in this. Uh, well, you know, and a lot of gory scenes. A lot of man, a lot of guts and stuff. And uh, you sort of have to utilize that uh, sparingly, I think, for it to be effective. But uh, you almost you. You know, you wish there would have been more. Oh yeah, I mean, you you always want it to be bigger. I wish I had a million bucks to to have made yeah. this movie because yeah. then I would have had you know zombies getting shot with twenty bullets, and you know you never actually see a zombie get shot on camera in this movie because it would have been difficult to pull that off. And well, that's a good so filmmaker that can imply that off screen. Mm-hmm. You know, that's no, you're that's great. well, and I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, he, you know, there's still the gore in there. The guy gets ripped in half. The other dude, you know, is, is eviscerated in, in the bathroom. And, um, you know, the one guy gets his head pulled off. And so there's there's plenty of gore in it, and there's violence. And, you know, one of my favorite shots is that, that whole trail of blood 
from where the guy gets taken in the boiler room to the yes. um, to the bathroom, and and it's just so much blood, and um, and there was such a good color of blood. It was that dark red, black blood that um, just it you know really got some really great shots of that. Um, but uh, you know, I I still being a horror fan, I look at it and say, man, I wish we had more deaths in there. I wish we had. I wish there was more to it. I wish it was a feature. I I I wish that it was a movie that, you know, it is 35 minutes long. We we produced it in the hopes of someone in Los Angeles saying, "Hey, this movie's awesome. We're going to give you money to turn it into a feature." And you know, we've had some pretty big people look at it, and um, some were very interested. A couple people jumped on board, and you know, uh, like I said in the last interview, we had um, Ralph Singleton who's a big producer on L.A., um, who was attached to produce it for a while. But it gets tough because if you can't find that money, you can't make the movie. And it's yeah. not easy to find money, especially in today's economy, and um, especially for a movie because a movie's a risky investment. But yeah. you know, my hope is that people like we, like you, know, you, I mean, you're raving about how much you love this movie, which I sincerely appreciate, and the people who worked on it would appreciate hearing your review. But we need to find somebody who has the ability to give us that capital, who feels the same way you do. Because Dude, I, that yeah, I totally wish I had a check yeah. that I could write to you right now that it would, you know, totally fund your film. Because I, I just, you know, to me it was a throwback. You know, I, I, it was so much of what I loved about '80s horror growing up. You know, you know, I talked about uh, demons. You know, 1985 Argento just. That's why I I was scared, man, and that's what freaked me out, man. It's these crazy monsters, man, that have sharp teeth and these crazy nails and are going after you. And no, I don't have to know all the whys and the hows and everything. I mean, just just scare me, you know. And you scared me with this. I mean, you really scared me. And uh, it's a uh, it's you know I I think somebody like you with a great vision that uh, is holding that up nowadays that. I don't know. Maybe people don't think that's as commercially viable. I mean, I, I don't know. Do we have to see like torture porn and shit like that to yeah. like make a few bucks? I don't know. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I, you know, I, I think that there are plenty of people out there who would love to see a movie like this, such as yourself. And, and there are people with money who want to see it. I just haven't talked to those people. I think yeah. that this movie is something that, you know, I always wanted it to be my calling card, you know, as a film director and producer. And I believe it is that. I believe that A Chance in Hell is the project that I can show people and say, you know, you you probably get inundated with people saying they're producers every day. You know, someone yes. like Roger Corman or Wes Craven um, or the Weinstein brothers. You know, it's like they, they get approached all the time by people with movie ideas and, you know, it's my party and I'll die if I want to as much as it gave me a foundation for the success that I believe my company has right now and will continue to have. Um, it's not something that I want to show people and say, here's what we are capable of doing because we did that without any experience. And um, we're fortunate enough that it was successful and that it sold copies and that it's on Netflix and, and that it's won a lot of awards. I mean, it's, yes. it's home six film festival awards, but a chance in hell pulls a lot closer to what my team can do because we have experience and because we work together. And, um, 
you know, and similarly to Chop Shop and High on the Hog. You know, we, when people see what, what I've been up to this past year, I think that, um, I believe that they're going to be very happy to have been as supportive as they have been. And, um, you know, and, and just to be a part of it in, in whatever way they are, whether it's as a fan or as a, a team member, you know, a family member, as I call them. Um, you know, I, I had one of my friends from Savini school who she bought a copy of It's My Party years ago when it came out, loved it, super proud of me. And she bought a copy of A Chance in Hell just now. She was the first one to buy a copy. She she always wanted to be the first. And, you know, it was really great to not only have that support, and the same thing with you, you know, I mean, to have people out there who are willing to spend $10, $15 to buy my movies is awesome. Yeah. But what was even cooler was she, she said, hey, I got my DVD. I'm really excited to watch it. She sent me a Facebook message. And then the next day she just posted on Facebook. She's like, holy shit, Tony. She's like, I was floored at how good that was. She's like, it's my party. It was fun. And it was a first movie for you. But this movie shows just how much you've progressed. And then, you know, and she just continued to compliment it. And then the next day she posted on her own Facebook page, like, attention, friends, and family. You need to watch this movie. You need to help my friend out. And do I, I don't know if anybody's ordered a copy because of her, but the fact that she's out there promoting it like that is what I need from people to um, to continue to, you know, be successful and gain even more success because right. it's not easy, as right. we talked about. Yeah, and that's, that's where my heart is. That's why I love guys like you, man, just going out there and doing these horror films just because you love what you're doing. You love the vision, man. You just want to tell some stories, and you're doing things um, under – you know, some extreme budgetary constraints, but you are also upholding a very, I think, great level of um, excellence when it comes to special effects and especially cameras. I mean, you're shooting on reds, which are like amazing, amazing, like totally beyond HD or anything. I mean, these are totally, um, you know, they rival a lot of, uh, you know, film cameras as far as uh, resolution. I mean, they're, they're brilliant. And I just can't, I can't imagine what you're going through as far as editing these things on computers, man. It's got to take, you know, so much, uh, you know, damn. I, I just, I did, you know, you've got a, you know, you have a great setup there is what I'm saying. Um, but uh, you, you do, you love what you're doing quality wise and you go to extremes uh, to uh, bring some great, great images to us. And, uh, you know, we talked about the whole, uh, you know, effects as far as practical effects. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go into this a lot again, but, uh, man, thank you. Thank you for being devoted to visual effects, to practical effects on screen, as opposed to just relying on CGI and post and just like, yeah, we'll just, we'll take care of that and post this blood splatter, this, this thing blown up. We'll just do that in post and everything. I mean, so much of what we see is literally what happened in front of the camera lens at that point in time. And uh, I just love that. And and I thank you so much for being so devoted to this art that is practical uh, film effects, uh, you know, pertaining to violence as far as, uh, you know, horror films go, um, which is a great thing is, you know, as far as blood and guts and everything. We see a lot of guts in uh 
you know, a chance in hell. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's no, awesome. and, well, and, and, you know, I mean, I've, I've always appreciated your praise. I mean, you know, we've known each other for about a half a year now and you are, are definitely a big fan of, of what we do. And, and it means a lot to, to me and, um, you know, to the people involved because we do put a lot of hard work and dedication into it. But, uh, you know, I just, it, 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 that all comes from being a fan myself. I mean, watching movies as a kid, you know, you see in Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, like, you know, pushing through that wall above the bed that in that first movie with Nancy laying in the bed and the cross yes. falls off the wall. And it's like, you know, that was not a wall. That was like a, a, like a nylon or some sort of sheet or something that he pushed through. And, and that they were able to make it look like that. And the blood pouring out of the bed and when Johnny Depp dies and, you know, how they made an upside-down room. And it just it brilliant. Yeah. so much more, it just looks more real because yeah. it is real. And, and that's where I've always relied on practical effects because I don't want to have to rely on fixing something in post-production because there's no guarantee it's right. going to get fixed and it's going to look good. And, and, yes, I mean, there is blood splatters in A Chance in Hell and blood sprays that are post-production. And there are real and there are fake muzzle flashes in The Chance in Hell. But you would not be able to know the difference between which gun flashes are real and which are fake. Right. And so to me, you know, I thought that we did a good job of masking the visual effects that are in that movie. Um, but again, because I'm a fan of the genre and because I know what I believe and what I don't believe when I watch a movie, it that's what motivates me to continue pushing practical effects work over CGI because I, I'm not a filmmaker where I go see a movie and automatically analyze the whole thing. I'll find continuity errors and um, I'll, I'll review the film as a filmmaker. But when I'm watching the movie, I have that suspension of disbelief still. I can still enjoy a film mm -hmm. as a viewer and Nothing takes me out of a movie faster than shitty computerized effects. Yeah. And there are so many movies that rely on shitty effects. And again, especially in our genre of, of you know, interest here with horror and, and with science fiction and, and fantasy, you know, if you have millions, you can make a movie that looks like Lord of the Rings and it will look good or Cabin in the Woods for that matter, you know. But if you don't have the budget that Joss Whedon has or that Peter Jackson has, you have to, um, you have to hope that audiences are still going to like your movie. And, um, I read an interesting article the other day that is uh, apparently drawing quite a bit of, of uh, controversy. <laughs> I guess that Brian and drunken zombie had a, uh, uh, a podcast about it the other night that I was working and he really wanted me to be on it, but I couldn't because I was bartending. And, um, there's this article that this guy wrote about um, basically saying fuck you to the horror community um, hmm. and because he believes that the reason why you know horror fans are sick of seeing the same crap that we keep seeing time and time again in the theaters, but horror fans are also the same people who aren't willing to go out and spend money on an independent horror film to support the new people coming up who are going to make the new creative and different movies. And... I guess Brian and the guys from who he interviewed, some other independent filmmakers and podcasters, they had like a big panel discussion about it um, on his podcast. And I guess that a lot of them thought that the guy was just complaining about it and, and was a whiny bitch about it all. And it's like, you know, 
I was, I laughed and I told Brian after he, he said that, um, I, I laughed. I was like, you know, if I would have been on your show, I would have, I would have been fighting these other guys because I think this dude brings up a really valid point. There are people like you out there and Brian and Ray and uncle Randy and, and, you know, these other guys who do support independent cinema and buy my movies, everything that I put out, they buy a t-shirt, they buy a movie, they buy a poster because they want to see me make it. They want to do what they can to help me make it, you know, even if it's 10 bucks here and there. But the majority of the other people that are horror fans, even the diehard ones are more interested in, in, in downloading the movie for free or right. going to a convention and they'll walk right past your table and they'll go to, you know, they'll go and get an autograph from somebody. And half the time these people who sign the autographs, you know, I remember hearing a story from one of my friends who was so excited to meet this one guy, and I'm not going to say his name, but this one actor, because maybe he was just having a bad day. But she waited in the longest freaking line to get to this guy to get his autograph, and she was getting an autograph for, his, for her friend, too. And she's like, you know, she gets to the front of the line and she realizes, oh, you need to buy something of his to get him to sign it. So she, so she has to spend six bucks for a picture, and she gets two of them, so it's $12. She spends 25 bucks, I think, to get his autograph for each her and her, for her friends. So that's 50 bucks there. So at this point, she spent $62 and has probably been standing in line for 15 minutes to get this guy to sign an autograph for her and her friend. And she walks up to the table, and the guy doesn't even look up from the picture while he's signing the autograph. Amazing. And it just, yeah, it, it just it pisses me off because, wow. you know, these people spend get so much money. And, and yeah, they've worked to get to where they are. They've worked to have a reputation. And, you know, <clears throat> these guys that are at the conventions, like Adrian Barbeau and Sid Haig and Bill Mosley and Robert Englund, you know, it's like, you put your time in, so you deserve to get paid money to get your autograph and to have fun, you know, doing that and make money doing that. But yeah. and I understand they have an entourage, they have an agent, they have a manager to, that they have to pay for. You know, but um, still, you're at a convention. Those. You know, you you have to understand your role at a convention. I mean, you're there to talk with people. You're there to talk with yeah. your fans and to interact yeah. with people. And just yeah, you're talking with a little guy, but that's sort of the point. You're you're it's talking even, with the guy, you know. It's not even part of the job. It's you should you right. should enjoy it, and that's one of the yeah. things I love about Sid Haig is that he he time and time again has told me in the the few weeks that we've hung out now. You know, he's always like you always have to appreciate every single person who has helped you because that support system is what makes you successful and famous. And he's like, I I would not be where I am. You know, he's seventy three right. years old, and he's like, I have. Holy shit, he's that old. Career. Yes. I had yeah, no he's... idea. <clears throat> Man. Because he carries himself well and because he's still as busy as he is. You yeah. know, he wow. I think he's done like fourteen conventions this year and he's been in like three or four feature length movies so far this year. The guy oh he's a workhorse and yeah. he appreciates every opportunity he's been handed and he appreciates <clears throat> every single person that he talks to. And, and I'm not saying that I couldn't tell at times when, you know, he was clearly tired or, you know, well, that, yeah. that maybe somebody was, and, and he, there was some fans that I was like, wow, you're a nut job. you know, of course. Yeah. But yeah. of course, but, but they were, but he was still nice to everybody and he was courteous and he thanked them and he shook their hands and he would take pictures with them. And, you know, those are the people that I want to see at these things. I want to see people that are just happy to be a part of 
what of, of such a cool genre and such a cool industry. And and getting back to my original point, it's just like I. It just bothers me that I do agree with that guy to an extent who wrote the article because, you know, selling my movies at conventions, you know, people walk past your table and they don't want to spend 10 or 15 bucks on a movie, which I love watching movies. So I would totally do that. But they're more interested in spending $20 to get somebody to sign a a picture that they'll probably never do anything with. And, you know, maybe hang it on the wall, which is cool. But to be able to say that you met a famous person because you got them to sign your autograph for 20 bucks, that to me isn't an experience, you know? So I do agree that I think that the horror community needs to stand up for itself a little bit better. You know, we, we demand better movies, but we're not willing to support the movies that are out there, you know? And, and I'm not going to say I've never watched a movie for free before. I'm not going to say I've never, downloaded a film illegally before or a song or anything because i have i right. mean everybody has but, exactly but i'm but i'm still going to go to the convention and i'm still going to buy you know the dude's movie who he spent 10 grand making it you know and exactly. i'm still gonna yeah know, watch dude, independent films dude if you're like me you see a movie and you are so taken by that movie that you're just like man i want to support this guy's vision damn i want to yeah. go and buy this i need to have this in my hands uh, and it, because and it's, it's so great. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, that's, I feel that way about everything from a big movie like drive, which I, I walked out of the theater saying that was one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. So it's like, I have to own it all the way down to a smaller movie, like, you know, lovely Molly, which is the thing oh, that Eduardo damn. Sanchez. Did. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah. Good movie. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Creepy as hell. Oh yeah, yeah. I get goosebumps. You just said that, and I got I got goosebumps right now. Yeah. At, uh, I mean that that movie was it. legitimately creepy, and yeah. and and so that's. I don't know. I it, I I just I have so much hope, yeah. and I have so much um. So much, I guess, uh, faith in the genre and in my my team's, um, again, quality of what we're putting out that I believe it is truly only a matter of time before we get to the next level where we're being given budgets. And I'm not talking I want $50 million to make a movie, but, you know, you and I talked a lot last time about Adam Green and Ty West. And right. and since then, I have actually become a very big fan of The Innkeepers. I am, nice. I, I've watched it a couple of times since we talked last and, and really appreciate it, despite not really caring for, for the makeup effects in it. But, again, you know, it's effective. You get that level. Yeah. It, it is effective. It's an effective movie. It's creepy, you know. And as much as I love House of the Devil but hate that there's really no payoff for the hour and a half of tension buildup, yeah. I think that Innkeepers at least has a little more payoff and and is uh, is even creepier than House of the Devil was. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, but that's what I'm saying is just that I, I truly hope that it's just a matter of time, you know, in the next five years, I truly hope that someone is giving me a Ty West or Adam Green, you know, 1.5 to $3 million budget to make a movie because then my friends get paid to spend time doing this. Then I get paid to do it. Right. Then I can focus on doing it instead of bartending, you know, five days a week. So I only have a couple of days to work on this stuff. And, um, you know, and I want, I, I just want people to be able to see it. If, if, audiences across the country could see a chance in hell because Anchor Bay picks it up and says, we're going to show everybody this. 
or Fearnet puts it on TV or, you know, whatever, then you know what? People are going to know about it. But yeah. you know, if you don't get the word out there, then you're, you're fighting a losing battle. Yeah, that's just it. And thank you. Thank you so much, Tony. I mean, man, you know, me being a real old horror fan, and at this point in my life, I feel like I'm, I'm a very old school horror fan, you know, growing up, you know, uh, really appreciating uh, those films from the 80s and things that really, you know, scared me, man. I mean, you're, you're bringing me back to, uh, to what horror is all about. And it's not about what I've seen, I don't know, probably in the past 20 years, uh, which is very CGI glorified, you know, very transparent. I don't know. It's sort of, sort of things that don't really, really get to me on a very visceral level. Um, the way they did well, back in the back in the 80s, man, when I was growing up. But, uh, you know, I'm seeing your heart, your passion, and, and the movies you're making, man. And uh, they're hearkening back to why I love horror. And it's a great thing. So thank you. Thank you, man. It's awesome. Well, it's, just, it's funny because it's like a catch-22, I feel. because and, and I say this in every, almost every interview, um, I talk about how what I try and accomplish with my films is that magic and that, that adventure that was in movies in the 70s and 80s yeah. that I don't feel movies have anymore, like Poltergeist and, and uh, E.T. and you know, the Goonies and Leviathan and, and the Abyss and you know, Aliens. All those movies, you just have just this, this huge sense of adventure and there's like all this magic and, you know, it, it's just, that's, that's, always been the um the root of of all of the motivation behind what i do is that love of those movies i had as a kid you know big trouble in little china shit like that that i just like was like god what a what a fun movie like you know and um and so it's like that's what i've been trying to do and i feel like fans would enjoy the stuff if enough of them could just hear about it yeah i would be popular enough and my movies would be more popular but uh you know, it's an uphill battle promoting an independent film because it is a catch-22. You have the community of horror fans, diehard horror fans, who are mostly people our age. You know, the the guys who are in their 20s and 30s who grew up watching the 70s and 80s horror films. And all we do, because I'm I'm one of these people, all we do is bitch about new horror films. We hate (laughs) the stuff that Hollywood's putting out because it doesn't, it doesn't, treat us the same way the movies in the 80s treated us and we're mad about it but then when people like me go out there and try and create a movie that is like a movie from the 80s it's hard for me to become successful and make more of them because nobody buys my movies because they don't want to support any kind of cinema either because they haven't heard of it or because they're too busy spending their money on other stuff and they're too poor to and Mm. um you know Ty West is an example of somebody who who broke over to the next level. And and Adam Green too for because of Hatchet. Right. But Hatchet's the only of his movies that I believe has that same feel to it. Whereas Ty West movies from The Roost, I never saw Trigger Man, but between The Roost and um uh House of the Devil. Even yeah. Cabin Fever. Cabin Fever two had a little bit of it, but mm. But mostly House of the Devil and the Innkeepers. It's like you watch those movies, and and he really touches on the atmospheric buildup of the tension from a 70s film, like The Shining. 
Right. And then, you know, but then he mixes it with the visceral aspects of what makes a movie good today. And, mm. you know, the fast camera work and, and the, the dark, contrasty colors and, um, you know, the nice camera angles and everything. But a lot of his shots are also establishing. They're, they're nice and wide, like Kubrick's work. And, right. um, but then he also has the, the magic and the supernatural edge. You know, he's got a ghost movie, a, a devil movie, and, you know, the, the Roost was a movie about these vampire bats that, re- you know, that reanimate dead people. And I love that and, movie, yeah. And Roost it's, awesome. it's a fun film, yeah. yeah. It's, and so, I mean, like, you know, you, he's, uh, he's a person who, again, is, I, I look up to him in a lot of ways because I think that what he's doing is he's proving that if, if a, an indie event movie just gets to enough people, if it's promoted mm-hmm. enough, it will become successful because, it, it's what horror fans want. Everybody yeah. talks about how amazing House of the Devil was. And the only reason why it's amazing is because he's the first person to make a movie in God knows how long that takes horror fans back to when they were kids. Oh, yeah. It feels yeah. like an 80s. Yeah, it was like 20, 25 years, you know, before its time is, uh, is why, you know. And, of course, stylistically, it, uh, it, it harkens back to so many things that uh, I grew up with with horror. Uh, as far mm-hmm. as, you know, the, the whole, you know, going back to credits and, and things, you know, of course, he had those, you know, those crazy still scenes with the, you know, the credits flashing up at the beginning of the film. And then yep. once you drew it out and you had this atmosphere, I mean, that's why I loved horror. But, uh, I mean, are we seeing a generation right now that's uh, not interested in playing those kind of things out? They They don't care about this. I mean, they want to see blood. They want to see... They want to see something that's going to get them going. Um, and is, is it, it maybe it's so much hard of a sell right now to the current generations. Maybe have we grown out of that? Yeah, I know. I, I think that there, there is the youthful audience. There is the eight, the, you know, the 12 to, um, I would say the 12 to 20 gener- demographic that wants to, um, for the most part, is going to want the newer type of movie, the the fast-paced, scary, edge-of-your-seat, visceral, gory stuff, you know, because that's what they grew up on. So that's what they want to see, the next big, fast-paced, scary thing. But there is a humongous horror community, and, and that's why this guy, it justified this guy to write a story about it, because there is a huge community of horror fans you know, thousands of people who go to conventions around the year and who go to see every scary movie in the theater and who celebrate Halloween like it's Christmas. And these are the people who, again, are our age, where maybe we all, maybe maybe some of them live in their, their mom's basement and maybe some of them live in small-ass apartments and don't make a lot of money because they're working medial jobs. But these are still the guys who spend 50 bucks a week on comic books and right. on you know, Blu-ray DVDs and, and, and Call of Duty Black Ops 2. And, you know... It, These are it, actually the guys I, that are supporting guys like you. I mean, you know, well, being that they have, you know... Well, you know, for the most part, I mean, they they are sacrificing, I think, a lot of their money just to go out and enjoy these kind of things. So I well, think that says I mean, a lot for that audience, you know? I think that's living. You know, I think that everybody, you know, you can save all your money and put it under your mattress for a rainy day and then die the next day and never spend any of it, or you can live your life. And, right, and I'm just right. as much an advocate of 
of, I mean, I'm all about saving money because I try and put it into my films, but at the same time, as a fan, I'm all about, you know, buying a, a, a movie or um, going to see a movie in the theater or, you know, I want to get Black Ops 2 because I like playing the those kinds of games. And, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's and, and stuff like that. So I, I understand that, you know, these guys are doing it because it's what gets them through the day. It's it's how they enjoy their life is checking out the next new horror film or, you know, being able to pop in a new video game or read a new comic or, you know, a new issue of their favorite comic. But that's where this article and, and where I agree with this guy is that it's not even just the lack of being able to market your product to enough people. You know, if, if a million people see your product, at least a thousand of them are going to buy it because a thousand out of a million is one percent, and that's right. that's an insignificant percentage. But to show a million people your product, you have to market it. What I'm looking at though is my experience at horror conventions, where people are spending twenty dollars for a day pass to forty or fifty dollars, upwards of a hundred bucks to get in there for the weekend. They get a hotel room for the weekend. They party all weekend there, and they have a blast. And they buy T-shirts and sweatshirts and posters and get autographs and you know, but but then they walk past the guy who's selling his newest horror novel and this independent author, and they don't even give him a second look. And I'm one of those people because I don't read, yeah. but you know, I feel for that guy because he's doing what I'm trying to do. He's just trying to cut it at the ground floor doing what he loves. He's trying to go after his dream. He doesn't want to work his day job anymore. You know, there's the girls that are that are that make the crafts and that make the soap bars with baby fetuses in them and and skeletons and you know, these girls are artists and they just want to make a living selling novelties and um but but have a hard time because people people go to these conventions and say, Oh well I've only got fifty bucks in my pocket and I really need to get Robert Englund's autograph. And right. It's like, Well, cool. I get that, but you know, you're you want Robert Englund's autograph because you love every movie he was in. You know, you love V and you love Nightmare on Elm Street 1 mm. through 10. And, you know, I know there aren't 10 of them, but, you know. There you, might as well you be. Love yeah. all, there might as well be. And, and there might actually be 10 or 7, <laughs> 8, 9. There's 9. So, yeah. you know, you you this is why you, you love this guy enough to pay 25 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever to get his autograph. But, you know, what about... Taking a, what about taking a chance and, and even, you know, if I've got my TV there and I'm showing the trailer to a chance in hell, people are going to walk by and they're like, oh, it looks really cool. But getting them to commit to purchasing a copy is like half the time it's like pulling people's teeth because they're just like, oh, well, oh, 10 bucks for a DVD, really? Like, oh, I just don't know. And it's like, dude, you just paid $20 for a dude to sign his fucking name. Yeah, it's and you're so not hard. Yeah, I yeah. think it's so hard to communicate to fans how much more that $20 means to you than it does to somebody say like, you know, Robert England or, you know, John well, Landis or somebody at this point. I mean, they have established themselves in this community and, uh, you know, obviously they've made a good amount of money in this, uh, in this industry. I mean, you know, they, they are on another level than say you and a lot of other independent filmmakers right now that are, you know, trying to put it out there and just I think the power of the dollar as far as whether you put it towards them or you I, I don't think that's uh, you know, necessarily something they understand. 
going to a horror convention because again you're starstruck you know again holy shit robert england yeah i'll give you 20 bucks to sign this picture or you know you know tony wash man i'll give you 20 bucks for your your you know newest film you know it's hard i mean that's that's sort of a gamble right there for horror fans and uh um i think that's you know again education and um it's a a big challenge big challenge man well and i think you know i think that you do have a point you know where they the the money is more important to somebody like me than it is to somebody like like an established person who's you know making 20 bucks for every autograph or whatever which again i don't have a problem with that i think that yeah. these guys who who do the conventions you know, more power to them if they can if they can make that kind of money, you know, promoting themselves. Then hell yeah, because most of the time it costs money to promote yourself. Oh, you yeah. know, and and so I and and again, spending time with people like Sid Hagen and, and the other people that I've spent time with over the years at conventions. You know, anywhere from Lou Temple to mm. um, to Tiffany Sheppis, You know, and yeah. and those kind of, and Dion Richmond either even who right. was in Hatchet and you know he was in the original Cosby show and you know they're all great people and they're so wonderful to be around and they they are legitimately thankful for the opportunities that they have and that they have fans and they like hanging out with their fans but yes. you know so I'm not shooting them down it's more so that it's and I understand that when people are, are people when they spend money they're be, they're typically being selfish and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, when I buy something, I'm not buying something to support the buyer. I'm buying something because I want to own it, you know? Yeah. Or I'm not, yeah, I'm not supporting the, the seller. I'm, I'm buying something because I want to own whatever I'm buying. And it's, it's a selfish reason, which I think is fine, obviously. But um, I think that, that that's what it is, is that people value an autograph more than they value a new movie. But it's just sad because it's like I look back on it and say, "Man, can you imagine?" I mean, I don't know how old you are. I think you said you're you're about my age. I'm 32. I'm and, 35. Yeah. So okay, we're right there. So yeah. imagine, imagine being shit. I don't know. I mean, imagine being in the in the mid 80s. I mean, you're you're nine, ten years old, right. and your dad says, "You know what? I saw there's this really cool thing. You know, I." You know, I remember my dad one time telling me he went to a baseball convention to buy some baseball cards, and the hotel also was running a horror convention at the same time in a different part of the hotel. And so he went over, was telling me about it, and I was like, oh, my God, this sounds amazing. I would love to go to one of those things. And it wasn't until years later that I did, but, like, imagine back in the 80s going to a horror convention and meeting Robert Englund when Robert Englund had just been in V and had been in... Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 2 and and was just getting done with Part 3. And <laughs> they were promoting Nightmare on Elm Street 3 at this convention. And, and you know, and you're buying an issue, a, a number 3 edition of, of Fangoria magazine, not issue 240 like right. it is now, you know. And and you're you're at you're like at you're part of the ground floor of this franchise that 30 years later is one of the most successful franchises in in the horror genre. Hmm. And you got to be a part of it at the ground floor. And that would make you feel proud. That would be a story. You would say, oh, I remember meeting Robert Englund at this time. You know, I still tell people I remember seeing Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3's trailer on television <laughs> watching MacGyver one night, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, man, it looked so cool. Dream Warriors, fuck yeah. But that's that's where I, I wish that people 
would change their mentality and say, I'm not saying be selfless and spend your money at a convention to help the little guy out because that's what you should be doing when you spend money. I'm mm-hmm. saying go to a convention and, and buy what you want to buy. But yeah. think about it. When you walk past the table that's got the, the, the horror author or the independent film producer who's selling their newest project, look at that person and say, this could be the next Stephen King. This could yes. be the next Wes Craven. And imagine 20 years from now, the person being able to say, I, I mean, you, I own one of 100 copies of the first edition of A Chance in Hell. Right. You know? Right. I mean, and, and who knows? Maybe, maybe A Chance in Hell will never go anywhere. Maybe I will never go anywhere. I'm not trying to say that I'm going to be the next fucking Spielberg or Carpenter or anything like that. But you never know. Nobody knows the future. And right. I just feel like that, that just means so much more. And, and I just wish that, that these fans would, would have that mentality so that they would see me at a convention and my, my crew sitting there promoting the storm and a chance in hell and it's my party. And they're just like, oh, man, you know, what is this? And I'll be like, watch the trailer. And they watch the trailer and say, wow, that's really cool. Ten bucks. Oh, well, mm, right, let me see what else I'm going to buy. And, and I'll come back on Sunday and maybe pick it up on Sunday. And then they never do come back. You know, and it's like, right. just take a chance, man, because you never know how much you're really going to love this movie if you don't just give it a shot. And what's ten bucks in the long run? You know? Exactly. Exactly. That's so. it. And, you know, again, like I was saying, man, you know, going through uh, – up and down the convention sort of aisles here, uh, it's you guys that uh, appreciate and need these dollars more than, again, you know, I look back, the very first convention I went to, man, was like a horror hound back years and years ago, and John Landis was the big, big uh, name. And uh, so not only would I have to pay $20 to get his autograph on whatever, but I had to pay to get a ticket to stand in line to see him. All right. So, you know, that was, you know, that much more, you know. So, you know, talking 40, 50 bucks here right now, I mean, that would mean so much to an indie guy that is just trying to even make, you know, make duplicates of their DVDs and send them out to mm-hmm. people, you know, and uh, to get entered into film festivals. I mean, that's that's a huge well, difference, and uh, that's something that my heart has been into right now. Instead of, you know, uh, this year especially, you know, the past, you know, uh, year or two, um, I've actually directed my money more towards... Uh, not buying these uh, Hollywood horror films that are going out right now, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to the theater. I'm not going to like Best Buy and Walmart to find my horror. But actually, I would much rather spend my dollars towards you, towards uh, you know, a lot of other independent filmmakers, to see them. You know, you know, not only do I get a, uh, you know, a, a DVD of their shorts or you know whatever their. Uh, uh, producing at that point in time but man i am so much more supporting their vision and uh just every dollar that i spend towards them i just see so much more appreciated i'm actually getting personal responses from people and um it's just it's much more gratifying to me as a horror fan to support somebody like you than uh you know to support uh you know 
I don't know, who the hell made, you know, Paranormal Activity 4, which I enjoyed, but, you know, it, it, they don't need my money, you know, as no, much well, as they, you do. they've already made $800 million. You know, so, yeah, so. yeah, exactly. But yeah. Uh, that's that's where I am right now, just uh, being so much into into horror, into film, and I'm, I'm just hoping to communicate that and to sort of uh, spread that to other people that just really love horror, because it's... Yeah. 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 But but and you're right. I mean, you you know, as you said before we started this interview, you're like, oh, I'm just in the process of ordering my copy of It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To from your website. Right. And right. and as I told you, you know, I I haven't actually gotten those printed yet. And part of the reason that it's taken me a little bit longer is not just the technical stuff, but also the cost of it. And and even if yeah. it's only a couple hundred bucks to print a hundred copies, it's like that's money that I don't necessarily have. And, you know, if only there were more people ordering copies, then it wouldn't be as big of a struggle for me to, or, or as big of a justification for me to go and print these copies. Because, you know, I'll provide the movie if you guys help me pay for them. I don't make enough money to be able to just make all these and hope that they're going to sell. And, you know, I I was very fortunate when... I printed It's My Party, the first edition, back in 2008. I had printed a 1,000 copies, and um, I was very fortunate to be able to sell those copies uh, over the last, you know, three, four years um, and got to the point where I sold out, and that's why I'm now printing a second edition. But, you know, it took a long time to sell those, and it took a lot of, of me going to conventions and film festivals and spending money on a weekend to promote it and sell it. And in some cases I lost money. You know, I, oh, I would yeah. go to, uh, uh, to a convention. Like I remember the Madison horror convention one year, which was a lot of fun. And we spent a ton of time hanging out with some really great people up there, but there was like a huge rainstorm. And so it flooded the convention area because it was at like a state fairgrounds. And, um, and I ended up selling like seven DVDs the entire weekend. And wow. so, I ended up spending more money driving up there and getting a hotel room than I did on making the, the movie, you know, selling the movie. And, and uh, you know, and it's tough. And, and again, I get it from, from a fan's perspective because there has been plenty of independent movies that I've either spent my money on, which I don't have a lot of, or that I've traded a copy of my movie for somebody else's film, and it sucks, right, you know? Right. And you just watch it, and you're like, God, damn it, like, why did I waste my money? And you feel that way. You almost feel like you've been chipped, you know? Yeah. Because it's just so terrible. And, and again, I give credit to any filmmaker who tries and who does make a movie, because it is not easy. But that's the unfortunate side effect of, of being able to make a movie for next to no money if you have a camera, even if you use your phone, for Christ's sake, is that it's easy to make one, so everybody makes one. And because everybody makes one, Fans get inundated with, you know, every 20 movies they watch, there's one in there that's pretty good. Right. And out of every 50 that they watch, there's, you know, two that are good and one that's amazing. And the other 47 of them are crap. Exactly. And, yeah. and so I understand that when fans walk down the aisles at a convention or when they, you know, hear a review like you're talking to me and they're like, oh, well, you know, it sounds cool and, you know, but and this cover looks really great, and the trailer looks cool. But man, I just, God, you know, I've I've, I've been burned so many times on, on crappy movies. Like, 
God, there are some that I just think back on. I'm like, man, I remember the po- the cover of it was so freaking cool. I'm yeah. so excited to watch it, and then I pop it in, and it looks like it looks like a ten year old shot, it, and it just sucks. <laughs> yeah. And yep. you know, so I, I understand why they're apprehensive to purchase a movie, but you know, what what Scotchworthy Productions does, is, and what we take pride in, is creating a quality product that is going to entertain you, that you're not going to regret spending your money on. And we package it professionally, and you know we do everything we can to make the film look, sound, and feel good, like a real movie. And just because we don't have Paranormal Activities budget and Paranormal Activities profit margin, doesn't mean that we're not doing the same thing Paranormal Activity is doing, or Saw, or Nightmare on Elm Street, or any of those movies. But we're at a different level in the industry. And we're just trying to move ourselves up to the next level. And the only way we can do that is with the support of, of fans like you and your listeners. And, cool. you know, ultimately, I hope that the people who listen to your show um, take your word, you know, for what it's worth and, and go out and pick up a copy of A Chance in Hell or at least check out the trailer and, uh, and say, okay, you know, Corey's, I listen to Corey because I like what he says. I like the interviews he has, and the, the guy seems to know his shit. So, shit, if he likes a chance to know, I'm going to pick it up and check it out. Wow. Thank you, Tony. That's uh, that's yeah. very nice of you to say. And uh, and right now, man, I just, um, you know, I, I have so much confidence in what you're doing, and um, I just, I've enjoyed your work so much that uh, right now, um, you know, I've, uh, I've, I've just ordered, actually, uh, um, it's my party, and uh, I can't wait to see it. But uh, I would love to see if I can pick up uh, a couple more uh, copies of uh, A Chance in Hell um, on my own yeah. on my own dollar. I mean, I'd you know I'll, I'll pay you for you know whatever uh, um, I got to. But uh, I'd love to give these away to some people right now. Oh, just, I appreciate um, that. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and so. Uh, you know, we'll we'll talk after, uh, of course. Uh, you know, we're done recording yeah. tonight, but yeah, let's um, work something out. Yeah, but uh, I'd love to have these part because, of course, I'm I'm planning a great big Christmas giveaway on the podcast, okay. which uh, includes a lot of great independent horror films. Uh, we have a great uh, a filmmaker out of Texas. Um, his name is Sean Ewart, and he has Right Left Turn Productions, and he's doing some great things and uh, some books by. Uh, Oh man, Alan Dusk, he, he has some great books he sent me. So I have a big package that I'd love to send people uh, with some great, uh, I think, artists in the industry, you know, um, some great filmmakers and authors and things. They'll have a great package of things to um, to really enjoy over the Christmas holiday and, and celebrate, um, I think, the birth of Jesus um, with uh, horror, you know, so. Well, I, hey. <laughs> when you word it that <laughs> yeah. way. <laughs> oh yeah, um, but uh, man, I love what you're doing. I mean, everything that you're saying, you're like preaching to the choir as far as I go, and I hope that you're speaking that way to everybody listening right now. I, but uh, I, I always do. I mean, I sometimes, I like you said earlier, sometimes I find myself repeating what I say over and over again, and mm. and I hope that people who are a fan of what I do don't get annoyed by the repetition, but. You know, it's it also means I'm sticking to my guns, and it means that the people I work with are sticking to their guns. And you know, that's the the bottom line, man. Is you you sit here and you thank me for taking the time to talk to you, and 
and you thank me for putting out a good quality product. And it's like, you know, the thanks are all on in your side of the court, man. I mean, you, you help me get the word out about my stuff and you enjoy my stuff enough to not only purchase a copy for yourself, which is above and beyond the support that a lot of people are willing to give an independent artist. But, you know, you're now sitting here saying you want to order more so that you can give them to people so that more people can see what I do. And, right. and you know, I just I truly need you to understand how important it is to us that there are people like you out there and how much we appreciate what you do for us. Because it means the world that we have fans like you who will continually support us. And, and as I've said from the if my friend Nikki, who's posting on Facebook about how great she loves my movie, and you know, podcasters like Brian and the Drunken Zombie Guys and you, each of you guys doing what you do, if you do that with every movie, all I got to do is find another, you know, ten thousand people like you guys. And <laughs> and I, yeah. it, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, ten thousand people is so insignificant. Right. It's such a small number of people in this world, and. You know, I, I just feel like there is the potential. There there really is a legitimate possibility to to get out there and, and, and have people see it, especially with the way the Internet is and everything. It's just a matter of, of doing it. And that's, you know, I've got a handful of business cards on my table in front of me right now, and I, I uploaded a chance now um, to a private link that, you know, I'm going to start emailing all my, you know, people and saying, hey, you know, just like you. Please watch this movie, do a review. If you want to have an interview, I'd be more than happy to. If you want me to provide you with more production photos or whatever, I just need help getting the word out about this movie because I think that people would enjoy it if they just knew about it. Yeah, I know they will enjoy this um, because I did. It was it was so much what I love about horror, and uh, I just, you know, it was a really great ride, and I, I just thank you for uh, putting in so much dedication and... Uh, so much vision into this man it, it was a great film and uh like i said stay tuned everybody out there listening right now because uh this movie will be part of uh, a big giveaway that uh is going to go up really soon so man tony thank you so much man it, it's you've talked to me for uh you know a couple hours tonight i mean we've been uh been going for a while and that means a lot to me because again you're such a talented guy and wow you're willing to sit down with me and uh, go late into the night um about your film so it's a you know that's a that that's a big deal to me and uh I appreciate yeah. it so I I eat up the opportunity to sit and talk about you know horror films and the the stuff that I do you know with somebody who's interested to hear about it I mean I that's part of what I do enjoy about bartending is <clears throat> a lot of the people who come into the bar on a regular occasion, they're always nice enough to ask me how things are going and, you know, with the movies. And then all of a sudden the person sitting next to them at the bar is like, oh, you make movies, tell me about it. And then I get to tell them about it. And, and I've met a lot of really great people in, in all the different ways, you know, whether it's at a convention or at my day job or, you know, um, however it may be. And, and just, you know, to be able to sit and discuss what you love and what you're passionate about, you know, is, is what makes the world go around. And, um, you know, you really make it, uh, you make it easy to sit and bullshit about. And, you know, we've had oh, two great oh, discussions now you. and I look forward to doing this every time, you know, we, 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 whether it's get a new product out or 
a new project that's coming up or you just feel like sitting and talking at some point again, even if it's not on the podcast, you know, it's just fun to be able to talk about it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you're Mm -hmm. welcome, uh, anytime that you want to talk and even if there's nothing new and you're just bored and want to talk about, you know, some, I don't know, let's talk about return of the living dead or, you know, Dawn of the dead or something, you know, what the hell, let's just do it. And I'm sure we'll have some great talk about whatever, uh, there is because I know, you know, deep down at the heart, man, you just love horror. You love things that you've seen in the past that have influenced what you're doing now. And, uh, you know, that would just, that'd be great, man. And, uh, thank you, Tony, again, man. This has been a great, great time tonight. And, um, of course, all of your links, you know, to scotchworthy.com and everywhere where people can go and, uh, order. Um, uh, you know, a chance in hell and, uh, it's my party and, and everything that you're doing, just, just, uh, keep up with that. I'm going to have that on my website and, um, it's, uh, it's great, man, that we could do this. So let's do it again. Definitely. Sounds good to me, man. I All right. appreciate it, Corey. Thank All right. You. Thanks, Tony. Have a good night, man. You too. Herbert West, Reanimator by H.P. Lovecraft. Part 4. The Scream of the Dead. The scream of a dead man gave to me that acute and added horror of Dr. Herbert West which harassed the latter years of our companionship. It is natural that such a thing as a dead man's scream should give horror, for it is obviously not a pleasing or ordinary occurrence. But I was used to similar experiences, hence suffered on this occasion only because of a particular circumstance. And, as I have implied, it was not of the dead man himself that I became afraid. Herbert West, whose associate and assistant I was, possessed scientific interests far beyond the usual routine of a village physician. That was why, when establishing his practice in Bolton, he had chosen an isolated house near the potter's field. Briefly and brutally stated, West's soul-absorbing interest was a secret study of the phenomena of life and its cessation, leading toward the reanimation of the dead through injections of an excitant solution. For this ghastly experimenting, it was necessary to have a constant supply of very fresh human bodies. Very fresh, because even the least decay hopelessly damaged the brain structure. And human, because we found that the solution had to be compounded differently for different types of organisms. Scores of rabbits and guinea pigs had been killed and treated, but their trail was a blind one. West had never fully succeeded, because he had never been able to secure a corpse sufficiently fresh. What he wanted were bodies from which vitality had only just departed, bodies with every cell intact and capable of receiving again the impulse toward that mode of motion called life. There was hope that this second and artificial life might be made perpetual by repetitions of the injection, but we had learned that an ordinary natural life would not respond to the action. To establish the artificial motion, natural life must be extinct. The specimens must be very fresh, but genuinely dead. The awesome quest had begun when West and I were students at the Miskatonic University Medical School in Arkham, vividly conscious for the first time of the thoroughly mechanical nature of life. That was seven years before, but West looked scarcely a day older now. He was small, blonde, clean-shaven, soft-voiced, and spectacled, 
with only an occasional flash of a cold blue eye to tell of the hardening and growing fanaticism of his character under the pressure of his terrible investigations. Our experiences had often been hideous in the extreme, the results of defective reanimation, when lumps of graveyard clay had been galvanized into morbid, unnatural, and brainless motion by various modifications of the vital solution. One thing had uttered a nerve-shattering scream. Another had risen violently, beaten us both to unconsciousness, and run amuck in a shocking way before it could be placed behind asylum bars. Still another, a loathsome African monstrosity, had clawed out of its shallow grave and done a deed. West had to shoot that object. We could not get bodies fresh enough to shoe any trace of reason when reanimated, so had perforce created nameless horrors. It was disturbing to think that one, perhaps two, of our monsters still lived. That thought haunted us shadowingly, till finally West disappeared under frightful circumstances. But at the time of the scream in the cellar laboratory of the isolated Bolton Cottage, our fears were subordinate to our anxiety for extremely fresh specimens. West was more avid than I, so that it almost seemed to me that he looked half covetously at any very healthy living physique. It was in July, 1910, that the bad luck regarding specimens began to turn. It had been on a long visit to my parents in Illinois, and upon my return, found West in a state of singular elation. He had, he had told me excitedly, in all likelihood solved the problem of freshness through an approach from an entirely new angle, that of artificial preservation. I had known that he was working on a new and highly unusual embalming compound and was not surprised that it had turned out well, but until he explained the details, I was rather puzzled as to how such a compound could help in our work, since the objectionable staleness of the specimens was largely due to delay occurring before we secured them. This, I now saw, West had clearly recognized creating his embalming compound for future rather than immediate use, and trusting to fate to supply again some very recent and unburied corpse, as it had years before when we obtained the Negro killed in the Bolton Prize fight. At last, fate had been kind, so that on this occasion there lay in the secret cellar laboratory a corpse whose decay could not by any possibility have begun what would happen on reanimation, and whether we could hope for a revival of mind and reason, West did not venture to predict. The experiment would be a landmark in our studies, and he had saved the new body for my return, so that both might share the spectacle in accustomed fashion. West told me how he had obtained the specimen. It had been a vigorous man, a well-dressed stranger just off the train on his way to transact some business with the Bolton Worsted Mills. The walk through the town had been long, and by the time the traveler paused at our cottage to ask the way to the factories, his heart had become greatly overtaxed. He had refused a stimulant, and had suddenly dropped dead only a moment later. The body, as might be expected, seemed to West a heaven-sent gift. In his brief conversation, the stranger had made it clear that he was unknown in Bolton, and a search of his pockets subsequently revealed him to be one Robert Leavitt of St. Louis, apparently without a family to make instant inquiries about his disappearance. If this man could not be restored to life, no one would know of our experiment. We buried our materials in a dense strip of woods between the house and the potter's field. If, on the other hand, he could be restored, our fame would be brilliantly and perpetually established. So, without delay, 
West had injected into the body's wrist the compound which would hold it fresh for use after my arrival. The matter of the presumably weak heart, which to my mind imperiled the success of our experiment, did not appear to trouble West extensively. He hoped at last to obtain what he had never obtained before, a rekindled spark of reason and perhaps a normal living creature. So on the night of July 18, 1910, Herbert West and I stood in the cellar laboratory and gazed at a white, silent figure beneath the dazzling arc light. The embalming compound had worked uncannily well, for as I stared fascinatedly at the sturdy frame which had lain two weeks without stiffening, I was moved to seek West's assurance that the thing was really dead. This assurance he gave readily enough, reminding me that the reanimating solution was never used without careful tests as to life since it could have no effect if any of the original vitality were present. As West proceeded to take preliminary steps, I was impressed by the vast intricacy of the new experiment, an intricacy so vast that he could trust no hand less delicate than his own. Forbidding me to touch the body, he first injected a drug in the wrist just beside the place his needle had punctured when injecting the embalming compound. This, he said, was to neutralize the compound and release the system to a normal relaxation so that the reanimating solution might freely work when injected. Slightly later, when a change and a gentle tremor seemed to affect the dead limbs, West stuffed a pillow-like object violently over the twitching face, not withdrawing it until the corpse appeared quiet and ready for our attempt at reanimation. The pale enthusiast now applied some last perfunctory tests for absolute lifelessness, withdrew satisfied, and finally injected into the left arm an accurately measured amount of the vital elixir, prepared during the afternoon with a greater care than we had used since the college days, when our feet were new and groping. I cannot express the wild, breathless suspense with which we waited for results on this first really fresh specimen, the first we could reasonably expect to open its lips in rational speech, perhaps to tell of what it had seen beyond the unfathomable abyss. West was a materialist, believing in no soul and attributing all the works of consciousness to bodily phenomena. Consequently, he looked for no revelation of hideous secrets from gulfs and caverns beyond death's barrier. I did not wholly disagree with him theoretically, yet held vague instinctive remnants of the primitive faith of my forefathers, so that I could not help eyeing the corpse with a certain amount of awe and terrible expectation. Besides, I could not extract from my memory that hideous, inhuman shriek we heard on the night we tried our first experiment in the deserted farmhouse at Arkham. Very little time had elapsed before I saw the attempt was not to be a total failure. A touch of color came to cheeks hitherto chalk white, and spread out under the curiously ample stubble of Sandy Beard. West, who had his hand on the pulse of the left wrist, suddenly nodded significantly, and almost simultaneously a mist appeared on the mirror inclined above the body's mouth. There followed a few spasmodic muscular motions, and then an audible breathing and visible motion of the chest. I looked at the closed eyelids and thought I detected a quivering. Then the lids opened, shewing eyes which were gray, calm, and alive, but still unintelligent and not even curious. In a moment of fantastic whim, I whispered questions to the reddening ears. 
questions of other worlds, of which the memory might still be present. Subsequent terror drove them from my mind, but I think the last one, which I repeated, was, Where have you been? I do not yet know whether I was answered or not, for no sound came from the well-shaped mouth, but I do know that at that moment I firmly thought the thin lips moved silently, forming syllables I would have vocalized as, Only now, if that phrase had possessed any sense or relevancy. At that moment, as I say, I was elated with the conviction that the one great goal had been attained, and that for the first time a reanimated corpse had uttered distinct words impelled by actual reason. In the next moment, there was no doubt about the triumph, no doubt that the solution had truly accomplished, at least temporarily, its full mission of restoring rational and articulate life to the dead. But in that triumph, there came to me the greatest of all horrors. Not horror of the thing that spoke, but of the deed that I had witnessed and of the man with whom my professional fortunes were joined. For that very fresh body, at last writhing into full and terrifying consciousness with eyes dilated at the memory of its last scene on earth, threw out its frantic hands in a life-and-death struggle with the air, and suddenly collapsing into a second and final dissolution from which there could be no return, screamed out the cry that will ring eternally in my aching brain. Help! Keep off, you cursed little toehead fiend! Keep that damned needle away from me! Everyone, do you see this? This was a man, an individual. Now it is nothing but a mindless drone, a walking sack of flesh that is worth nothing. But he, it, has survived because it can still consume to keep itself going. And it has the power, the need, to keep going. Now we can do what he has done, survive, only we will do it better. We will take our skills from before and their skills from now to make a better world. Come to an end of this week's episode of The Electric Chair. And uh, I told you, listen clear to the end. Big announcement, uh, big giveaway, actually. But uh, let me make the announcement first. Um, very suddenly, uh, and I'm talking within the past day, uh, since I I'm recording this right now, um, I've actually been hit with some very demanding uh, personal uh, circumstances. Uh, some things have come up in, in my life um, personally with my family and stuff like that, uh, where uh, I'm going to need to carve out a big chunk of time to um, you know, sort of devote to, to what's come up here. So, um, you know, I got to start cutting things. I got to start finding time in my day, and I, I just uh, I don't have a lot of time. I spend a tremendous amount of time on the podcast. And of course, you know, I podcast because I, I just love doing this. 
Uh, I love just bringing cool things to you guys to listen to and, and meeting new people and, and just finding out more about filmmaking and horror and music and all that fun stuff. I have a blast doing this. Um, that's why I do it. It's certainly not because there's any sort of pay <laughs> involved. You know, as a matter of fact, I, I end up paying actually quite a bit of money. Um, you know, a lot of these giveaways that I'm doing, um, normally I don't ask for people to send me free stuff. Um, I will once in a while if it's a screener or whatever, and once in a while people offer to send me free stuff, which is great. But, um, you know, every once in a while I, I offer to pay people to send me stuff so I can give it away. And, uh, you know, this, this week's giveaway, a lot of the stuff that I will be giving away, I actually paid for. And uh, so I'm going to be giving it to you. And that's because I believe in what these people are doing so much. And I just want to get it out there uh, for them more and more. And if I can do that, then that's just great. Um, so um, I'm, I'm just forced to have to go into some sort of hiatus here. And I have no idea... Um, how long or how short this is going to be. It's going to be at least for over the holidays here, and uh, hopefully I can pick up back in January. Um, but I, I just don't know. I just don't know. Things like are tremendously crazy here right now. And I just appreciate your understanding and your patience and everything. Um, it's all good, but, you know, I just I, I got to do this. I feel really bad because this is um, seriously some of the high points uh, every week. For me is, is making this podcast and talking with people, but it's a tremendous time investment, and uh, I just cannot do it right now and, and still be responsible and do what I need to do uh, personally right now. So um, that's what it's going to be. So to celebrate uh, my hiatus, <laughs> which I'm sure everyone's just glad I'm going away for a while because, you know, but... Uh, you know, to celebrate that and to celebrate the Christmas season here, um, I'm going to have this huge, huge giveaway. And it's something that's been in the making for a while. Um, so uh, basically five people are going to get some really, really great stuff. Uh, starting off with um, Alan Dusk. I'm not sure. I, I think I mentioned him before. Alan Dusk. Uh, he's an author. And uh, he just came out with a book called Shady Palms. And Alan actually contacted me. He's like, dude, I want to sign five of my books. Give them to you so you can uh, give them away. And he did. He sent those out, and uh, he was very, very generous in that. So, everybody, all five winners are going to be getting a copy of Shady Palms by Alan Dusk. Um, I also have uh, a whole bunch of good stuff from Sean Ewart from uh, Right Left Turn Productions. And um, one of those things is a DVD of uh, Jack's Bad Day. Uh, his short film that is actually really cool. Um, so I'm going to have a few of those thrown in. So some of you will be getting that. Sean also sent me some other goodies like t-shirts and stuff like that. So I'm going to kind of split up the spoils among uh, the five winners here. So you'll be getting stuff courtesy of uh, Sean Ewart. Fantastic guy. Um, so uh, that's uh, really great. And I, I just thank him for his generosity there. And last but certainly not least, you're going to be um, finding that you'll be getting, at least I think the top three of you, will be getting uh, some uh, DVDs, a, well, one DVD from uh, Tony Wash. You'll be getting A Chance in Hell, uh, which is a fantastic short like we talked about. And um, so, yeah, yeah, that, that was great. And I think Tony's going to send me some other extra stuff too, so I'll just have to see what I get. Um, and how it's divided up. But everybody will be getting something. At least you'll be getting the book uh, by Alan Dusk, and you'll be getting um, you know, some Right Left Turn production stuff, and then I'll, I'll just see what else there is to throw in there. But this is a great giveaway. It really is. Uh, everything I'm, I'm giving away here is really fantastic. And uh, so, again, I just uh, I, I believe in all of these people who are out there just making all this great stuff, and I want to share that with uh, 
with some people out there. So, um, not much of a contest. Again, you know, I'm not into all making you do all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, jump through hoops and stand on your head. And yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, that's not what I want to do. Um, so I'm going to make it real easy, real simple, especially on myself because, you know, hey, I'm lazy. Um, but uh, the first five people to contact me about this contest are going to be the winners. So the first guy to contact me, you win, you get the you get the big package, and it just uh, goes from there. But five of you will do it. You email me at uh, Corey at MidnightCorey.com or uh, get in contact with me on Facebook or the website or whatever. But uh, the first five people to get in touch with me in one way or another are going to win. So uh, make sure that you uh, send me your email and stuff, and then I'll be in contact with you about where I can send everything. If you've already won something here through the show, that's okay. You can win again. So just go for it. But uh, yeah, let me know that you'd like to be part of the big hiatus celebration giveaway. <laughs> How about that? Uh, that's the title. You know, the electric chair hiatus celebration giveaway. Um, but uh, yeah, so there it is. Uh, but, but thank you to everybody who is, uh, you know, part again uh, of this contest and the things I'm giving away. Um, and thank you to my guest this week, Kevin from Strychnia. Check out Strychnia, a great band. Um, they're uh, working on new music right now, like we said, and uh, it's just fantastic stuff, especially if you love heavy stuff, thrash and death metal and everything. It's, it's wonderful. Um, and then uh, also Nadine Lesperance, Blue Girl Productions, uh, fantastic as well. I just appreciate her taking time to talk with me again this week. And of course, Tony Wash. Tony, I don't have enough good things to say about Tony. I love that guy. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for uh, taking time late one night to uh, talk with me for a couple hours just about all this film horror greatness. <sighs> so there it is. Again, um, you know, I I'll keep you updated. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'll, I'll just uh, see how things go here and hopefully be back very soon. I appreciate all the support and your understanding and your patience with me as I sort of deal with uh, some insane circumstances here personally. So thank you once again, and uh, I will be talking with you again, hopefully, soon. Mm -hmm.